I tried eating the test they gave me to become a lawyer. I threw up. So I guess this isn't my first time spitting bars. As I sit in the office where I author the law, I take a look at the nation, and I say there's nothing wrong, cause I've been blundering and gapping so long, even my son Hunter thinks my mind is gone, but I never sniffed a child who didn't deserve it, you be passing up these scents, that's what's really perverted, if you ever cross my path, you ain't got a prayer, cause me and my homies gonna be smelling your hair, printing lots of money, killing pipelines, making sure the nation's locked out till the end of time, Gonna give the country over to Xi Jinping I guess that's what I meant when I said no malarkey Spend too much of our lives living in Biden's paradise Everything's twice the price living in Biden's paradise Till 2025 we're all stuck in Biden's paradise Spend too much of our lives living in Biden's paradise Check out the situation, hyperinflation, print another couple trillion and destroy the whole nation And I'm not going down to the border, fool, unless those migrant kids are using their shampoo I'm a career politician with a senile mind, I can't finish this sentence, I've got blood in my eye But damn, I'm important, I made a fortune selling you out to China, yeah your job's been exported, fool that they nothing but a heartbeat away And Kamala Harris is counting down the days To 2023 or 24 Will I make it that long? I don't know Tell me why are they So blind to see That uh, you know You know the thing Spend too much of our lives Living in Biden's paradise Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Hellas. This being recorded live and broadcast live at a very weird time. We're starting at 12.56 a.m. on September 4th, 2021, here on late Friday night, early Saturday morning, whatever you want to call it. It was not scheduled to be this time. It was supposed to be a few hours ago, but I did not want to miss the Dodgers game. The Dodgers are playing the Giants this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it's a very important series. They came into this series tied in first place for the National League West, also with the two best records in baseball. So at the end, on October 3rd, when the season's over, one team will be the champion and one will be the wild card and has to play a one-game playoff with the other wild card team to see if they make the playoffs. So very, very uh, consequential series here, and I didn't want to miss it being a big Dodgers fan. And of course, the game went well into extra innings, so that took quite lo- quite some time. Uh, Benjamin was watching it with me, so I also had to put him to bed, and it just took a long time before we were ready to start here. And I figured we're starting so late that there's no point to have a free roll. So there's no free roll this week, and I know some people are angry, and I know a free roll actually ran on the server Here's a little tip that 
if the show just hasn't gotten going by the time the free roll ends, there is no free roll. Or if I haven't uh, made any announcement about the free roll being delayed, and it seems like the show is going to be way delayed, then there's no free roll. So even if it's on the server, I mean, yeah, I should have taken it down. I overlooked that part with not just taking the free roll down. So to those who played, I apologize, but we never announced any kind of prize pool or anything like that. The free roll was never uh, officially announced, so I apologize to, I believe uh, Crypto Ninja was the winner, so apologies to him. But there was no real free roll this week, so I hope you had fun playing a real free roll that was for free, because you don't win any money. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. We had some people hammering the show with calls last week during segments. I, I want to remind everybody again, do not call unless we are nearing the end of a segment or at the end of a segment. Or maybe if we're just about to begin a segment, you can call in. But if we're in the middle of a segment, I don't want to be interrupted with phone calls because often I take the call and it's not about that topic. If you want to talk about a topic that we were discussing, uh, don't worry about being too late because what I will do, it's one of the things I do with the editing, is if you call in about a topic that uh, we've already passed a while back in the show, I'll speak to you on that topic. And then what I do is I move the call back to right after we discuss the topic. So this way it all fits together and the vast, vast majority of our listeners do not listen live. So they will hear it as if you called in right when the topic was over. I do that for listenability. I don't uh, typically edit uh, very much out of the show when I do the editing. It's mainly just uh, to make it easier to listen to and editing out fail that just uh, isn't very good for radio. If you want to call the show again, 775-372-8355. You can also text that number at any time, 775-372-8355. We have the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808 is the second line into the show. Can't text the Mount Charleston line, but you can call it 702-430-1808. It's located in a cabin near the top of Mount Charleston, which is about 40 minutes away from Las Vegas by car. And we've had that line ever since the beginning, and it persists, the Mount Charleston line. The call to listen line is a number you can use to listen to the show, not to speak to me, but to listen to me. During the live show, we have the show up there, and also when we're not live, it plays streaming reruns, just randomly selects the show and plays it in full. So the call to listen line is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. We also have the alternate call to listen line, which is 641-741-1095. If you forget any of these numbers, it's very simple. You just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, click on the radio tab, and all the numbers there are listed for you. The call to listen line never buffers, never freezes. It just works. It does not require a cell phone or a data plan or a computer or the internet. No, 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 no. Any way you can make a phone call, even with a one-bar signal, even with a home phone. You can just call the call to listen line and listen to the show. It's that simple. It's a great thing we have here. And as long as you don't have T-Mobile, and as long as you can call within the U.S. for free, then it is free. T-Mobile charges one cent a minute. We have a chat room if you're listening live for some reason at this very late hour. Maybe you're in Europe. Maybe you're an early riser or a person who stays up very late, but we do have a chat room. You can chat with other people who are listening and also in the chat room. 
And if you want to message me during the show, I would suggest texting me, 775-372-8355. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. So here's the agenda, and we will get going. Poker Fraud Alert got rave reviews about a story that we covered last week. In fact, it got a lot of attention. Some major names in poker were noticing it. Even someone who was uh, once known for a very popular 2000s poker show noticed it and retweeted it and gave it praise. So I'm going to briefly talk about the reaction to last week's Poker Girl story and how it kind of blew up on Twitter this week, which is nice. Remember Fox Poker? We covered that last week also. Remember that I said nobody else was covering it in poker media? Remember I mentioned that? Well, now, now it's on poker media because Fox Poker has since shut down. And a huge bombshell was dropped regarding the theft of funds by the main owner, Andy Trombley. And we actually have a confession from Mr. Trombley that he put up on YouTube, which is very nice of him to do. So we're going to play that and analyze that. So notice we were the ones on this story. You, you won't find this in any other poker media before us. It was being whispered on some Facebook groups a little bit, but we were the ones, we were the only ones in poker media to bring it to you before it shut down. And I know I told you to get your money off. You were not going to be able to do that because they were like a day or two away from shutting down. But the point is that I saw that the whole thing was about to crash down and I covered the story before it happened. And that's a reason to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio because we cover these things very aggressively and we have our ear to the ground. And even when my ear is missing things on the ground, other people are bringing stories to me. The WSOP continues to confuse the players who want to come play at the Rio this fall. Remember last week we talked about the vaccine mandate for the World Series of Poker? Well, this week we found out that even though all players have to prove they have been vaccinated, apparently the dealers and other employees don't. (laughs) (sighs) Makes loads of sense, doesn't it? So we will discuss that. A former U.S. Marine got $87,000 seized in a traffic stop in northern Nevada in what appears to be a very questionable civil forfeiture action. We've discussed civil forfeiture on the show before. It often targets gamblers. It's very nasty. It is legalized theft. It should be illegal. We're going to talk more about civil forfeiture and the latest case, which is getting attention. Prahlad Friedman. Prahlad Friedman has put out some news. He's bisexual. You're shocked, right? You you had no idea. I mean, he was tweeting about kissing men, wanting to kiss men at least, and how all men want to kiss men, he was saying last year. But I'm sure you're shocked that he has come out as bisexual. So he came out as bi. Nobody cared. Almost nobody reacted. So then he realized that he didn't get the attention that he was seeking here. So he was all about attention. So then he came out a second time for more attention. So, of course, we have to cover this. We always talk about Prahlad Freeman's follies on this show, and how could I not cover his big reveal that he is bisexual? So we're going to talk about Prahlad being bi and how he had to make it into a spectacle. 
I've had a lot of positive feedback in the past month or so about the stories I've been telling on here. I've told a lot of stories. Some have to do with poker and gambling. Some have to do with me. Some have to do with totally separate topics from the poker and gambling world, such as that uh, crazy eBay story. And every time I do one of these, I get a lot of praise. I get people texting me saying, I really like that segment. And last week we had that one about Poker Girl. So it seems like every time I do a story, people enjoy it. It's very, very popular. So when people react positively to things that I introduce into the show, then it encourages me to do it more. And if I get negative reactions, it encourages me to do something less. So I didn't have as good of a story for this week as I've had in some other weeks. So I had to dig into my memory and I had to go 30 years back. I'm going to run out of these eventually, but for the moment, we're going to be doing these. PFA story time this week will be the 1991 version of me versus the UCSB dorm dining commons and a crusade I had against them. And I will tell you what occurred. It's actually pretty interesting, more interesting than it sounds on the surface. Harris, Cherokee, and Foxwoods plan to sell marijuana on premises. They have not uh, formally announced this yet, but they are exploring doing it. So at some point soon, you may be able to actually buy pot legally at Harris, Cherokee, or Foxwoods. That's pretty crazy. Single game sports betting, which is what most of you do. Most of the time you bet on a game, it's only on a single game. Otherwise, it would be a parlay or a teaser or something like that. That has been illegal in Canada up until last week, but now it is legal. So we're going to discuss the legalization of single-game sports betting in Canada, which is pretty big for Canada, to be honest. People asked me about my blockchain segment last week, where I said, don't use blockchain.com as a middleman wallet anymore for gambling sites. And I'm serious. If you do, you're going to get it closed. But people asked, okay, then what should I use? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And people were not happy with that answer. And that's understandable because I had just heard about it the day of radio. So I did not have time to research it. Well, I have since researched it. I'm going to give you some suggestions on alternatives to blockchain.com that you can use to deposit to and from gambling sites. Somehow a random dude snuck his car into the Elon Musk tunnels. I'll tell you about that weird situation that's getting almost no coverage in the Las Vegas media. Then I will have an editorial. And by the way, Brandon says he's going to come on tonight. In fact, he claims he'll come on at 2 a.m., which, to be frank, is too early. I mean, I'd like to have him, but he doesn't enjoy some of these like poker topics and some of the other stuff I talk about. He enjoys more of the Vegas stuff. So we hold that back to the end, and then uh, he brings it to us, which works very well. Uh, 2 a.m., that's usually a good time for it, but not this week when we're starting so late. So I, I texted him that. So we'll see. Last week, he didn't show up because he overslept. He intended to show up, and then somehow his alarm didn't wake him. But hopefully we'll get him this week. Either way, we're going to have an editorial, provided I still have the energy for it, given that we started so late. The Texas abortion law is getting a lot of reaction. There's a lot of outrage all over social media. A lot of virtue signaling about how this is taking away the rights of women, blah, blah, blah. Well, I have mixed feelings about that law. This editorial is not going to be about that law. It's going to be about the fact that this outrage over the Texas abortion law is masking the true tragedy of abortion law of several states in the U.S., which allow the murder 
of fully formed babies for any reason. And I say fully formed babies, not a clump of cells, not at six weeks, not at nine weeks. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a day before birth. You can kill a fully formed, viable, healthy baby in many states, as long as you get a doctor willing to do it. It is completely legal for any reason in several U.S. states. Legalized murder. You can look it up if you don't believe me. I'm going to tell you more about it during that editorial. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to virtue signal about the abortion law in Texas, even if you hate the law and think it's terrible, and you neglect to mention the law in other states that permit that permits legalized murder of babies, then you're a big hypocrite. You really are. Because the, the real tragic law is that one, not the Texas law. Texas law you may disagree with. It may be overly restrictive. I can understand those arguments. But the real tragic abortion law is in those other states. And we're going to talk about that. So that is our agenda. Not going to cover the coronavirus this week. Just don't feel like it. Nothing really new and exciting in the world of COVID, aside from the usual uh, depressing situation with it. So we're going to skip a week of that. So let's uh, just jump right into our content here. I want to tell you about the reaction we got to the Poker Girl story. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to go back to last week. And I told a long story about something that occurred in the late 2000s involving a shutdown of a few accounts on Full Tilt that were accused of being bots. And one of them I had a lot of experience with, who went by Poker Girl. And I ended up meeting her two years later in some restaurant in Burbank, California, so she could tell me all the secret stuff about Full Tilt that nobody knew about how awful they were, and they were using their own bots, and they were violating RICO statutes, and they were purposely shutting down accounts so they can steal the money. She told me all these things about Full Tilt that made them look terrible. Oddly enough, didn't say that they were stealing the money on deposit, which really appears to be the only thing they really were doing. All, all these accusations she was making, I've never seen any kind of uh, proof that any of these things were occurring. But the one thing they were doing, maybe not in 09, I don't know when it started, but they did eventually steal all the money on deposit. And that she did not mention when we were together there in 09 at that restaurant. Anyway, I was used. I was shamelessly used in that whole thing, but I kind of caught on to it and I did not do what they were hoping, which would be go to bat for them. But anyway, I solved the whole thing. I solved the whole thing 12 years later. At least I think I did. I don't have absolute proof I solved the whole thing, but I think I have deduced what was really going on there. It was kind of a mystery for 12 years that I thought of every so often. And I just kind of took to Google one night and figured it out in July of this year, 12 years later. So I'm like, is anyone going to care about this story? Like, this is from the late 2000s. None of the people involved are particularly prominent. You had to be paying a lot of attention to the drama in the poker world to even know about this back then. So who's going to care about this 12 years later? So I said, you know what? I have to write like a really good and interesting narrative about this whole thing for anyone to care about it. So I did. I sat down and I typed part of it out in July and part of it in late August. And I wrote a long thread, like an eight-part thread, which you can find on the Poker Community Discussion Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, describing the entire situation in kind of like a narrative format. And people really enjoyed it. They loved the segment that I did on this show. They loved the written form of the segment, which is on the forum. It's being shared all over Twitter this week. 
And I appreciate that people enjoyed it because I put a lot of time into writing this up. It wasn't an easy thing or a quick thing to write up. And usually I don't put that much time or effort into one story because I just don't have time for it. But this one I really wanted to tell. And I thought if I told it right, that it would catch people's interest. And it did. And also, a lot of people who were around back then enjoyed the memories. Reading about the old names of people around back then and all the stuff that was going on in online poker in those days. But you didn't have to be around in those days to find it interesting. So if you haven't heard the segment, you haven't read the story yet then I encourage you to do so. A lot of people liked it. It got uh, a lot of praise on Twitter. There was actually a story about my story that Haley Hintz wrote, which I appreciated. And uh, even Joe Stapleton. Joe Stapleton. Remember him on uh, Poker Road? He's a comedian. He wasn't much of a poker player, but he was more of a kind of a fringe personality in poker who was uh, a comedian and did a show on Poker Road and a lot of people liked it. Joe Stapleton actually tweeted out this story and said it was really good. So I appreciate that uh, Joe did that. And Joe and I sometimes go back and forth regarding politics. Like, we don't dislike each other. I'm, I'm fine with him. He's fine with me. But you know, we're not friends, and we often disagree politically, and we'll argue back and forth about that. But uh, he did tweet this out and said he really enjoyed it and recommended others read it. It is a long story, but it's always it feels good when you put effort into something like this and you wonder if you wasted your time and then people enjoy it and they praise it and they share it because if this was just ignored if nobody gave a crap or if people said hey why are you putting this out this is from uh, 14 years ago who gives a crap that would have been disappointing that would have felt like a waste of my time so anyway if you haven't seen it yet go back just wanted to mention it and yes it sounds like a brag and it probably is but I don't usually take my ego into this show if you notice like how often do i brag here just about never and that's because this show is not done for publicity this show is not done for money this show is not done to make me feel good about myself it's just something i put out because i want to be able to speak to all of you and i'm happy that you guys want to listen to my opinion about things mostly in poker and gambling but also in other areas and that's why I do the show. It is not really to get praise, and it's definitely not to make money. So when I do get uh, praise, especially from people usually outside of the realm of our normal, normal listener base and forum reading base, then I appreciate it. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend you go do. So moving on here, we're going to do our main story, and that's about Fox Poker. Now, if you heard last week's tale about Fox Poker... And you heard all my warnings, and you heard about all the warning signs about Fox Poker not paying people and making excuses, and I said they're circling the drain and they're going to be gone soon. Well, that was correct, but a lot sooner than I thought it would be. It was actually shut down just days after I did that segment on Poker Fraud Alert last week, when basically nobody was talking about it. I say basically because a few Facebook groups where people were having issues cashing out, they were talking about it, but no, no poker media was talking about Fox Poker, except me. But I wanted everyone to know because I've seen time and time and time again when a site is having trouble and when they're not paying people, it almost never reverses. It almost never ends up with a happy ending where people say, oh, okay, it was a little scary, but they ended up okay. Very rarely does that happen. 
Bet Online was one of the few, by the way. Bet Online several years ago had some payout issues. It looked like they were done, and then they bounced back, and now they're very reliable today. So good for them. But just about every other site I've seen, large and small, when they've had payout issues, even gigantic full tilt, it turned out that they were broke. Because when they're not broke, they can usually demonstrate it. And when payout issues suddenly happen and they can't demonstrate they're not broke, then they're usually broke. So that was the case with Fox, and I know you're not shocked by this, but it became a pretty interesting story. It became more interesting than the typical small poker room shuts down and runs off with everybody's money story, which has happened time and time again in online poker for the past 20 years or so. This one had some more interesting angles to it. So we're going to tell you the rest of the Fox poker story And there may be even more to the story that we don't quite know yet. So I'm going to give you the best coverage of the Fox Poker situation that you're going to find anywhere. You're not going to find better coverage anywhere on the web. I mean, Google it. You'll see stories by poker news outlets that cover it at this point. You'll see discussion on 2 Plus 2. But you're not going to find better coverage and more detailed coverage than what I'm going to give you right now and than what's on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. Because that's what we do here. We try to cover everything and give you all the details. At least all the ones that are relevant and that you're going to probably want to know. On August 31st, which is now a a little bit more than three days ago. We're just into September 4th here. The following was posted by Fox Poker admin Alex Shello. Now, when I say admin, I, I'm not using that as a term for owner. He is not the main owner. I, I don't know what piece he had in this. He was one of the people running it, the main person running it, and the main owner, his name is uh, Andy Trombley, and he actually had the ability to shut the whole thing down. It was basically Andy's site with these other guys uh, working under him. So I don't know exactly what Alex Shello's ownership was, if any, or what his exact title was, but he was an admin on Fox Poker. And this is what he posted on August 31st when Fox Poker disappeared. You could not log into it. In case you're forgetting or didn't hear last week, Fox Poker was a private poker site, which was run out of Andy's home. It's being run on a regular computer. It was run. It's not there anymore. But when it was run, it was on a regular computer. And it runs the Poker Maven software, which is exactly what we run on Poker Fraud Alert. And we demonstrated in February of 2020 that a tool could be bought for Fox Poker that allows the owner and anyone the owner designates to access it the ability to superuse, to be able to see all the whole cards. Now, that's not what happened here, to my knowledge. I don't believe any superusing was done, but that is the room that was running Fox Poker on Poker Maven software on Andy's own computer. So I've always said you can't trust these sites. You can't trust that you won't be super used. It's super easy for the owner of such a site to buy the tool to cheat you. And even if the owner does not cheat you in that way at the table, the owner may just decide to get up and run off with all the money. And you can't trust these owners because they are breaking the law by providing these real money poker rooms to you. They can go to prison for it running this in the U.S. So if you are doing fairly well in life, I'm not even saying you have to be rich. If you're doing decently in life, you'd be dumb to run one of these because you're taking a risk that they're going to bust you and you're going to end up in prison. 
So it's just not a very smart thing to run unless you're desperate for money. And of course, poker players who are desperate for money are very, very hard to trust, even ones that formerly were honest. I once heard someone say that a poker player who is broke is a very dangerous animal. And that's very true, especially financially. They're really, really dangerous financially. You do any deal with someone who is broke in the poker world, good luck to you. You're going to need it. So for that reason, I tell people, do not play on these private poker rooms. There are so many different things that can go wrong. And it can be tempting that the games are soft and that it's easy to get money on and off and that you you deal with directly with an agent that maybe you got to know at a poker room and not just some third world country support that you can't even call. So there's many things that are appealing about these rooms, but the risk is very high that you're never going to get your money. So I always say, stay far away from these. Now, Fox has been around for a few years and people have praised Fox Poker for being relatively scandal-free. Ray Davis once promoted Fox Poker, as I mentioned last week. He had a falling out with them I'm forgetting the details with it. We're going to talk a bit about the accusations made against Ray about their partnership. We'll talk briefly about that. But uh, the person making the accusations, the one who stole the money here. So (laughs) I mean, take that with a huge grain of salt. But anyway, they had some kind of falling out. So Ray is no longer involved. I I, I don't know if the falling out had to do with Ray's issues that he had legally or if they had to do with uh, something different. I think it was something different, but it doesn't really matter that much. Just... This was promoted a lot on Real Grinders at one point. At the time it was being promoted on Real Grinders, there were not any scandals, to my knowledge. At one point, Ray Davis did say that he does not endorse Fox anymore and he's separated from them. But I was never sure if this had to do with him not trusting them anymore or because he had a personal falling out with them. And I still don't know the whole story. I'm sure Ray will give me his side and... uh, Andy Trombley, who runs Fox, uh, briefly gave his side on that one, but I I don't really care that much. It's not that relevant. I'm just mentioning that's where they got some of their players early on. And I don't know how big it was, but as far as the private poker rooms running on that, like, Poker Maven software, it was one of the bigger ones. I never trusted it. I never played on there, never made an account there, never wanted an account there. I never trusted it. I never trusted the people running it. I don't trust any of those rooms. So as I mentioned last week... On the Poker for Breakfast, Poker Number 4 Breakfast Facebook group, that there was a guy complaining about how they were jerking him around since July regarding getting paid, and that he was getting very suspicious. Now, what's funny is that I put out this guy's story last week, and I did not speak negatively of him at all, because he was a victim, and I didn't blame him for what happened, and... I understood all the action he took there, and I understood why he was sharing with the public, which is good. I understood why he was upset about this low cash outs, and that was a very bad sign. Like, everything he wrote was very reasonable. So I did not criticize the guy one bit, and yet he was angry at me for putting out the story here on this show because I didn't have his permission. He said I should have uh, asked his permission, which is kind of weird because he posted it to a fairly large Facebook group called Poker for Breakfast, And I assumed he wanted it out in the public. Now, if he had messaged it to me privately, or if a listener or friend brought the story to me, but it wasn't public yet, of course I would have gone to this guy and asked him, hey, can I put this out there? I'm never going to blow up someone's story that they don't want made public if they were the victim. 
if, if they're the perpetrator, I'm going to blow it up. But if they are the victim, I'm not going to force them out there and make the public aware of it. But the guy posted it on a public group that a lot of people were members of, so I didn't understand why it was a big secret what his name was. Anyway, he was upset with me and said I was being disrespectful. And I told him, no disrespect intended. And in fact, if you go back and listen, I spoke positively of you. And he didn't respond to that other than just saying that he expected better of me, blah, blah, blah. Like, it wasn't a terrible conversation. He just was expressing disappointment in me. But the thing that kind of sucked was that I got banned from Poker for Breakfast by him because he felt that I was disrespectful and that I shouldn't be there anymore. I don't agree with that. They can do what they want. They can ban me if they want. It's their group. He was a moderator there, so I guess it's his right to do. I do wish I wasn't banned now because Poker for Breakfast kind of ties into this scandal a little bit. So that happened before the shutdown of Fox. So they didn't ban me to cover up my discussion of this, but I was banned for kind of a stupid reason. But again, to this guy whose name I won't say, I will be respectful here and not say his name again, but he didn't do anything wrong. And I was not covering him negatively in any way, shape or form. So I, I apologize if you didn't want that out there, but it seemed like you did because you put it in a public group. That was why I did it. Anyway, going on. That was where I got a lot of my information was that Poker 4 Breakfast group. And all that information looks like it was correct. It looks like, like nothing was wrong up there. That was really the warning sign of what was to happen. So here's what Alex Shello posted on August 31st. And remember, he's an admin, I guess now a former admin, former admin on Fox Poker. This is posted on a Facebook group called Three Stacks of High Society, which is a reference to Rounders. And this was the group for Fox Poker. I don't know why it's called that other than the Rounders reference. I don't know what that has to do with Fox Poker, but that was what the group is called. Fox has been shut down effective immediately. Andy has deactivated his personal Facebook account and shut down the site. I'm posting to get our information to all the players who deserve answers. So again, Andy is Andy Trombley, the guy who was running Fox Poker, the main owner of it. Approximately six months ago, Andy started playing on alias accounts. We know these accounts were Grapes15 and Diamond Hands. He was loading the accounts in a manner the other admins were unable to see that chips were being added to the site. In April, cash withdrawals drastically slowed down. We began digging and noticed that Andy influxed... One million dollars. No, more. $1.5 million in chips onto the site. That is shocking. You understand what he's saying here? He's saying that Andy who ran this from his home, just added $1.5 million of chips into his fake accounts there without any money to back it. So the way it normally works on the site is they only add chips to the site when a player buys in. So if a player sends them $500, they give them 500 chips. But what Andy was doing was that he was actually adding chips to these two fake accounts he had, Grapes15 and Diamond Hands, without actually putting money into the site. So these chips were not backed by any funds. And he didn't just do a little bit. He did $1.5 million worth. So they went on to say, 
when the big 2040 games, referring to 2040 No Limit, were going, Andy told the other admins that some new Russian players, of which there were actually a few, were sending large amounts of Bitcoin, which is just one thing that stalled us into looking into things sooner. So what he's saying here is that to explain why there was now so much cash flowing around the site, he said, oh, well, the reason these uh, 2040 games are going and there's all this cash flowing around is because some new Russians have been sending me a ton of Bitcoin to load on a ton of money on the site. And they didn't have visibility into what they're claiming because they claim Andy controlled the account where the Bitcoin was being sent. So they just assumed that these two new guys, uh, Diamond Hands and Grapes15, were really just Russians who sent Andy a ton of Bitcoin to buy in. Not that it was Andy himself who backed it with no money and no Bitcoin. Andy had created more chips without deposits and we had no oversight to prevent these actions. Using logs on the beta site, we ultimately were able to prove that Andy was those alias accounts. Ben, Chris, Barry, and myself had to make a tough decision of what to do. In an effort to ensure as much money ended up being paying out, we kept the site going rather than blow the whistle and shut the site down then and there. Okay, let's, let's stop right there. That's a huge problem. That's exactly what Full Tilt did. That's exactly what Full Tilt did 10 years ago. So let's go back to 2011. Full Tilt had blown through all their money. They blew through all their money on deposit, the player money, that is. The player money on deposit had been blown through. There's almost none left because, number one, they were still paying out the owners of, quote, profits, even though there were no profits. And number two, the bigger reason was that players were depositing and they had no payment processor. So rather than stopping deposits to the site until they got a payment processor, they didn't want to scare anybody. So they just uh, kept taking deposits with no money backing it. Sounds very similar? It is, except it wasn't done by the owner to play himself, but it was done to allow players to redeposit and make everything look okay. This is on Full Tilt 10 years ago. So eventually, the chips that were showing up on Full Tilt were not backed by any real money. Plus, they were spending player money on both uh, distributions to owners to make everything look like it's okay, and also to continue marketing the site. So they blew through about 300 million of player deposits, which is crazy. That was on full tilt. However, when Black Friday came down and they were shut down in April 2011, this was not known, not by the U.S. government, really not by anybody except for the four people on the board of full tilt. So what they elected to do, instead of admitting, oh crap, we have no money to pay anyone, they put up a notice saying your money is safe and uh, we'll be back up shortly. And when they did come back up, they weren't allowing U.S. players because the U.S. government busted them, but they were open to the rest of the world and they were pretending like they still had the money. So what they were hoping was that the site would continue operating and that it would make the money back that had been stolen and that eventually they would be able to pay everybody back who uh, was in the U.S. and that nobody would be the wiser. That was the brilliant plan. Of course, that plan didn't work and they weren't making the money back fast enough and eventually it became clear that the money had been stolen from Full Tilt. But a part of the story that often gets lost is that they were still taking players from the rest of the world. They were still taking deposits from them, making these players falsely believe and intentionally falsely believe that their money was actually backed by real funds and that they weren't uh, basically uh, depositing to get Full Tilt out of their jam. 
So nobody would have deposited to full tilt if they knew that uh, all the chips on the site were no longer backed by any real money. So they were tricked into depositing, believing that all that money is still on deposit. So that's basically what they did here. That Andy Trombley, by injecting $1.5 million of fake chips into the site that played as real chips, that they no longer had the money to cover that. And now there were way more chips on the site than they had dollars to cover it. So rather than admit it and shut it down and, and pay out uh, in a prorated way, whatever money they had left, they just decided to cover it up, let people keep depositing, and hope to get out of this. And that is really, really, really unethical. That is really bad. That is a scam. They are scamming anybody who deposited after they realized this. Now, Andy was a thief, 100%. Andy was a thief. Andy has since admitted to having been a thief. He admitted to having done this. And I'm going to play you a video where he admits this. So that's why I don't have to say allegedly or anything like that. He did it. And he admits he did it. But these other admins, once they realize he did it, whenever this was, they don't say exactly when they figured it out, but they continued taking deposits and they admit this here in order to try to cover this up. So they were taking deposits from people who did not know they were depositing into an insolvent site. Horrible. Okay, let me go on. This is from Alex Shello, remember. He went on to write, I personally sent out over $150,000 in hopes of getting things back on track. Now, that doesn't mean that's his money. He just meant that he was processing withdrawals of $150,000. The last few weeks, things slowed down even more, and everyone could tell that the end was near. The site had to be shut down to prevent further damage to players. Andy was simply given too much power and responsibility. Many of you saw he was around 20 hours a day keeping the site going. He was the only one with server access. He did the accounting for the site, and things just got out of hand. Today, finally, he closed down the site. So, first of all, that's BS. So, look, let's look back here. They just said that the site had to be shut down to prevent further damage to players. That makes it sound like they did it, but no. Andy just took it offline. He abruptly took it offline on August 31st, which it needed to be done, but it was him who decided to do it because he was under too much pressure to pay people out, and it was very clear to him he was never going to get out of this. There's a page asking for a Bitcoin address to receive withdrawals, but right now we have no expectation of recovering money. If we do, they will be dispersed to players in a transparent and fair manner. I'll be turning off comments on this post, but the admins are available to answer further questions via PM. That's kind of dirty, too. Why, why turn off comments? See, you stole from everybody, and now you're not going to let them comment? They have to do it in private? It's a bunch of crap. So then they were directed to... 3stackgaming.com, or as Mason Malmuth would say, www.3stackgaming.com, that's with number three, 3stackgaming.com, to fill out their info for possible payment, even though Alex conceded right there that it's highly unlikely anyone's going to get paid. It's kind of like, hey, give us your info and give us how you'd like to receive the money, and if by some miracle that we have some money to send you, we'll send it, but you're probably getting nothing. Okay, so this is a gigantic mess. Let's discuss this. <laughs> I've already discussed it somewhat, but let me continue discussing this. So, obviously, uh, Andy Trombley is a thief. Andy Trombley was in charge of everything. They were saying that they had no visibility, that he just basically ran everything, and he made it difficult for them to even see that he was injecting these chips onto the site, which I think is true, by the way. But basically, he almost ran the entire show. Yes, they were admins. Yes, they had some power. But there was almost no oversight of him. And it took a long time for them to figure out what he was pulling. 
So this is exactly what I mean. This is why you don't trust these sites. And by the way, you know, Andy Trombley seemed okay prior to this, but look what happened. Look, look where we are today. The money's gone. He inserted $1.5 million in fake chips so he could play high-stakes poker, and he lost it. So look where we are. That's why. Do you want to play on a site run by someone like Andy Trombley or anyone else like him? Because these people are degenerates. These people are often near broke. And when things start to not go well for them, they're sitting on all this money, all these player deposits, that it's just very tempting for them to misbehave. And this is often how it ends. You don't just trust some dude who runs an illegal poker site out of his garage. It's, it's not a good idea. This is what happens. I don't want to be like the I told you so guy, but... I told you so. So that's very, very true here. That's exactly what the situation is. Andrew Trouble is 31 years old. He lives in Michigan. His address has been posted around the internet. I actually see uh, two different addresses, but whatever. He's in uh, Grayling, Michigan. I'm not going to post his address here on this show, but uh, someone posted it on Poker Fraud Alert and... I'm not going to redact it. I mean, he he admitted he's a scammer, so whatever. I, I don't think he deserves any protection. He stole $1.5 million, so <laughs> from a small poker site. That's that's You steal $1.5 million from a site like Fox Poker, and it's pretty much done. So he hurt a lot of people. I do believe this was fueled by degeneracy rather than evil, but still, it was an evil act that was committed in the name of degeneracy, which is still an evil act and harmed a lot of people. So I don't feel he deserves any protection. If people are sharing his address, I I understand it. (laughs) It makes sense. Anyway, I'm going to play his commentary about this, about what he did. And he released a 32-minute video the 32-minute video was mostly rambling, and he speaks very slowly, and he was pausing, and he was stuttering. So he even admitted there he's not a very good speaker, which he isn't. So, what I did, I, I, this is what I do for you guys, okay? In case you think I just get on here and ramble, no. I do the work beforehand, so the show sounds presentable. So, I actually uh, put my time into listening to this entire 32-minute video, which was tough. It really dragged at some points, and I found the highlights that I'm going to be playing to you. So this way, we can stick to the good stuff and skip past the BS. There's a number of good nuggets in there that I want to play to you. But this video admits responsibility. I'll give him that. He doesn't deny what he did. He owns up that he did this and owns up to the fact that it's wrong. However, It looks like the main point of the video is to drag others down with him because it seems like it's bothering him that he is taking the entire fall for this. He doesn't want to have his rep ruined. He doesn't want to have all the fallout and the consequence from this, which it's undetermined right now what that's eventually going to be. But whatever it is, uh, it's not going to be good. And he does not want to be the only one because he feels others are guilty. And you know what? In that, I agree with him. 
He is the main one at fault here, but there are others at fault, as I've already alluded to. So I'm going to play you his takes on this, and I'll give you my reaction. And then I'll give you my reaction regarding just, in general, how I feel about him and what he did. Obviously, I don't feel good about him. I feel that he's a thief. I feel he belongs in prison for what he did. But I'll give you my full take on this. Also, on a side note, before we play it, I want to tell you a little side note before we get going with the video. In February 2020, as I mentioned, we discovered that the Poker Maven software had add-ons that you could purchase, purchase in the black market, to be able to super use. Now, you couldn't purchase these as a player. You could purchase these as an operator of a Maven site. So if you buy them as a player, it'll be useless. But this is something you add on as the guy who runs the Poker Maven site. And then you and anyone else that you want to give access to can see everyone's whole cards in real time. And you can play just like a super user, just like Russ Hamilton, just like Scott Tom, just like AJ Green, just like all those famous super users of the 2000s. Now, you can be one, too, if you're running a Poker Maven site. And I saw this demonstrated for me. I was invited to go try it because someone erroneously believed that I ran a Poker Maven site for money, one that takes rake. They didn't understand that this is for free rolls. So they thought I might be interested. And this person didn't realize that, that Poker Fraud Alert is not the site that would be uh, running such a thing. That when we're calling out frauds, we're not going to defraud people. Also, we only have a free roll, so we wouldn't really be able to steal the money anyway. There's nothing to steal. But that person didn't understand all that. So they said, hey, would you like this tool? Because they wanted me to buy it. So, of course, I feigned interest at him give me a demonstration of how it works, and it worked. Like, I, I tried it on that guy's Poker Mavens, and he was able to see all my cards. So it worked, and I took screenshots, and I posted those screenshots. And then, eventually, I got to communicate with the developer of this tool. And we had him on this show. It was a kid from Lebanon. The guy was, like, 20 years old. He was Lebanese. He actually lived in Lebanon. And it was an interesting interview. We also had the Poker Mavens author, the guy who wrote the software, this Ken Briggs, he came on and he explained from his point of view how he felt about that. And he admitted, yes, this exploit probably exists, but this could be written for any software. And he was right that basically anyone who runs poker software, you have to trust them first and foremost. You have to trust them more than the software because even if the software is great, there can always be exploits written for it that allows bad things to happen. And he was correct. Now, the one thing about Poker Mavens is that an exploit's already there, so you don't have to be that technical to install and run the exploit, whereas something where an exploit is not written yet, you have to have the ability to do so, which most people don't have. So it does make Poker Mavens less trustworthy as a player on a site that's running real money because the this uh, super user program, this uh, exploit, this add-on that allows the owner of the room to see all your whole cards, that's already something he can purchase and make the money back real fast because he can cheat you. So that's why I said, especially if it's a Poker Mavens room, that you should not play. And I talked about all Poker Mavens rooms, not just Fox Poker. Anyway, this actually panicked Andrew Trombley back in February 2020. And he made a very long post on February 6, 2020 about the Poker Fraud Alert story. It started out with, today a post came out on the Poker Fraud Alert forum about Poker Maven software. The post alleges there's a program that exists 
that if installed on the server of a Maven's face site will allow the administrator of the server to actively see whole cards of players, i.e. a super user hack. So anyway, he went on to describe the whole thing. He went on to describe uh, Ken Briggs' response. He went on to talk about how they are... Uh, not going to ever do this, that you can trust them, blah, blah, blah. Now, I will say that he probably never had this tool. In fact, it's surprising he never got this tool. Maybe he didn't know where to find it because he was in a desperate situation where you think he probably would have just outright cheated and stolen if he could. But uh, somehow, the, you know, the fact that he put on 1.5 million in phantom chips and then lost them all shows that he wasn't cheating. <laughs> At the very least, it shows that. So he never installed this, but maybe he couldn't find it. I don't know. That's the part that surprises me the most because he was aware of it because he made a long post about this back in February 2020, mentioning the expose on Poker Fraud Alert and trying to assure everybody that this is not going to be a problem over on Fox Poker, that you can trust them. I'm not going to read you the whole post because it's kind of old news now, but I'll read you the end. He says, uh, final bullet points. This changes nothing in terms of our effort for security, collusion prevention, etc. The admin team is aware of the post and we're discussing options. These options include continuing what we're doing or uh, avoiding the potential drama of suspicion and switching software to alleviate concerns with mavens. There's only one person with a password for the main server and it's me, he says, which ended up being a big problem. <laughs> if you can trust that, no, we can't. We're golden. No, but we're not golden. If you cannot... Comment or PM me, and I will work to change your mind. Well, I don't think you worked hard enough. There absolutely will never be nefarious sites that attempt to use this hack. It is not a feature of the software. It is a program they made to do one of the things the developer said in his comment, debuggers, memory scanners, packet sniffers, and other refers engineering tools. Well, I, I mean, I, I'll give him credit for not installing this, this add-on, but obviously him being the only one with access to the server was what brought the site down in a different way. So it's interesting that he was very concerned about the site's reputation because of Poker Fraud Alert back in February 2020. And he mentioned us several times in this post, not in any kind of negative way. Like, he never said we were wrong. He never said that we're full of crap or that uh, we're saying things that are, you know, not that we're exaggerating or that we're doing anything bad, but... He was alarmed by it. He was afraid that the users aren't going to want to play there anymore. So he was very worried about Poker Fraud Alert's impact on his business. Of course, if people stayed away back in February 2020, then a lot of them would be saving money today. Even though this wasn't specifically about Fox. It was about any room running Poker Mavens. So I'm going to play you his... or the clips of his 32-minute video. I'm going to stop it every so often in comment. And it's pretty amazing. How often does someone steal 1.5 million and then just put out a YouTube video admitting they did the whole thing? I'm surprised he did this because this could be used against him criminally one day. I'm really surprised he put it out there. In fact, just in case it ever goes down, right now it's currently up on a third party's channel, not controlled by him. But just in case it ever disappears for any reason, I've saved a copy and I will put it back up. So we're not going to lose... Andy Trombley's confession that he stole $1.5 million from Fox Poker. So I'm going to skip to the three-minute, ten-second mark. That's where the interesting stuff starts. So, first thing um, is, you know, I didn't, I didn't run off with 
with anyone's money. I fucking degened it, you know, fake, fake, you know, non-deposited money credited, you know, to myself. Um, I, I don't have a good explanation for that. Uh, I got, I don't know if, you know, I didn't, didn't really have anything going on in my life or, you know, I don't have something like that to blame. Let me stop it right here so you can already hear that he's struggling to talk here. I don't think this is an act, by the way. You're going to hear he sounds very sullen, very depressed, very down. At some points, he actually stops the video and continues saying, hey, I've got to stop this for a second. He's like on the verge of tears the entire time. And while there are sociopaths out there that will feign uh, remorse, I actually think this is real. And I'm not making any excuses for him. And I'm not saying this absolves him of responsibility i'm saying in my opinion that this is actually real remorse and he is very upset i think more about the consequence on him than what he did to others but i do think he like really 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 feels like shit right now and that's part of the reason he's so slow in this video and sounds so down by the way that in the background that is a fan he has running so Tip to anyone making videos on YouTube where you're making some kind of statement or speech, don't run fans in the background. Don't run anything that makes noise. Even if it's hot there, just turn it off while you're doing it because you end up with poor sound quality. So especially when I have to turn it up so you guys can hear it loud enough because he's very soft on there, you hear the fan louder, and that's just the way it is. It's not on my end, so let's go on. Um, I... But at some point, I just got, like, I got too deep, and then I got deeper because I thought I could get out of the, the first deepness. Um, so that was bad, obviously, you know, obviously, but it, it was bad. Um, wrong. Um, so... That kind of, you know, that culminated in line with um, with Adam Willis leaving, uh, including uh, him leaving with about $120,000 tab, $120,000 tab. Let me stop this right here. So Adam Willis was one of the other admins on there. And this is a little confusing to me. There were a number of admins there. I don't know exactly what their role was, and I don't know how Adam Willis, who's one of the admins, was able to leave with a, quote, $120,000 tab unless he was playing on credit. I guess it's possible that Andy was allowing him to play on credit and was giving him chips without him uh, backing with anything. So different than Andy secretly loading chips onto two fake accounts, but it's possible he let Adam play on credit and then Adam skipped out. Now, I've never heard of Adam Willis before. Someone even suggested to me privately that what if Adam Willis isn't real and Adam Willis was another identity of Andy Trombley? Possible? Yes. Do I have any proof? No. Do I think that's the case? Uh, I I don't really have an opinion on that yet because I haven't seen anything either way. I don't know anyone who knows Adam Willis, but then again, he could be real. He had a Facebook page, but that doesn't mean much. 
could easily be fake, so who knows. But whatever it is, is Adam Willis, who was one of the admins, who played there as A-dub, A underscore dub, he says, left the site owing them 120000 and that was one of the daggers that killed Fox Poker in addition to what he had done. Now, he's not saying that's the main reason. Remember, Andy loaded $1.5 million on there and lost it all. And then, obviously, they could not back that $1.5 million with actual cash outs. But he's saying this was worsened by Adam Willis losing another one twenty k that he just ran off and wouldn't pay. Uh, before we continue here, let me read you some of the admins here. I don't know if this is a complete list, but these are some of the names I have that are said to have been admins on Fox Poker in addition to Andy. So we have Alex Shello, the guy who posted that message I read to you announcing that the site was down and blaming Andy. He played as Rivered You Bad. Benjamin Kyle, who played as Jack's Attacks 19. Chris Audrain, who played as Sea Sizzle. Barry Boom. I don't know if Barry Boom is his real name. If it is, it's kind of a cool name, Barry Boom. But uh, Barry Boom, may or may not be his real name, played as Boom. Not a very creative uh, screen name if your name's Barry Boom, but his name was Boom on there. Dante Hamilton played as D-Nice005. And then Adam Willis, as I mentioned, played as A-Dub. There may have been others, but that's the list I have at the moment. So he's claiming that Adam Willis ran off with 120K, and that made things even worse. Um, and once, once the Diamond Hands thing was figured out, um, it... I'm going gonna, gonna to pause this for a second. Yeah. So yeah, he actually paused it. He was kind of stumbling for words. Diamond Hands, if you remember, was one of the two accounts that he loaded that was supposedly a Russian, but it was really him. And he said he degended away, and then he, he actually paused the video because he couldn't continue talking. So I think what he was trying to say is, I have to pause the video because I'm too emotional and I can't continue to talk about this. Let me pause this. Let me have a good cry, and I'm going to come back. And again, I think this is real. I don't think this is for show. Okay. Um, so the so Adam 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 Willis leaving with with his 120k tab um, happened. You know the timing was so where my my credit losses uh, to the big to the big players. Um, you know. It had an effect. It started having an effect on withdrawals, uh, probably in May, I guess. Let me stop this again. So to quickly recap, he said at the beginning of what I played you that he didn't run off with everybody's money and that he doesn't have it. I believe it. 100% believe that, that there just isn't money anymore. I, I guess it's a tiny, tiny chance that this is all an act and he actually just kept the money. But I believe he lost. I believe that's why these games are going so often. It was just he wasn't as good as the Russians and the other high-stakes players on Fox Poker. He couldn't compete. He was the fish in the game. They kept clobbering him, and they loved playing this game day and night because he was constantly there dumping money because he sucked. So $1.5 million was won at 2040 No Limit Hold'em, which, as you can imagine, would take a long time. And I think he was left with nothing. And then he's saying it's starting to affect withdrawals because what happened is there was a huge influx of chips to Fox Poker 
And of course, the people winning want to withdraw the money they've won, all this new money they think they've won. So they start withdrawing. And at first, they can cover those withdrawals, but then quickly the site runs out of money. And then they're having trouble paying. And the other admins are probably coming to Andy saying, hey, uh, you know, that Bitcoin you were sent by the Russians, it, it's time to put that in play here and uh, and start sending it out because we need it now. We've, we've exhausted our withdrawals. And then uh, at that point, the whole thing came out. And he's claiming in May is when the withdrawal problem started. So May was quite some time ago. We're currently in September. And the site got shut down on August 31st. So over three months went by where it looks like the admins knew what was going on. Um, and when all the admins were made aware of it, um, you know, Chris, Alex, Ben, uh, Barry, um, you know, the, the thought at the time, or the, the plan-ish, at the time was we can fix it um we can turn it around blah 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 um obviously not um but so adam leaving right when you know right after i did this um the timing was pretty bad now again it's not clear whether adam ran off because he realized this had happened and he's like, you know, I owe 120K. I'm not going to pay it. We have the main owner stealing 1.5 million. So screw you guys. I'm stealing 120,000. Like, I think that's what happened. He said, I'm not paying this back. And he probably justified it in his head if Adam Willis is a real person. But if he is a real person, he probably justified it in his head that why should he pay back 120,000, which is going to be used to pay back players for what... Uh, Andy Trombley did. Why should he bail out Andy Trombley with his 120K? I bet that's how he rationalized it in his mind if this really happened and if he is a real person. I think this might be true, but whatever. Uh, obviously, the main fault lies with Andy, and even if uh, Adam Willis hadn't run off with his 120K, even if this is made up and didn't happen, uh, that's still less than 10% of what was stolen by Andy and would not have made much of an impact in the situation. But he's saying, yeah, this doesn't help that this happened right after this was realized that he had stolen 1.5 million like this, that Adam then ran off and never paid back his 120K. The reason he's putting this out there, it's very clear. And he actually states this a little later in the video. The reason he's putting this out there is he wants the others to be seen as culpable or close to as culpable as he is. So he's saying that he and Alex Shello and Benjamin Kyle and Chris Audrain and Barry Boom, they got together and they decided they're going to continue running the site and pretend like everything's fine, hope the deposits keep flowing in and that they can get their way out of it. So they can lie to people and get them to keep depositing, believing that the chips on the site are backed by real money on deposit when they are not. And that is a scam. Even if it has the noble intention of saving the site and eventually getting everyone paid, you cannot trick people like this. You cannot use the players to bail you out of your mistakes or the mistakes of your business partners. You can't do that. It is a scam. So if what Andy's saying is true, which it looks like it probably is because in Alex, Alex's statement, they admitted they did this, then 
they're guilty too. They deserve shame as well. Not as much as Andy, but they deserve plenty of shame, and they also scammed. Um, you know, I guess... Fuck. So, so he stopped it. Did you hear that? He said, I, I guess... Fuck. And then he stopped it. And then he said, all right, when he restarted it. So we don't know how much time is in between there because the video stops and restarts and you can see it jumps like he pressed the button to stop it and he restarted it. It could have been 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, half an hour later, who knows? But he has to keep taking these breaks to even get all this out. And it looks very sincere. If it isn't, then I have a way for Mr. Trombley to make all this money back. He should go into acting because he'd be one of the world's best actors. This would be a tremendous acting job if this is not really him being very upset about this story. He can barely talk about it. I guess, you know, why I bring that up or, or why I mention uh, the admins, all the admins' plans specifically is that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't unknown by anyone um, at that point. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are, are trying to wash, wash their hands of it, which I get, obviously. But, um... But to me, you know, the, the responsibility of, of the, the rest of the balances and, the, and paying people out and whatever, um, that's, still, that, that's still a responsibility. I don't, I don't think it's something that will, will go, would go away easily, um, you know, where... I think some of them, some of the others hoped or hope that, you know, the heat dies down enough to where, you know, they're not getting death threats anymore. Ah, there we go. Okay, so that's the reason for this video. That's the main reason for this video, is that he's been threatened, which I'm sure he has. I'm sure after stealing that type of money, that, and since he's easy to find, his address is right there, and I, I think people found his phone number and whatever, I, I think people were threatening him. I believe it. So he's getting these death threats. He's scared. He, he knows his reputation is forever going to be trash. He knows this is going to have a major impact on his life. And by the way, this guy is married and has kids. So he's, he's looking at his future and just going, oh my God, my life is collapsing. And he is resentful that these other guys who are his partners in crime, he's alleging, are going to walk away and that he is going to be the only face of the scandal. And he doesn't want that. He, he wants them to suffer along with him because they went along with him with lying to everybody for months to try to get deposits back in there and fix this whole thing. So yes, they were doing it to fix his mistake, but he's saying, look, they lied to you too. They cheated you too. So I'm afraid that after a little time passes, Everyone's going to forget their role in this, and they're going to be able to exist in a normal fashion in the poker world. No one's going to hassle them. No one's going to threaten them. No one's going to demand they pay the money back. It's going to believe to be all of his debt and all of his fault, and this pisses him off. He wants them to, he wants them to stay on the ship with him as it sinks. And you know what? If what he's saying is true, and in my opinion it probably is, I don't blame him for feeling this way. None of them have a responsibility anywhere near 
what he should have here. Not even close. And he doesn't really state that directly. But you can't say that by them encouraging people to keep depositing over those few months that they're just as bad as him who stole the money in the first place. I mean, they were trying to fix his mistake on the backs of the players, but they were trying to fix his mistake, his theft. But I can understand where it would bother him to see them walk away blameless or mostly blameless because they committed a pretty bad offense as well, though not quite as bad as his. Um, they're not getting, you know, tagged and scam posts and, and that type of shit. Um, which, you know, probably would happen eventually, you know, enough, it dies down enough and, and whatever. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I just don't want to. Um, so... Okay, so I'm going to stop here. Then we're going to skip to a different uh, part of the video. I think he's also right that they will get forgiven, that these others are not going to have their name permanently marred in the poker world because you have someone who was the main perpetrator. And while it's understandable that he's annoyed by this, he really needs to look at it like he was the main perpetrator. He was the reason this all happened that they probably could have absorbed Adam Willis running off with 120K if that's what happened. But with the amount that he stole, that killed the site. And these others were accessories after the fact, basically. It's kind of the equivalent of, uh, let's say, you murder someone, and then afterwards you get your friends to try to cover up the murder. Your friends helping you cover up the murder are definitely committing a crime. Your friends helping you cover up the murder are definitely unethical. But you are the murderer. You're by far the worst criminal in that situation. So this is the equivalent of that from a financial standpoint, that he murdered the site by stealing $1.5 million in the way he did. Now, he did appear to have stolen it just because he was a degenerate who could not accept the fact that he couldn't beat the high-stakes players in that 2040 game. So he just uh, kept injecting chips that he could not back with real money and effectively stole $1.5 million from the site, but he basically stole it to lose it. He stole this to attempt to chase losses. He wasn't trying to lose it, but he stole it to attempt to chase losses. And when he lost it all, then the whole thing came crashing down. So he walked away with nothing, but unfortunately, the players were left holding the bag because there were all these chips now on the site that uh, were not backed by money anymore. And probably these winners in that game withdrew what was remaining of the funds on the site until they realized what was going on. So there's probably almost nothing left, and that is what sunk the whole thing. That's probably why the payments were so slow in the final two months before the whole thing went down. So we're going to move on here to the next uh, part of the video that I think is of interest. I'm going to move to the 16-minute and 10-second mark. We get to a different uh, topic related to all of this. You know, I know some people, or most people, I guess, probably think we should have shut down way back uh, in April or, or May. And morally, definitely true. You know, definitely, definitely that's true. Um, I, um, 
selectively made to not do that. Yeah. By the way, the noise in the background increased, as you can hear. <laughs> Again, nothing I can do. But he's talking about how in April or May that the right thing to do was to have shut it down. Yes. When there's no more money on deposit, no matter whose fault it is, you shut it down unless you're honest with everybody under which circumstances you're operating. You can't just pretend everything's fine after you've stolen all the player money. And um, so we, you know, we collectively kind of collectively tried to save it. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what happened with that part. Um, pause this real quick one more time. So finally, you know, why I even bring all that up, that part up, is that, you know, I believe, it's not just believe, it's just a fact that, you know, while, while I was responsible for, for doing, for doing the, the credit on myself and, and fucking DJing and getting into a fucking hole, um, I didn't, you know, the people who, the, you know, the four other people that were capable of doing checks and balances uh, and watching for red flags and just keeping track of anything uh, just didn't. No, no. You know? <laughs> That's a terrible point. It's a terrible point. I, I was kind of with you up till now regarding the other people having responsibility. Th- this is a terrible point that... He's saying that the other people have some fault because their job was to watch him more carefully and they didn't watch him very well. (laughs) What? You're mad at the other people because they didn't stop you from committing a crime. No, that's not how it works. Not how it works. By the way, it looked like that uh, you took all the visibility away from them. You even said so back in February 2020. There's only one person with server access. That's you. You said this. So I don't blame them for that part. I don't blame them for the lack of ability to have visibility into you because that was your decision and they kind of had to go along with it from what I can tell. So that's, that's a really bad point on your part. That is where it's not their fault. Where it is their fault somewhat is to help you with the cover-up to let the site keep operating. You should have stuck to that. That's a horrible point. He looks like he's trying to find any way to blame them in addition to himself. He's not absolving himself of blame. It's very clear. And also, notice he's not denying the 1.5 million figure. He's not saying, well, they're saying it's 1.5 million, but it it was actually only about uh, 300,000. They're exaggerating. No, no. He's not saying that. He's he's not even beginning to try to dispute that 1.5 million figure. So I think that figure is probably correct. And that is what killed the site. That was you, Andy. They were unethical how they tried to fix it, but that was you who stole the money and killed the site. And, um, you know, I don't, I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty fucking obvious that I did everything, you know, on, uh, in terms of, of, um, handling players and handling the tournaments and, and, uh, you know, getting trying to get people in and blah blah blah. Um, you know, but I was also uh, 
responsible for um, doing rate back and doing um, the accounting. Who cares? Why does it matter at this point? You, you stole the money. <laughs> that overrules anything good you did. I believe you put a lot of time into this site. I believe you were probably on this site all day and all night, both administrating it and eventually stealing from it. But I believe that, yes, you put a lot of work into it. Yes, you probably did more work on the site than all these other people. In fact, you probably did more work on it than several of them combined. But you can't brag about it at this point because the end result was you stole all the money. (laughs) So I don't see why you're even bringing up how much time you put into giving people a rake back and all this other crap. It's inconsequential to this entire situation. No one's alleging that you were lazy and did nothing for the site. They're alleging that it was the opposite. You were living and breathing the site and eventually stole from it. And because you had so much access and nobody else did, that was why you got away with it for as long as you did and stole as much as you did. Okay, so we're going to move forward again. We're going to move forward to the 2248 mark. Now, this is interesting because he's actually telling you not to charge back on PayPal. And he makes actually a decent case for why you shouldn't. And you may be saying, what? If people could charge this back on PayPal, why, why, why? Would there be a reason not to? Well, here's why he says not to. I also wanted to say, you know, the people that aren't, the people that aren't responsible at all are, are people that um, we had handling the accounts, you know, uh, Katie, for one, um, Anthony, uh, Kately, um, they have, they have nothing, to, nothing to do with it. Um, and they don't, they never shared in decision making, they never shared in any, any information. All they did was get paid 500 bucks, uh, 500, 600 bucks a month to do those things for us to, to send and, and to receive um, because our accounts were shut down already from, from overactivity and that type of stuff. So, like, obviously you guys don't owe me shit, you know, I get that, but I would really, uh, you know, if you, ch- if you charge back on them, it's... It's fucked up. It is. No, it's not fucked up, but I, I understand his point here. However, I still say you can charge back if you want and you can't feel bad. He's claiming that these other people like uh, Katie and Anthony, whoever they are, I don't know who Katie and Anthony are, but that basically they got some people who were willing to send out these uh, PayPal payments and take deposits because their PayPal accounts had gotten shut down for too much activity. And I had always wondered about this, too. I always wondered how these sites can pay you out without getting accounts shut down like on PayPal because they're just having too much money come in back and forth. And I've always wondered that, and here's the answer. They couldn't. So at first they could pay you on PayPal. Then they got their PayPals shut down. Then they hired other people for what he said was five or $600 a month to send out those funds. So they get money to these people in some way, Katie and Anthony, and then they would send out the funds and they'd also receive funds. These people were like uh, the recipients and the distributors of the deposits and cash outs. And he's saying, don't charge back on them. If you've deposited, 
don't charge back against Katie and Anthony, whoever else processed your deposit, because what you're going to do is you're going to screw them. They had no idea this was going on. They weren't part of the decisions to keep it going when I had stolen the money because they didn't realize it. These guys were they were pretty much like contract employees that we hired to do these PayPal payments on their own accounts. So please don't victimize them. They had nothing to do with this. So I kind of understand that logic because I do believe these people were victims of Andy's as much as the players were. So that charging back will victimize them and not Andy or the other admins. However, the bottom line is these people received five or $600 to process these cash outs. And the responsibility was theirs to know that they are processing deposits and cash outs for what could be a scam or what could what is definitely illegal. They were definitely taking risks and they were taking money to take these risks. Not a lot of money. They're getting five or 600 a month, which I think is a big mistake to possibly go to prison for doing something like this and also be subject to chargebacks, of course. But the bottom line is these people accepted this money to do this and they took the risk that something might go bad. So number one, honestly, everything they were paid uh, I would think should go to the players at this point. So you can't even feel that bad. Like, let's say, let's just, I'm going to make this up. Let's say Katie was working for them for four months. She was probably working longer than four months. But let's, let's say she was working for four months being paid 600 each. That means she made $2,400. So if you guys charge back and take that $2,400 back from her, that's fine. Because uh, really it was your money that was being paid to her when it shouldn't have been. So I understand why Katie would be upset about this. And I, I have to imagine that Katie and Anthony and the rest of them probably contacted him and said, what the fuck? We're going to get all these chargebacks. They probably are getting chargebacks and they were probably very upset. And he's probably like, look, I'm going to come out there and say it's my fault and don't go after you guys. And I understand his point and I believe him and I believe that these processors didn't know. But at the same time, they were taking this risk. The players, they took a risk too, but not as big of a risk. These players, uh, if they want to charge back against whoever processed their deposit on what was a scam site at that point, then they can. And anybody who's left holding the bag, it's tough luck on them for getting involved with this. It's too bad. I'm not saying that uh, these people necessarily deserve bad things to happen to them. But at, at the same time, if I have to choose between the players and Katie and Anthony taking the hit financially for this, I'm going to side with the players. So, Go ahead and charge back to your heart's content. It is not fucked up. Even though I understand his point, and if you feel bad for Katie and Anthony, then don't. But if you do charge back, I don't think you're a bad person. I don't think you're fucked up, as Andy says. In fact, the most fucked up person here by a very wide margin is Andy Trombley himself. I know it's all fucked up. I, I know that. Yeah, it is. Um, but they don't have that money. They, they really don't. They don't. Like, they're just... They're just normal people, you know? And, um, so, please don't charge back on them. Okay, that's one other thing. If you charge back on PayPal to Katie and Anthony, um, all you can get from them is whatever is in their bank account. So, if Katie and Anthony don't have very much, then the chargeback's not going to (laughs) work. It's just going to run into no funds and you're not going to get the money. So, it's not like they're going to end up having to uh, pay a million dollars to get back on their feet. Just whatever they have in their bank account. If these are like people who don't have much, then you're not going to take much back from them. They're prob- they probably already spent the money. My guess is they probably have very little. They probably have less than they were paid 
to do all this. So that's another thing. You're you're not uh, taking it all back from these innocent people. Because um, it's going to, you know, and I realize that that falls back on us. It falls back on me. I know that already. Um, if, if they have major inconveniences from this, I, I you know, I get that. Um, but I don't want it. And I feel like most 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 of you I feel like will get that um, and and know that they didn't do anything wrong uh, so they you know they don't need their uh, you know their stuff fucked with um, just checking I'm sure I missed some stuff um, you know I guess I, I guess you know, I want to say that I, I, you know, I am sorry um, that it that it went down like it did, and that it was that it even happened. Um, and for the people that were misled, uh, not intentionally. Um, but, you know, it just fucking snowballed, you know. Um, everything kind of happened back in, back in April, May, all at once, and then, I don't know. So, you know, I know, I know a lot of the others are trying to distance themselves, you know. <laughs> you know, Chris, uh, Chris fucking says that Rastastic isn't a sister group to Fox anymore, that type of stuff. And, well, he was never, it was never a sister group. Chris was an admin. Chris was a decision maker. Chris, you know, so, you know, it's not, it's not, it's ridiculous to, to say that you are absolved of any responsibility. Um, it's, uh, it's just not right to say and to try to Try to cop out. Um, yeah, so you see he's already, again, going back to lashing out at those who he thinks are going to get away with this whole situation without any kind of real blame placed upon them. So he's saying that this Chris Audrain guy, that he's in some other Facebook group saying he's disassociated with Fox Poker now, and he's saying, look, you were an admin here. You were part of all this, and I don't like how you're trying to distance yourself now. It's not fair to me. So he's, he's very stuck on that. That's the main reason for this video. Now he's going to go into Ray Davis and poker for breakfast. And he's going to talk some trash about one and defend the other. So let's hear what he has to say about Ray Davis and poker for breakfast. And he's going to make an accusation against Ray Davis. Not about this particular situation, but something he claims Ray did. A couple other... Just random, random things I've seen. Um, uh, you know, I know Ray Davis is, you know, having a field day. Um, I don't give. I don't. I, fuck that dude. You know, he uh, he stole twenty five k from us. Still owes twenty five k to us. Uh, lost kids. So. I just, you know, he can say whatever the hell he wants, dude. But if you if you uh, buy into the hype train, that is him. Oh, I, that was 
that's why I even wrote him down was was that you know he has these he obviously was right on some certain things uh, with with going under but he has some insane insane views on on who was involved and who uh, you know you know the P4B poker for breakfast guys had nothing to do with anything uh, they don't owe anybody anything um, Okay, let me stop you. This is where it starts to get a little blurry and difficult to unravel of who also has responsibility and also going forward might be starting other sites and how much connection they had to Fox Poker. So let's talk about Poker for Breakfast. First of all, interesting that uh, he claims Ray Davis owed them 25K. I've never heard that accusation before, but he claims that when they split that Ray owed them 25K and he still owes them 25K and that they're pissed at him for that. So who knows the story there? Uh, who do I think is right? I have no idea. I mean, we, we have a guy who stole $1.5 million from the site. So, I mean, to say, oh, Ray's a piece of shit for stealing twenty-five k, it's a little hard to take this guy's word for it that Ray stole twenty-five k. Now, maybe Ray did steal twenty-five k, and Andy stole $1.5 million. I don't know. Maybe they both stole. But, uh, you know, anything that is alleged by Andy here who knows what's true. They definitely had some kind of falling out. And I believe Andy probably thinks that Ray owes them 25K. But who knows? I don't know the details of that. I'm not going to try to guess at it, and it's a drop in the bucket compared to everything else that happened. But he is saying that Ray is going around and making a lot of accusations against others that are not fair and that aren't correct. And he mentioned Poker for Breakfast, which he says Ray is blaming in part for this. And I have seen those same accusations from Ray on the Real Grinders group. He's been doing it. Ray sent me a message telling me to watch out for poker for breakfast, that uh, they're moving on to another scam, that they were involved in this. Ray hates poker for breakfast. I'm not sure why, but he has some issue with them. And he has been pressing the narrative that poker for breakfast basically was partnered up with Fox Poker, and now that Fox has come crashing down, that they're promoting another site that's basically the same people minus Andy starting another site and trying to move past this, and you can't trust any of them. You can't trust Poker for Breakfast. You can't trust this new site. You can't trust any of those those admins who used to be on Fox. So Ray has been going off about this, and Andy's trying to say Poker for Breakfast is not guilty at all. They had nothing to do with this, and don't blame them. And he's claiming that the reason he's calling out Ray is that Ray has a lot of conspiracy theories about who was involved in this when these others really were not. And this becomes kind of tough to figure out who's telling the truth here. So here's what Poker for Breakfast posted on their group. I was sent this by somebody else. I can't access the group anymore since I was kicked out. But it says, this is a non-drama Facebook group with a great poker community who posts their success all over the map. Yeah, except uh, I'm not part of that community anymore. They, they threw me out for a dumb reason. We enjoy hand histories and rooting for each other's successes. The group isn't here for Facebook wars with any other groups. We at Poker for Breakfast, Tristan, Daniel, Shane, and Ray, would never lie, cheat, steal from anyone, but we continue to get harassed and disrespected from one person with an audience, referring to Ray Davis, of course. I'll clear this up easily. Did we do business with Fox Poker? Yes, no question. Fox Early Mega, Fox Mega, I don't know, these must have been tournaments they ran on Fox. 
We also had a mixed game tourney once a week. We had zero access to accounts or player funds. So to say we had anything to do with the Fox scandal is just incorrect. Okay, let me stop there. I believe them. I think they're right about that. Even though I shouldn't have been kicked out, I do believe that they did not have any visibility to what was going on. And I do believe that you can't blame them for this scandal. Uh, Did they push playing on Fox Poker? Yes. Is it possible that the new site that they're pushing now, which I'll get to after we're done with this video, has some connection to some of the former admins there on Fox Poker? Possible. I don't know. I could say maybe. I don't have any concrete info or proof. Ray is alleging this. Ray Davis is alleging this. But I don't blame some of you for not trusting Ray Davis at this point. I definitely don't blame any of you for not trusting anyone associated with Fox Poker at this point. So who knows? Who knows? But uh, I'll, I'll get into the allegations of the new two new sites that have sprung up that Ray is claiming have to do with Fox Poker in some way. Not that Andy's running them, but that uh, others who are involved with it are involved in running. So that is uh, what he had to say about poker for breakfast. So Andy's saying, don't blame po- poker for breakfast for this, and Ray is full of crap is basically what he's saying. The, uh, oh, Richard Boyd did, uh, you know, no offense to Richard, but I, there was never a chance he was getting hired for Fox. Um, so that stuff is just, you know, that's... That's the, the hype train of, of drama. Um, I'm sure there's there's things I've forgotten to say or, or mention, but we're hitting 30 minutes. So what I'm going to do is going to skip a little bit more, about a minute and a half up to 29.35. Then we're going to hear the end of this, the final uh, two and a half minutes. And this is where he talks about how some may believe that his apologies here are meaningless. So let's hear his thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I am. And I know it's fucking meaningless. Just, I mean, it sounds fucking meaningless. Um, so that's, that. I don't know, this is my action in, in trying to show that it's not um, meaningless. And, you know, the first step to me was, you know, to fixing it was taking, was using the form uh, to, for people to fill out and um, just to go from there, you know. But just, you know, the the crazy things, the 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 some dude fucking called me and said he was gonna, um, I don't know, beat the shit out of me or kill, I don't know, whatever he said. Um, and you know, it was balanced to 200 bucks and it's like, you know, just, I get it, I do, I, I do, I do get it, um, but it doesn't, it, that's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna speed anything up, that type of stuff, um, it's not gonna make anything better, it's not going to, um, it's not gonna get anyone paid any faster. He shouldn't say things like this. You have to accept the consequences of people being really pissed off when you've stolen from them. So he kind of mocked the guy for being really angry to the point of calling him and threatening him over 200 bucks. Well, you stole 200 bucks from him. 
So the guy's pissed. It's not 20000 I understand, but the guy is pissed that you stole money from him, and according to this video you just made here, you did. So, yes, you steal from people, and the funny, is, the funny thing is, sometimes you'll steal a lot of money from someone, and they'll be very laid back and peaceful, like a Daniel Coleman, who alleges over a million dollars was stolen from him, and it's like, oh, well, you know, I've learned from it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. And then you have whoever called him here that lost 200 bucks in the whole thing and the guy's hopping mad and is making all kinds of uh, threats of violence so you know it's gonna be a wide spectrum and the angriest people will not always be the ones that were victimized the worst but it's not like you didn't do it you stole money so you're gonna have some people that are very passive about it and shrug their shoulders and say this sucks and move on you're gonna have others that are gonna really really be furious and want to threaten you and make your life miserable and this is what happens when you scam and steal and you're accessible. And I, I can't feel bad for you. I'm not encouraging anyone to uh, call up and, and make threats of violence or, or to commit any acts of violence. I'm just saying that no one's going to feel bad for you here. And you shouldn't come out and say, no, that's not going to get you paid any faster. Maybe the guy just wanted to call up and vent because he was so pissed and make you scared. He probably knows he's never getting the money back. He probably just wanted to put a scare into you because he's furious that you stole from him. That's probably what happened there. But you really shouldn't make comments like threatening you is not going to get the money paid back any faster. Yes, everyone's aware that you're broke. Okay, I think everybody believes that part. Everyone believes that you put 1.5 million of phantom chips on the site and lost them all. So yes, you're broke. I think people know you're broke. And then there's going to be consequences and whatever happens from that point uh, is what happens. I would like to see personally you going to prison for it. I'm not encouraging anyone to commit any acts of violence or anything like that, but you know, you, you screwed a large number of people and sometimes people uh, act out of rage and that's why you should aspire not to cheat people so you don't get yourself into these situations. But now that you are in this situation, just shut up about things like that. <laughs> if, like if you're getting threatening calls, change your phone number or, or change your email. Like you, you can do, I'm not saying you should hide, but it's better to hide than to come out here and whine that people are threatening you when you've really done it. If you hadn't done it and you're being falsely accused, then by all means whine, but you're admitting you did it, so... I don't see why you want our sympathy. And um, I know I'm not the only one um, that, that's had that. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't plan on on uh, responding to, to PMs. Um, I'll probably re respond to some things on this. Uh, what? Why don't you respond to PMs? Like This is where it starts to seem a little bit insincere. Instead of saying, yes, I'm accessible. Uh, if you message me, I'll try to get back to you. If I have too many messages, it may take a long, long time, but I'm going to try to get back to everybody here, even if I can't really give you a solution or get your money back. Uh, if you want to say anything to me, I'll listen. Like th That would be someone who honestly feels bad and wants to make people feel a little bit better. They're not going to get their money, but... You can show them you're willing to listen to their anger at you. 
and you're willing to take responsibility to them for what you did. Uh, I'm not going to answer any PMs. Uh, I may answer a little on here, but I'm not, I'm not going to answer PMs, so don't PM me. It's too much bother. Like, what the hell? Yeah, you should you should answer PMs. Um, and but the best way at this point is email um, or, you know, fucking letter because my, you know, everyone has my address now. Um, or you can call me or, you know, we can schedule a call. Um, Where does he live? I hear all these weird sounds in the background. It's not just the fan. I hear traffic. It sounds like there's a truck in his uh, living room sometimes during this video. Now I hear this word, like he's in some factory that's, that's producing something in the background. What the hell? He's, he's in what looks like a normal living room, but weird sounds here. That's fine. I've talked to a couple people now. And, um, you know, so yeah. Uh, sorry this was so long. Sorry about everything. And, um, Okay, that's it. 32 minutes and 4 seconds. We didn't play all of it. Probably played about half of it to you. But you can go watch the whole thing. I, I guarantee you I covered the interesting parts, though. I, I, I put myself through that whole long video. What do I believe? I believe he has no money left. I believe that this wasn't something he intended to do from a premeditated standpoint. It was just something he did to keep attempting to chase his losses. He he was delusional that if he kept playing, he'd win the money back and nobody would know different. And then he just kept losing more and more and more. And then the cash-out problems happened when they ran out of money because of all the phantom chips on the site that had just been lost to the high-stakes players. I do believe he feels bad. I do believe he kind of also feels sorry for himself more than he should. While he seems to acknowledge this is his fault, he also has a tremendous amount of resentment towards those who had a lesser role in this, though I do believe that these people deserve plenty of blame themselves. But he has tremendous resentment towards others about what they're going to get away with, even though he knows he's the main perpetrator. And in addition, he seems to have a little bit of resentment towards those who are uh, really, really mad at him, especially if they had a relatively low balance on the site, which I think is bad form. He also seems to believe that him hiding from people and not responding to them is appropriate at this point, which I don't think it is if he really feels bad. I mean, yeah, scammers do it all the time. Scammers run off and disappear all the time, but I'm just saying that you can't claim to be sorry and then hide from everybody. If you're really sorry, you should at least stick around and listen to them and then work your hardest to get them paid back, even if it takes a very long time. And I have a feeling he's not going to do that. I have a feeling he's going to just slink away and we won't hear from him again. I think this video had a few purposes. He wanted to own up to what he did so people would uh, maybe lose some of their outrage because he's coming up and admitting it. Also, he wants the other admins who he feels are throwing him under the bus to suffer also. He really wants others to suffer with him. And I think that he's hoping that you'll see that he's sorry and that maybe you won't come after him as hard, won't threaten to kill him. So that That's the reason for the video. Do I think he's legitimately very, very upset about this? Yes. Do I think he's probably going through the worst time in his life right now? Yes. I mean, he's probably miserable here, but he deserves to be miserable here after what he did. So I don't feel sorry for him. However, 
we have talked about many cold-hearted scammers on this show who steal and they don't bat an eye. And it doesn't bother them in the, slight, in the slightest until there's an actual real consequence, not even the threat of one. So that's definitely not him. And it is interesting he put this out, even though this could harm him later from a criminal standpoint. And yes, there could be criminal cases about this. Now, will there be? I don't know. If a law enforcement body takes an interest, there could be, but it's not as simple as it appears. Why? Because, interestingly enough, he didn't actually steal money out of the site. He put phantom chips into the site, which is different. So, the problem here is that for a successful criminal case to be brought against him, they may have to prove that he benefited from it in some way. See, this is different than stealing money from an employer and then go, uh, going to gamble with it and then losing that money because it's kind of two separate steps. First, he benefits from the money he stole from the employer. So right there is a very prosecutable crime. And then he takes the money and loses it. But that's a separate matter which isn't considered related to the first, even if it's the motivation for the crime. But here, he didn't steal from an unrelated third party and then lose it gambling. He just inserted chips onto the site that he didn't have the money to back, and then others won those chips, and then he couldn't pay them. So what this could be framed as, and the reason law enforcement may not get involved, even if they want to, is that this could be framed as a bad gambling debt, nothing more. Because... In a way, he was just developing gambling debt that he couldn't pay. I definitely think this was criminal from a moral standpoint. I think he belongs in prison for this, but the ability to successfully prosecute him and law enforcement taking an interest in this, that's two different things. Now, he could go down from the standpoint of running an illegal poker site taking rake on the internet. That is very illegal, and if law enforcement takes an interest in that, and we have him admitting right there he was running the site from his own home, like he'd be dead to rights there. So if they want to prosecute that, they could get him. I'm sure he'd plead guilty, and that would be that. There'd be no way to get out of that one. The problem is that law enforcement doesn't take that much of an interest in this unless they do it on their own. If somebody reports it, they tend not to. Once in a while they do. Uh, when Seals with Clubs got busted in Nevada, if you remember, they claimed the way it all started was that uh, a former player there from Sweden or something <laughs> uh, reported them. And that kind of got the ball rolling. So sometimes it just takes a report to kind of get the, the law enforcement body interested in going after the illegal poker site or illegal gambling site. But in a lot of cases, you do it and they go, ah, you know, this is too complicated. It doesn't seem serious enough of a crime or they don't understand it or they don't want to understand it or they have more important crime to investigate. So a lot of times this goes nowhere. And a lot of times there's big time jurisdictional issues. So you go report it to your local police. They go, okay, well, where's this poker site running out of? Well, it's in Michigan. Well, it's in Michigan. We're not even in Michigan, so we'll go report it to Michigan. Then you try to report it to Michigan, and they say, well, you know, you're not here physically to file a report, so we won't take your report. You can run into all these hurdles reporting this. And you say, well, what about the FBI? Yeah, the FBI could be interested, but it's very hard to even reach the FBI. And a lot of people report just ridiculous stuff to the FBI. 
I, I've had people threaten to report me to the FBI for reporting on scammers. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. I've had scammers tell me before I better take down a story or they're going to report me to the FBI. And, and I know some of them, they have. Of course, the FBI laughs at it, so I never hear from the FBI. But uh, there's tons of crackpot reports to the FBI that come in every day. That's why they make themselves hard, hard to reach. Because there's a lot of delusional people out there who have a fantasy that if they report what is bothering them to the FBI, that the FBI is going to jump on it and start a federal case. And that is not what happens the vast majority of the time. In many, many cases, the report is a non-crime. So even though the person reporting it thinks it's a crime, it is not. And in many cases, it's too minor for the FBI to get involved or it's something the FBI would want local police to get involved with. So they assume that if they just ignore it, that the person will then take it to the local police who will then uh, decide whether to pursue it, and usually they don't. So the FBI, could they take an interest in this? Yes. Will they? Probably not. You have to get the right people's attention there. So I don't know if he's going to face any kind of criminal charges. And as I said, it may be a tough criminal case to bring because he walked away with no money and he didn't directly steal the money from people. What he did is he just basically inserted his own chips there that he couldn't cover. So it's a bad gambling debt from the way the law looks at it, most likely. So I have a feeling he won't be criminally prosecuted unless they want to go after him for running this site in the first place. I think that would be the much better case there. Anyway, if you do want to report him, uh, you can go to your local police department and explain that this was a private poker site that was just an outright a scam. And you, if you're going to do it, I would, I would advise that you keep it very simple, that you don't tell this whole long story, that you don't tell them to watch a 32-minute video. You can direct them to a few minutes of the video where he admits to doing this. But keep it very short and simple because they're not going to care otherwise. If you, if you bring them a, a, a giant stack of papers explaining this, they're not going to read it. So you, if you're going to bring it to your local law enforcement or even his local law enforcement there in Michigan, make sure you keep it short, simple, direct, and easy to follow. And if you can't put that together, find someone who can. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And there's a decent chance you won't get anywhere with it. Like I'm good at doing this. I'm good at uh, putting stuff together in an easy to read and digestible format. I mean, that's what I did with that poker girl thing that people enjoyed last week. But even I putting such a thing together would probably have a hard time getting law enforcement to prosecute him. I couldn't get law enforcement to prosecute him because I was not a victim. I didn't lose anything to Fox Poker because I never had an account there. I never wanted an account there. So I couldn't report this anyway because I was never a victim and therefore I would have nothing to contribute. They, they couldn't take a report from me. But if you were a victim of Fox Poker, you may want to consider reporting him, and he would deserve any criminal action taken against him. If he eventually gets a job, uh, you may want to sue him. In fact, you may want to sue him right now so the statute of limitations doesn't run out if you think that maybe one day he'll get a job or have some kind of assets, or maybe even an inheritance one day. He's only 31 years old, but you know I don't know about his parents. Maybe... Uh, you can get a judgment and keep renewing it, and then one day you could go after his inheritance. So there are some possible ways to recover this money. You have him on a video admitting he did this. So you do have a decent civil case against him. Now, some jurisdictions do not enforce gambling debts, period. That's why the case against Possel 
did not succeed. I'm not talking about the one with me. That didn't succeed either, but the other direction. But I'm talking about where he was sued, where I wasn't part of it because I never played in the game with him, but uh, where Veronica and the rest of them sued him through attorney Mac Verstandig, and that case was thrown out because California gambling law did not allow the recovery of gambling debts, and this is what it was ruled to be, a gambling debt. So that's why Mike Postle got out of that lawsuit. So the same, basically the same concept may apply here. So you have to keep that in mind as well. So by no means is there a slam dunk way to either get him prosecuted or sued. And then if you do win a judgment against him, there's the matter of collection. However, at age 31, there may be some time that you can wait and then eventually collect from him. If he were 65 years old, I'd say, yeah, but you're, you're not going to get much from him because, he, you know, how's he going to make any money? But at 31, there's a lot of different things that could happen. He could end up uh, working a job and making some money at some point. I mean, he's got a family to support, so he can't just uh, shut down and do nothing. He may inherit money from his parents. There's a lot of ways he can get money going forward. So I'd watch for that if he owes you anything. I'm not going to get involved with that. I'm not going to go on a crusade to get money out of him for everybody else, but I'm just giving you some ways you can do it if you're interested in that. I may actually contact him and ask if he wishes to come on this show and explain himself. Now, he's already explained himself in that video, but it would be interesting to have an interview with him here. And if we do have an interview with him, I will be respectful. I'm going to ask tough questions, and I'm not going to just believe BS told to me, but I'm not going to lecture him what an awful guy he is. Anyone who agrees to come on the show that doesn't have to, I have to show them some level of respect while they're here. And uh, if I don't, then no one will ever want to come on. And they'll probably hang up on me. So if we want to get anything out of them, if we want them to talk, if we want to hear what they have to say, you can't be disrespectful. When Mike Mattisau had Mike Possle on, he took a lot of heat from people. Oh, why are you so nice to him? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know why he's being so nice to him. He wants Mike to talk. And he did. And in fact, that helped my case because he said some things on that podcast that basically admitted he was a public figure. So thank you, Mr. Mattisau, for having him on there. I thought that was a smart thing you did. If Mattisau had gone off on Possle and called him all kinds of names, Possle would have hung up on him. And that would have been that. Instead, Mike just kind of listened and let Postle say what he wanted to say. That was the only interview that Postle did. So I never understood that hate for Mattisau there. Mattisau was the smart one regarding getting Postle to talk. I want to talk about two new sites that have come up that you should watch out. And I recommend staying away from these. One is called Action Cards, with a Z, Action Cards, and then another one is called Bluff Shove. I would strongly caution against playing on either of these sites. Number one, look what happened to Fox, and it's basically the same deal, just some dude running these sites from his home. I think it's two different sites by two different people, but it's the same concept as Fox, and you saw what happened there. So that's number one, why you should stay away. But number two... Ray Davis and friends of Ray Davis are claiming that these sites have some affiliation and association with the admins from Fox. It's also being alleged that Poker for Breakfast is 
pushing action cards and that they have some sort of deal with them and that it's basically the reincarnation of Fox Poker without Andy. And if that's the case, definitely stay away from it. Is that the case? I don't know. This could be incorrect information that is being pushed by Ray and his friends, by Ray Davis, or it could be right, or it could be partially right. Who knows? But if you're going to play on one of these sites, I would recommend against action cards and bluff shove because they do seem to be some sort of replacement for Fox. I guess at best, these are sites that are totally unaffiliated with Fox that are hoping to get the displaced players from Fox. But I would just stay away entirely. I mean, these, these things are bad news. Just stay away from those sites. Don't play on them. If you're so tempted you have to, just don't go on those two. At the very least, there's enough suspicion right now that there could be some association that you should pick something else besides action cards and bluff shove. So I'm not going to go too deep into that because who knows what the truth is with those. Just don't play on them. <laughs> That's all I have to say. All right, 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. Long topic, I know. We got a text from the 774 saying, in case you don't know, the Kyle that Andy is referencing in the video as the buyer who backed out as Kyle Milosh, a.k.a. Jack in the Box. Yeah, I actually didn't play that part of the video. Uh, he talked about how someone was going to buy the site and bail it out from all the problems, and it ended up falling through. I, I didn't find that interesting enough to uh, cover. But yeah, that was in the video, too. It's kind of like between the 8-minute and 11-minute mark, I think. Something around there. Decided not to include it. But thank you for that additional detail. Let me read something from the chat room. John Commode said, listening to Andy is worse than a root canal. New career for Andy should be a motivational speaker. (laughs) You know what? Maybe you could combine the two. You could have him record stuff they play to you through headphones as you're getting a root canal. So you go get a root canal and they give you some headphones to listen, which they often do at root canals. And you can play a recording of Andy speaking. And it could work because it'll be so painful to listen to Andy that you'll forget how painful a root canal is. And that can work because when I broke my first bone, it was skiing in 1989, I broke my first bone. And the worst part was I had to take a damn bus home from Big Bear, a slow bus in heavy traffic on a Sunday night to get back to where I lived. And, uh, the bus was so slow, and there were noisy kids in there screaming. Like, kids my age, but I was 17 then, or almost 17. But uh, it was so annoying to hear all the screaming back there when I'm in such pain from having a broken arm. Anyway, I started actually punching the side of the bus, not in anger, but I was actually trying to make my other hand's fist hurt to distract me from the pain of the broken arm I had on my left arm. And it actually worked somewhat because I didn't punch it hard enough to cause like massive pain. I was trying to create kind of like light pain of punching the side of the bus, not super hard, but kind of moderately hard to kind of make my fist a little bit in pain to pull the pain away from the broken arm. And as I said, it kind of worked. So this would be the same concept. You, You listen to Andy talk and it's painful and you forget about the pain of the root canal. That could work. That's a good idea, John Commode. Okay, so uh, I don't think 
you're going to want to listen to a competing show that Andy puts together. I'm not going to be worried that he starts his own show and steals my listeners. I don't think you'd want to listen to him for seven hours. Okay, so let me move on. I'm going to talk about the World Series of Poker. Completely different type of topic. We're going to talk about the WSOP and the latest with all the vaccination stuff. And boy, they're just constantly all over the place. They should have figured this out before they said anything or made any kind of formal rule. I know it was KevMath who brought us to light. They didn't make an official announcement. KevMath brought a certain rule to light that they had put up on the web, and then they had to answer to it. But the whole thing's a mess. You don't post any rules. You don't come up with any policy about COVID until you're sure it's a good policy. But they've been flying from the seat of their pants, and it's been a disaster. So here is the latest involving the WSOP, and it's, it's just ridiculous. Remember last week, we talked about how you had to be vaccinated in order to participate in the WSOP. Remember that? The mandatory vaccination requirement, which is new. For a while, they were not doing that. And then they just said, yep, you got to be fully vaccinated. New decision. Well, unfortunately, it came out that you have to be vaccinated, but the staff of the World Series of Poker does not. That's a terrible look. That's a terrible, terrible look. Very much on brand, though. Very much on brand to have it where they're taking a very controversial vaccine mandate position, and then they don't require it of the staff. And whether they can't require it of the staff because of legal requirements, or because they're just choosing not to because they need enough staff to work and there just isn't enough vaccinated staff, regardless of the reason... It's a very bad look, and they have to figure this out before they announce the policy. But this is all kind of leaking out piecemeal, and they they keep looking worse and worse, and they look very clueless regarding COVID, and everyone's getting very frustrated. So Chad Holloway, who is a very good poker reporter, I always like his work, and he works for Poker News, he wrote on August 30th on Twitter, I tried to follow up with the WSOP in regards to some lingering questions. Unfortunately, didn't get much other than, quote, WSOP team members are strongly encouraged to get the COVID-19 vaccine, but not required to. (laughs) What? So here's the article that was written on Poker News about this that Chad linked by uh, John Sofin. And it says, update August 30th. Poker News reached out to WSP officials to inquire if dealers and staff will be required to have been vaccinated. They offered the following statement. As with all Caesars Entertainment team members, team members are strongly encouraged to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Caesars is committed to making vaccination easy and accessible for all team members. Additionally, the company is providing significant incentives for team members who choose to be vaccinated. Mm. Well... You know what that's saying. It's saying what it's not saying. They're saying they're strongly encouraging WSOP employees to get vaccinated, but they don't have to. They're trying to incentivize it, but they don't have to. Poker News then asked, what will happen if a player is caught trying to pass off illegitimate or forged vaccination documents? Will they be banned? They asked, The Nevada governor has said that masks are not required at events where everyone's been vaccinated. How come the WSOP will require masks? Could this potentially change? They asked, 
How will the WSOP know if someone tests positive for COVID? Will the WSOP be conducting any testing? And finally, has the WSOP considered allowing unvaccinated individuals who have antibodies to attend the WSOP? Could this become a possibility? So how many of those questions did they answer? Zero point zero. They wouldn't answer any of it. (laughs) They wouldn't answer any of that. They just blew by the questions. Nope. No answer. They said, for all your other questions, we recommend reviewing the FAQ and release as we won't be responding beyond them. Wow. So that's she's saying, no, we're, no, 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 we're not answering further. That's it. Done. Done. We've given you our statement. Read the fact. Get out of here. The fact doesn't answer this stuff. The FAQ does not answer this stuff. So that's it. Now, these are good questions. These are very good questions by Poker News. What will happen if someone tries to use a fake vaccination card? And these are out there. In fact, there was a fake vaccination card that was shown on social media. Some stupid girl tried to uh, use a phony vaccination card entering Hawaii that said she got the Maderna vaccine. Not the Moderna vaccine, but the Maderna vaccine. (laughs) M-A-D-E-R-N-A. Trey Daruski, hello. What's happening, Druff? Glad to have you on here. We're discussing the WSOP and their weird... I was listening for the last few minutes, and you better spell uh, your vaccination card right. Yeah, if you're going to forge a vaccination card, you've got to make sure to spell everything right. You don't put Maderna. But uh, so what will happen if somebody is caught with a fake card? Will they get banned permanently? No answer. Like, why why not answer that? Why not just say yes? Do you think there will be any people, aside from maybe some, like, major anti-vaxxer types you think it'd be anyone else who's saying no that person be allowed to keep playing like if someone gets banned for that i think most of the poker community the vast majority will be behind that ban and say okay makes sense like even if you don't necessarily want that person banned you're not going to say he shouldn't have been it's it's pretty obvious if you try to show up with a forged card and you get banned it's your fault so uh, what the hell they can't even say they're going to do that then the nevada governor said masks are not required if everybody's vaccinated, so how come you guys are still making people wear masks? Well, I think I know the answer to that. It's dumb they won't answer that, but I think the answer, which they don't want to give, is that with the staff being somewhat unvaccinated, that this would require that everybody has to wear masks there by law. So they have a good answer they can give, but they don't want to highlight the fact that not all the dealers will be vaccinated. The third question, how will the WSP know if someone tests positive for COVID? Will they be conducting any testing? That's a question I asked, too. I asked that on this show when they're saying, oh, well, if, if you're COVID positive and uh, showing symptoms, then you get disqualified. OK, well, how do they know if you're COVID positive? They can't just look at you and say you're COVID positive. So I was wondering, like, if you happen to cough because you have a cold, because the air is dry, because... You just cough for whatever reason, maybe because you're a smoker and you just you just cough a lot because you're a smoker. Like, if you happen to cough, are they going to pull you out and test you? Like, at what point will they make someone take a test or will they? It looks like they won't. So uh, that's a good question. And they won't answer that. And then finally, will they allow people who are unvaccinated but have had COVID and they have antibodies that they can prove through an antibody test? That's a good question, too, because... It actually is believed right now that previously having COVID makes you 
more resistant to COVID than not previously having it, but being vaccinated. So it actually seems safer to be unvaccinated, but previously having had COVID than be vaccinated without COVID. Now, it is recommended that people who have had COVID get vaccinated anyway. That's the way to be the safest. But I can very much understand the argument that if someone can prove they've had COVID through an antibody test, that they should not be required to get the vaccine. And this is one point, by the way, that I have to give to the anti-vaxxers, is uh, for those that actually had COVID already, it is a bit absurd to treat them that uh, like a regular unvaccinated person if they haven't gotten the vaccine if you have covid and if you've had covid before and you can prove it that should be considered a vaccine for the purposes of any kind of vaccine mandate or requirement so i think that's a good question for the wsop that those people should be allowed to play if vaccinated people are allowed to play provided they can prove it you can't just show up and say oh yeah i had covid at one point if you have to be able to prove it with an antibody test if the antibody test doesn't show it for you even if you know you've had covid then too bad but yeah if, if you can show you have antibodies through an antibody test i think that should be fine so they won't answer it they why won't they answer it because they don't care about covid they only care about getting the maximum number of people into the world series and having the minimum liability and the minimum pr failure that's what they want they don't care if you get sick. They don't care if you die. You're just a number to them. Now, they would care if you got the, the COVID there and died at their event and it looked bad for them. But if you got COVID and quietly died and it never made it to any report that you died there, that you died of COVID that you probably caught there, they wouldn't care. Because they are a large corporation. They are focusing on the numbers. That's always what the World Series has been about since Caesars has owned it. And that's what they're doing here. That's why they've been all over the place. They're trying to find what they think is the happy medium, the, the happy middle ground to where they satisfy the highest number of people and also protect themselves from legal liability and from a PR disaster. And those are two different things. You can have it where they haven't done anything illegal. Like It, it is tough to collect any kind of damages and have a successful lawsuit against any business if you caught COVID while there. You'd have to prove some kind of gross negligence, not just that they were having an event that was kind of dangerous and you caught it there. That's not enough. You have to show that they really have just not done what would be the minimum expected to do to prevent you from catching COVID there. So as long as they do the bare minimum, then they're covered legally. But from a PR standpoint, they're not. So they they don't want someone, especially a prominent or semi-prominent player, to catch COVID there and die and then tell their story everywhere and make the WSOB look terrible. So they, they want to prevent that. But they're really doing all of this from a selfish standpoint. So anyone saying, oh, the WSOP, they're, they're looking up for us. They're, they care about us. They care about our safety. No. Someone, someone said this is about profit and safety. I said, incorrect. It is about profit and lack of legal liability and lack of APR disaster. That's what they're going for, not safety. So that's why they don't want to answer this, because the more they say, the worse they look. It's, it's kind of like when you're accused of a crime and your attorney will say, don't talk to the cops, don't give them any info, don't speak, don't say anything, let me handle it, let me speak for you, because I know what to say as an attorney, as a criminal defense attorney, I know what to say that will not put you in jeopardy, you don't. 
basically the WSOP is clamming up and uh, using their equivalent of the Fifth Amendment right uh, to not incriminate themselves. In the public eye, that is. They, they just don't want to say anything that's going to be used against them on Twitter. And they're afraid if they give any of these answers that it's going to look bad. Now, the one I'm not understanding is the, about, about banning people for using forged documents. That, that they should be able to say without it looking bad. But the remainder, they, they don't want to answer because it can make them look bad. They want you to not really notice that people are going to be dealing to you who are not vaccinated. Now, why is it that they possibly could be not requiring the vaccination? Well, Chad Holloway posted a follow-up to his initial tweet about the whole thing, where you could tell Chad was frustrated they weren't answering him or anyone else at Poker News. He said, for what it's worth, I understand they're offering major cash incentives for employees to get vaccinated, and WSOP will also have on-site vaccine shots for staffers who want it. They expect a high percentage to be vaccinated. Seems labor laws may prevent them from requiring it. So I don't know what the labor laws are in Nevada. So it's possible they absolutely cannot require it. Though I, I thought I had heard some casinos were requiring it. But maybe it's like a requirement or submission of a COVID test every so often. Like it may be something like that. So it is possible in Nevada they can't do it. And it does look like they're trying to get people to get vaccinated. They're offering uh, some kind of cash payment for doing it. And they are actually providing vaccinations right there on site if you want to get them. So they're not going to make you go to CVS or wherever else is giving you that vaccine. They're going to say, Here are, here's the WSOP vaccine station for employees. Now, what I do wonder is, how is that going to work in time? Because the, what they're requiring for players is that you have to be considered fully vaccinated, which means you have to wait the proper amount of time after your second shot or your only shot after if it's Johnson and Johnson to be considered fully vaccinated. I think they're saying 14 days, which is supposed to be technically longer, but I think the minimum is you have to have been fully vaccinated with two shots or one for Johnson and Johnson 14 days or more prior to when you play. So you can't just get two shots and then show up at the WSOP the next day or even the next week. You have to wait two weeks minimum. So how's this going to work for employees? They get their first shot during the WSOP. They won't be fully vaccinated until the whole thing's over. It's a long process because if you do the two-shot vaccine, I think you're supposed to wait, uh, what is it, four weeks or three weeks in between? And then, uh, then the second one, you have to wait another few weeks so you're considered fully vaccinated. Now, it doesn't go from zero to completely working yeah from one day to the next it's it's a slow increase of efficacy but still an employee who gets their first shot is not going to be good to go the next day they're not going to be protected the next day it's not going to have that much impact at that point but i guess they're just trying to make it as uh vaccinated as possible even if some of them are only partially vaxxed during the series so it does look like they're trying. It doesn't look like this is just uh, going through the motions to pretend like they want the employees to be vaccinated. It looks like they are giving money for it and having vaccinations on site. But still, it's a bad look. Even if it's something they can't control because of labor laws, it's a bad look. It's hard, it's hard for them to say, we're requiring everyone to get vaccinated, but the dealers may not be. 
We're going to try to get them to, but we can't guarantee it. Some probably won't. Is it useless then? No, but it does take away from the whole thing they claim they're trying to accomplish of having an event where every single person there is fully vaccinated. Now they don't have that anymore. And yeah, having a few unvaccinated dealers is a hell of a lot better than having a lot of unvaccinated players and unvaccinated dealers, but it's still not quite what they're claiming it was going to be. It, it does take away somewhat from their strict requirement to be vaxxed completely and even have two weeks in between when you got your second shot and when you can play. It just doesn't make a lot of logical sense that there's one standard for the players and another for the dealers, even if labor laws are the reason. From a safety standpoint, it doesn't matter. The, the, the virus doesn't care if you're a dealer or a player. The virus does not care about Nevada labor laws. So if there's going to be unvaxxed people there, then maybe this super strict stance on players being vaccinated isn't really justified. And maybe they should at least lighten it to where people who have gotten the second shot even just the day before they play should be allowed. Because they're allowing it for the dealers. And the truth is, anybody getting the second shot may, at this point, have more protection against COVID than people who got their second shot many months ago. I think it's pretty close. In fact, I, I think it's probably better right now. The day before your second shot, like let, let's say your second shot's coming tomorrow. I think you probably are more protected from COVID than I am presently who got my second shot in the middle of April. Because from what they can see, especially with Pfizer, it tends to wear off. Now, there are some who believe that if your immune system is working properly, that the antibodies will show up when they're needed, that your body remembers how to create them so that the, this booster shot is useless for someone with a healthy immune system. I don't know if that's true or not, and we'll have to find out over time. By the way, Trader Risky, did you get the Moderna or the Pfizer? Pfizer. You got Pfizer. I got that too. That's, that, that's the one that is degrading worse. So the truth is that uh, both of us have kind of mediocre protection at the moment. And that is bothering me somewhat. I was actually considering, you know, being the big Dodger fan I am, I was considering taking a trip up to San Francisco and actually seeing one of these games in Oracle Park. But the, I, I've been losing the enthusiasm to do it because of... Uh, kind of a fear of Delta, like just a stadium. I know it's open air, but just with all those people yelling and shouting, it's something that's made it less appealing to me. And same with just, you know, going and staying in the hotel and going to restaurants. I mean, I, I do some of that. I, I don't stay in hotels now, but I stayed on in hotels during my trip, which was during Delta in, in July. When I planned the trip, it wasn't, there's no Delta, but there was by the time I went. And I still go to restaurants, but I don't do it all that often. And I am starting to kind of pull away from where there's large groups of people, especially indoors. Whereas before Delta showed up, I was operating as if COVID was not there anymore. And I'm not that way anymore. So it's, it's too bad. That's probably why I'm not going to be at the WSOP, even if the mask mandate is lifted, which I don't think it's going to be. And keep in mind, we're less than a month away. 
The WSOP begins in uh, 26 days. I still have my hotel reservations, but soon enough I'm going to have to make that phone call, that painful phone call saying, cancel. After all this time and effort, after all the time I spent on the phone with Caesars fixing all the fail with the reservations, I'm going to have to cancel it, which is going to hurt me in two ways. It's going to hurt me that I'm not going to the World Series and hurt me that I wasted all that time. All that Jew negotiating out the window. Very sad. Very, very sad. By the way, for people new to this show, I I should say this more often, for people new to this show, I am Jewish. When I say Jew negotiating, I'm not being anti-Semitic, or I'd be hating myself. I'm a full Jew. 100% full Jew. And I'm not a self-hating one. I am proud to be Jewish. So when I make statements like that, I actually say it because I don't think it's a bad thing to be good with money, to be careful with money, and to uh, make sure you don't get ripped off. I see these as positive traits for myself, even though they can sometimes be uh, twisted to be a negative connotation. So I, I say it as a joke for this show, but I, uh, just for anyone who's new here who thinks that, oh, well, this, this host here is anti-Semitic. No, I'm a Jew who's been bar mitzvahed and is still proud to be a Jew all these years later. And Happy New Year, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year to you. That's right. It's a, it's a good uh, good segue here. Yeah, Jews get to live in the future, too. Because we, we live uh, far, far, far ahead of everybody else. It's, uh, I think, 5781. Isn't that the year right now? Or is 5782? No, I think it's 82. Crap. Not, not sure, but I'll trust you. You're <laughs> Like nobody else gets to live in the, in the year fifty-seven, whatever. Like who, who else but Jews get to live in in the fifty-seven hundreds? All, all you Gentiles are going to die way before that. In fact, pretty much all of you listening to this show are going to not see the year twenty-one hundred. Your kids will, or at least they might. But I think every single listener to this show is not going to see twenty-one hundred. We definitely won't. For us to make twenty-one hundred, we have to outlive every human being ever on this planet up to this point by a, a pretty good margin too. I'd have to be uh, 2100, I would be almost 128 years old. Trade risk would be over 130. So I don't think we're going to make that. Don't think we're going to see that New Year's. Anyway, they, they're, they're really confused over the WSOP. I mean, I, I see why they're doing what they're doing and they, they kind of feel like their hands are tied if, they, if labor laws prevent this. But when they put these policies together. Number one, they've got to think this through before making it public in any way. And number two, they have to figure out how's this going to look? How are people going to react? It doesn't matter the why of it. It matters how it looks to the average player. And it's very hard to say, we don't have to be vaccinated, but you do. Even if you have a good reason for it. It's very hard to say that to players, where it's a lot easier to say, everyone has to be vaccinated. We've just made a decision. This is going to be a a vaccinated event people will disagree with it. You'll have the Kristen Bicknells and Alex Foxins who shout very loud about this, about how bad it is. But at least most people will say, all right, we understand why you're doing this, even if we disagree with it. But, but then it looks weird when you're saying the employees don't have to. It just doesn't go over well. So you've got to use this to inform your policy and come up with something that makes sense. So in this case, if you want the players vaccinated, but you can't due to labor laws, force 
the staff to be vaccinated, which, by the way, I'm not convinced is due to labor laws. It really could be that they realize they just won't have enough staff for it if they require this. It's possible that they, upon looking into it, they realize that they're going to have a hard enough time finding staff as it is because people just don't want to work right now. And that if they restrict it to only fully vaccinated people, they're just going to be short and they're not going to be able to run the event. So it's possible that was the reason. But whatever it is, if they have determined it's essential to allow unvaccinated staff to work there, then you also have to maybe look at your policy of forcing everyone to be vaccinated and at the very least make it a bit more flexible, such as not requiring uh, 14 days in between your last shot and showing up to play. At least do that as some sort of concession to the players. And the second concession should be an antibody test. And in fact, that would be a bit of a nod to those who don't want to get the vaccine. You can say, okay, we just want people who have some sort of defense against COVID and probably are less likely to transmit it. So it it can either be a natural defense that you will have had from having the virus before or from the vaccine. But one of the two. That would be a totally reasonable policy. I, I know it's more politically correct to say everybody should be vaccinated, but I can understand the argument of those that already had COVID that say, hey, we don't need this. We have a better defense against COVID. And that was formerly having the virus. Trader Risky, would you be okay with the WSP allowing people who had COVID but aren't vaxxed to play there? I, I don't know. I would be. From from what they've seen so far, they, they actually have the better protection right now than we do. Or probably the whole way they had better protection. So I, I would still recommend them getting it because why not even be safer? But Right, and then they could have a fake doctor's note that says they had that, or would they be testing? No, it'd be testing. They, no, they, they would have some it. kind of test from a uh, so, something that is accepted, an antibody test that is accepted by them that they'd have to prove. They couldn't just show up with a doctor's note or a positive test result from the past or uh, or just a claim they had COVID before. Something which proves they have antibodies in their system presently. And and if they can't if they can't show it, even if they had COVID before, I can see them requiring. But like I, I think at the very least a positive antibody test should be good enough. I think they have better protection than we do. So all right, let's let's move on here. Uh, I want to talk about civil forfeiture again and the, the recent news with that. I have long been against civil forfeiture ever since I first heard of it. I was shocked that such a thing still exists in the US because it's legalized theft by the government. If you remember, civil forfeiture was something that began in the 80s to fight the drug war. And the concept behind it wasn't all that bad, but then it got perverted into legalized theft. The concept behind civil forfeiture was we have these drug dealers that we can sometimes find with a lot of cash, but we can't catch them in the act of exchanging money for drugs. So these guys who have no other way to show how they made the money, who are drug dealers, and we know they're drug dealers, we just can't prove it in a criminal court at the moment, and we can't arrest them, but we know they're drug dealers, and if we happen to catch them with $3 million in cash in their car, we want to be able to take it and make them prove they've got this money legally. Because why else would they have $3 million of cash in their car? And we want to be able to, at the very least, take it from them because this gives us an additional tool to fight against these drug dealers if we can't catch them in the act 
and get a criminal conviction against them or even arrest them. So at the time, people said, yeah, you know what? It makes sense. It makes sense. If, you, if you're driving around with $3 million in cash, you should be able to explain where it came from. And if you can't, you got it illegally and the government should keep it. So that's how it came to be. Believe it or not, one of the original architects, in fact, the original architect of civil forfeiture is a very familiar name, Joseph R. Biden, back in the early 80s. He is the father of civil forfeiture, strangely enough. And that's why it bothers me that he hasn't taken more action to stop it. Now, I will give some credit where it's due to Eric Holder, who I otherwise hate, but Eric Holder did weaken civil forfeiture. He didn't eliminate it, but he weakened it by stopping the federal government from cooperating with local authorities in doing this and splitting the proceeds, which I'll, I'll get to shortly, but it's something called equitable sharing. Eric Holder ended that, which was a great decision that didn't completely eliminate the problem, but it, it weakened it somewhat. And then Trump put it back, or someone working under Trump put it back. So under the Trump administration, it was put back, which is bad. That was a mistake. And that was going backwards. And that's what led somewhat to the incident that just occurred. But Biden, who is now the president, and now has both houses behind him, and civil forfeiture is very unpopular with both parties. It's not like the Republicans love it and the Democrats hate it or vice versa. Both parties don't like it. So if Biden were to make an effort to put an end to this, we get wide bipartisan support and it would happen. Because most politicians do not like this. It's very unpopular. It's very unpopular with the people. This is something they could do away with easily if they wanted to. I don't know why Biden won't do it. I understand why this wasn't priority on the first day, but he's been in office for quite some time now, since January. So it's time to undo the mistake he made in 1983. He was the one who introduced the bill. You can Google it if you don't believe me, by the way. So Biden, he's there. He has more power now than he did in 83. So that's, let's see him fix the mistake. And the only good thing that can come of this recent publicity about civil forfeiture is that maybe it'll get his attention and he does it. That, I don't care who does it. I don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat. It needs to go. And there really are a lot of politicians on both sides who disagree with it. So this isn't even so much a Republican versus uh, Democrat thing. And I have a feeling that uh, a lot of Democrats listening to the show will agree with my position on civil forfeiture. And many Republicans, a lot of Republicans, have the identical opinion to what I do about this, in that it's very wrong and needs to stop. So what this morphed into was legalized theft. The way it happened was very simple. That cities and counties that are strapped for money or sometimes even police departments that are strapped for money, realize that this is a way to legally steal from innocent people. That all you have to do is identify cars that are likely to be carrying cash, stop them for some BS violations, sometimes it's a completely fabricated violation, bring a police dog over that pretends to sniff something, and they can do that by training the dog to bark or whatever, make some kind of signal after sniffing, based on something else. The dog doesn't know what it's doing. The dog doesn't know that it's, uh, help, it's tricking someone, but the dog is just trained to bark when, the, when they give it a certain signal. And they go, oh, the dog is smelling drugs in your car. And the person's like, what? Drugs? I don't do drugs. And they well, can I search your car for drugs? Yeah, sure. Search my car for drugs because uh, I, I, I'm not carrying any drugs. I don't do drugs. So the person's very confident 
And then cash is found in their car and they seize it all. And this is all on purpose. They stop the car, believing the car might be carrying cash. And there's various ways they can do that. I'll explain that in a little bit too. But they stop a car they think might be carrying cash. And then they find an excuse to search the car. And then they steal the cash. And they steal this under the banner of civil forfeiture. Where you have to prove that you earn this money legally. Now you may say, well, that's easy. I can show them how I earned it. Well, how? You can't just present them proof. You have to go through a long legal process, which is quite expensive. And if they're seizing $5,000, $10,000, even $20,000, you can spend more in legal fees to recover it because they make it very difficult. You have to get a lawyer. And by the time you recover it, you've spent more on your lawyer. So most people realize that and they give it up. They also will scare people into signing it over saying that they could be arrested for this. So they scare people into thinking they might be arrested if they don't sign over this money. And even though people are steaming inside that they have to do this, they so badly don't want to go to jail in in some small town they're passing through and maybe not get out for a long time. They say, okay, fine, I'll give up the money. You know, what do I got to sign? So that's also, it makes it a lot tougher to get it back through the legal process once you've already signed it over and agreed you're not going to attempt to recover it. So basically, under duress, they, they get you to sign it over in some cases. So it's a really nasty thing. And when the police are seizing it, they know what they're doing. They know that they are not stopping someone they really believe is a drug dealer. They know that they are not trying to seize money that you have acquired illegally. They just know you have money and they want it. Now, why would they agree to do this? Why would cops agree to do this? Are, are they just evil, horrible people? Sometimes yes, but also sometimes they justify it. How they justify it? Well, it's a cash-strapped city. It's a cash-strapped police department. They need money to operate. They need to fight crime. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do, they think. So someone's driving around with a lot of excess cash. Maybe they went at the casino. Maybe they got it some other way, but they they think someone has cash in their car. It kind of sucks we have to steal it from them, but look, we got to operate. We got to fight crime. We've got to get money some way, and we're just we're not getting funding any other way. This is a poor county. It's a poor town. It's a poor police department, a poor highway patrol. We just don't have enough funds. We've got to find a way to do it. Life sucks sometimes, they think. And then they, they kind of talk themselves into believing it's okay, and then they'll even rationalize, hey, look, why would someone be driving around with that much money? There's a good chance this was illegal. Maybe they're using it to dodge taxes. Maybe they're, uh, maybe this is drug money. Maybe it's from something else illegal they're doing. Wh- whatever it is, uh, they're probably not all that innocent themselves. So, yeah, we're fine taking it. But it's legalized theft. That's what it is. They're not stopping cars they think are drug dealers. They're stopping regular people, innocent people and stealing their money. And if you present them with proof that you got the money legally, let's say you just won a poker tournament, and you present the police with a form showing you just won it. You show them the tax form that you just received that money in the poker tournament. Are they going to say, oh, sorry, we wrongly suspected you. Here's the money back? No. They confiscate it and say, okay, well, show that in court. Isn't that nasty? So this goes on. This goes on all over the U.S. Now, what Eric Holder eliminated and then was brought back under the Trump administration was something called equitable sharing. And that's actually what happened in this case we're going to talk about shortly, because that's the reason we're talking about it again. Equitable sharing is when the federal government is involved 
in the seizure as well, where they use federal agents as part of the seizure. And the reason they do that is to make the seizure based upon federal law, which overrules any state law that would make the seizure tougher to do. Because some states, in fact, a number of states by now, have passed laws of uh, various... uh, There's a wide range of laws that are passed as far as how stringent they are against civil forfeiture. But some some states have realized that this has become a problem, and they've made it illegally or or partially illegal to where they need some standard of evidence that a crime has occurred before seizing whatever they want to seize. So they can't just say, oh, uh, a a drug-sniffing dog thinks it it sniffed drugs. Uh, We're going to search your car. Oh, how did you get this cash? We're going to seize it. They, They can't do this in a lot of states because they have to have such as like a clear and convincing evidence to show that a crime has been committed to acquire the money. So just because a, a dog thinks that uh, it smells drugs and no drugs are found, that's not clear and convincing evidence. That's a suspicion, but that's not clear and convincing in any way, shape, or form. So they have different standards of what they would have to prove in order to show that they had a right to seize it. They can't just, it can't just be on suspicion. It, has to, it would have to be at some higher standard, preponderance of the evidence, clear and convincing evidence, something like that. And various states have laws against that. So towns and counties and police departments in these states where civil forfeiture has been restricted to where the legalized theft version of civil forfeiture really can't go on anymore because they won't have the evidence that crimes have been committed – In those states, they partner with the federal government, which can then overrule these state laws because the federal government says, we don't have to listen to your state laws because this has become a federal investigation. So the state law doesn't matter and they get away with it. Why does the federal government do this? Because the federal government gets a piece of it. Isn't that dirty? It's called equitable sharing. And that means whatever proceeds they get from the civil forfeiture they give a certain percentage to the federal government. So that's what they get out of it. So federal agents participate because they make money for their department. And then the local government, they get money for their department. In fact, sometimes local government gets to keep up to 80%. So everyone gets a piece. And the innocent people get their money stolen by their own government. Can you believe this still happens in 2021? It does. What Eric Holder did is ended the equitable sharing. So it goes back to whatever the state law is and the federal government can no longer get involved. But now they can again because the equitable sharing was reinstated under the Trump administration. So Nevada, where this most recent story occurred, they have clear and convincing as the requirement for the evidence that would be necessary in order to seize any assets. And that's really too much for most of these civil forfeiture seizures. So under that standard, there wouldn't be many of these seizures done. However, because equitable sharing is back, now the Nevada seizures are back. Now, do you have to worry about this driving to Vegas? A little bit, but not very much, because 
Clark County is not interested in doing this. Clark County really doesn't want to get involved in this. I haven't seen any evidence it's ever happened in Clark County. Clark County, of course, gets a lot of revenue because that's where Las Vegas is. And you don't pass through any other county in Nevada driving to Vegas from L.A. or San Diego besides Clark County. So you, you pop right into Clark County. Same thing if you're coming from Phoenix. As soon as you get into Nevada, you are in Clark County. So because it's only Clark County, you don't have to worry about this happening. Now, it is true the Nevada Highway Patrol has been doing it, but it looks like they are not doing it in Clark County. I can't guarantee this. Don't be mad at me if you get money seized driving to Vegas, but it's not all that dangerous right now to carry cash into Vegas from Southern California or from Phoenix if you're driving it. However, other parts of Nevada, yes, especially northern Nevada. Washoe County, which is where Reno is, and Humboldt County, not Humboldt, California with all the marijuana. I'm talking about Humboldt County, Nevada, which is the northeast Nevada. If you are passing through those counties, then there's a notorious stretch of I-80, which is where this occurs very often and has for a long time. There's been a lot of times where people get pulled over by the Nevada Highway Patrol or by local authorities along I-80, which is in northern Nevada, and they get their car searched and they get their cash taken. Even if you can show them how you want it, you can show them tax forms from the casino, doesn't matter. They will take it. They're going to make it very difficult for you to get back. So in this most recent story, that is exactly what happened And this is getting some publicity, especially because the victim of this is a former U.S. Marine. This is outraging some people that this guy served the country in the military and then the country steals from him. So here's the story. And uh, then we will cover how you can avoid this, what was probably going on with him, and also what my general take is on this whole thing. The guy who had this occur to him, as I mentioned, he's a, a former Marine. And this is one of many stories, by the way. This is just the one recently. But there's so many different sad civil forfeiture stories that occur against innocent people. Stephen Lara was pulled over in February on I-80. This was in pretty much the middle of nowhere, though it wasn't that far from Reno. I think it was a little bit east of Reno. He was driving to California, and he was supposedly pulled over by the Nevada Highway Patrol for following a tanker, tu- a tanker truck too closely. But that was an excuse. They were looking for any excuse to pull him over. He wasn't speeding, so they're like, okay, what do we get him for? Oh, okay, okay. he's right behind this tanker truck. Uh, we're going to say he's too close to it and creating a hazard. It's just any excuse to pull him over. So they pulled him over. And he had $87,000 in his car. Why? Well, we'll get to that shortly. But he had $87,000 in his car. He's 39 years old. He's a former U.S. Marine. A drug dog acted as if it, quote, smelled something. And even though he showed documentation to the NHP that the cash was his and that he had it because he, quote, doesn't trust banks... And even though all this was captured on body cam footage, they took it anyway. 
and he had to get a lawyer to get this back. So he is uh, getting the money back. He did end up uh, winning that back, but he's got his uh, legal fees, and he's also sur- he also wants uh, interest on it back. So he wants his legal fees, his interest, and his costs back. And sometimes federal courts will not award those to the plaintiff. Sometimes the federal courts will just give back the cash and whatever money you spent getting it back, you're just out. So it's unclear what he's getting it back. I don't know that he deserves interest since he wasn't going to put the money in the bank anyway. That, that's a good point. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. So I would think for all the trouble I'd award to him anyway. But anyway, it looks like there's a good chance he was driving it around not because he didn't trust banks, because he did have this in the bank at one point, but because he's trying to avoid child support, which does make him a bit less sympathetic. His ex-wife said that he owes $18,000 in back child support and that she feels that he is, quote, avoiding banks because he doesn't want to have to pay her. Otherwise, she could have it seized out of his bank accounts. That's why he's driving around with pretty much all the money he has. However, she did defend him that he was not committing any other crimes other than avoidance of child support. She said... I just don't see this being some ordeal where he's selling drugs or something. I just think he's weird. <laughs> that he just likes to have his cash. So she does acknowledge that he just wants to hold all his cash on him, but that the recent motivation has been to avoid the banks taking his cash and giving it to her for child support. Now, the guy should pay his child support. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And I have a feeling that even though he's recovered this, she probably is going to get this 18000 I don't know this for sure, but I think it's a good chance if if this is owed, she can probably collect this back off him. But that doesn't have to do with this. They didn't pull him over because they thought he's a deadbeat dad. They didn't take the cash because they thought he was a deadbeat dad. When they took the cash, they did not know he was a deadbeat dad. That was found out later. So it doesn't have to do with that. So you can't be distracted by that. That may reduce your sympathy for this guy, but it can't be what makes you think this is okay because they were just trying to steal it and it just so happened that the guys who they're stealing it from also happens to owe back child support but just like if a thief breaks into your home and steals eighty-seven thousand cash and the thief later finds out that you're a deadbeat dad and owed some money to your ex-wife he can't say oh well yeah that's that's why i did that's that's why i broke in your house like no that's that's a totally separate matter and the thief would not get any time off of his sentence for what he did just because you happen to owe money to your ex-wife. So same thing here. So that's really not relevant. It's just probably why he was driving around with all that that money. It is unlikely that he was a drug dealer. It does look like this was a stop meant to get his cash. But how did they know? How did they know that he had money that he was carrying around in his car? Well, this I-80 stretch... They assume there's a lot of people who are driving around that have been to casinos. Why? Because on the east side of I-80 in Nevada, it's between Salt Lake City and the eastern Nevada casinos, like Wendover. So they know a lot of people come in from Utah, either bringing money to gamble with or leaving the casino with maybe money they won. And they will take a shot and pull over out-of-state cars assuming that these are not locals and these people might have money that they brought to or from the casino. Now, they don't always find money. Sometimes they find zero, but you don't hear about those stories. They search the car, say, oh, guess there's no drugs here. Okay, well, here's a ticket. Goodbye. And there's no story. But 
every so often they strike gold. And they strike gold a lot more than they would on an average highway because these are highways that go to and from casinos. So here, they were positioning themselves what looks like a little bit east of Reno and pulling over out-of-state cars, again, assuming that these are people who probably have been to Reno to gamble. So that's why they pull people over. Now, it's sometimes even nastier than that. Sometimes they get tips from casino employees who are angry at uh, a gambler in some way. Remember, we talked about on the show not too long ago that they pulled over two Advantage players who had just taken a casino for six figures in an Advantage play, and they were bitter about this and told various uh, police departments that do these seizures, hey, look out for these cars and these license plates. They're going to have a lot of cash on them. And sure enough, th- they got one of them several states away. And the tip came from Harris. Harris Joliet, I think. So that's really nasty stuff. So they have various ways also that they can tell who is more likely to be carrying cash because they will get tips of who might be carrying cash. So it's not just pulling over random cars, though a lot of times it's that too. But they tend to target out-of-state plates. So if you have a Nevada plate, they're probably not going to pull you over in Nevada on I-80. But if you have an out-of-state plate, then there's a good chance they will if, you, if they're trying to hit you with uh, one of these uh, civil forfeiture scams. So that's what happened to this guy. So definitely do not drive with cash on I-80. Don't do it because there's a decent chance they'll get you with this. And it's very difficult to get back. Yes, you'd get an attorney. Yes, if it was enough money, like this guy is 87K, it would be worth getting an attorney. And yes, you'll probably win. But after spending a bunch of money on the attorney, and often the federal government will not give you back your attorney's fees or your costs or any interest. So in this guy's case, uh, he's trying for it. He may not get it. Hopefully this story, which is getting shared a lot on... uh, social media, it was in the Washington Post, maybe this will attract the proper amount of attention to where there will be something done from the legislative standpoint. I'm shocked this hasn't happened yet, because this would be something very popular for politicians to do. This is not a controversial issue from the standpoint that a lot are for it, a lot are against it. This is not like uh, making an abortion law, where you have a lot of passionate people on both sides. This is not like a, a mask mandate or vaccine mandate. Again, passionate people on both sides. This is something with almost everybody on the same side that everyone thinks it sucks. Everybody hates it. It's, it's a remnant from the 80s drug war, which while originally meant with good intentions, has since been perverted to become legalized theft. And on top of that, there's a generally negative view at this point of the 1980s drug war. So there would be very little opposition to ending this completely. Very little opposition to a federal bill that would make this completely illegal and require from uh, by federal law that these seizures can only take place with say uh, a minimum of clear and convincing evidence and and put some kind of harsh punishment against any police department or government that uh, does it anyway and they would stop that would be the end of it so i i don't know why this has not been done i don't know why this has uh, not even been attempted to my knowledge now here's a report uh, where there's some uh, dash cam of uh, footage of, of the actual seizure. So let's listen to this. He's saying, "I'm just. You're, I know you're just doing your job. That money I worked really hard for." This is uh, Stephen Lara saying that. 
So he's saying, I'm going to have to pay for my kids' rooms, my hotel. He's talking about, he says, this money I worked really hard for. He's basically saying this money they're taking, this 87000 he, he they're taking everything he has. He only has a few bucks left in his jacket, and he's not going to be able to even get a hotel now for him and his kids. I know you're just, uh, you just, it's hard to hear over the wind, but I, I know you're just doing your job. I just don't know what to do. And the sad thing is, the guy wasn't just doing his job. This is someone who's knowingly stealing his money for the Nevada Highway Patrol. I guess he's doing his job also, but he's, he's not just doing it because he really thinks that uh, from a moral standpoint that this guy committed a crime and they just can't prove it. That's a trooper. My sergeant talked to you. He's telling you what's going on. No, you don't. That's, that's so insincere. I'm just going to tell you, we believe right now these are drug proceeds, the currency. No. You don't believe that. You know what you're doing. You're pulling the guy over and stealing money from him. You know it. You do this all the time. It's just a, a complete lie. Like I, I don't know how these uh, these officers who participate in this, I don't know how they go to sleep at night knowing that they're stealing from innocent people on the road. But I guess, as I said, they rationalize it that they have to fund their department some way, and then anyone driving with that much cash, uh, they got to be doing something wrong, they think. I prove to you that it's not perfect. perfect. What I'd like to do is... Uh, It sounds so standard unless you know what was really going on, and that just gets you angry to listen to, because the uh, this officer acts very polite. It's your attorney. You know, it's the right to get an attorney. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you the report. We'll give you this. It's, it's you know, we're we're just suspecting it's drug money, but uh, you know, you have a right to question it. It's almost like on a traffic stop where they're just kind of businesslike with you, and no one's hostile or an asshole, but you know, you're getting stopped and getting a ticket. But here, they're, they're stealing his money and acting like it's just business as usual, which I guess it is in some ways. He said to the Washington Post, I left there confused. I left there angry. I could not believe that I'd just been literally robbed on the side of the road by people with badges and guns. Yeah, he was. The Drug Enforcement Agency was the federal agency involved in the federal side of this. So it's the Drug Enforcement Agency working with Nevada Highway Patrol on you know via this equitable sharing so they can leapfrog the Nevada state law against things like this because by Nevada state law this stop and this seizure were illegal but under federal law it's not isn't that sweet so they can just overrule Nevada state law and take his money 
DEA lied and said they're going to be doing a broader review of his situation to, quote, see what happened. (laughs) Yeah. They knew what was happening before it even happened. So they don't need to review anything. (laughs) Terrible. These type of stories also just reduce people's trust in law enforcement. It makes people not want to report actual crime. It makes people nervous when they get pulled over that bad things are going to happen to them. It makes them lie to police. It makes them hate police. It has all kinds of consequences beyond just the money that's stolen. There need to be trust in our institutions. And you can't have this trust if the police are going to be stealing money from people, whether it's their own department directing it, which in this case, it looks like the Nevada Highway Patrol in that area of northern Nevada in Washoe, in Washoe County. Uh, looks like they're getting some of it and Washoe County would be in the DEA's getting some of it. Whether they're doing this on their own or with the county's blessing or with the town's blessing or the city's blessing or, of course, the federal government has a hand in this. Regardless, if law enforcement is stealing from people, then people will lose trust in law enforcement. That's the last thing we need right now. There's already reduced trust in law enforcement because of all the recent high-profile police brutality incidents, some of which weren't actually police brutality and just framed that way by the media. Some of them were, like the the George Floyd thing. That was uh, definitely police brutality. But the last thing we need is further erosion of trust of law enforcement because that just leads to chaos and that allows criminals to get away with more and that gives police eventually less power to do their job. And I'm talking about their actual job, not their corrupt job of stealing money from people on the road. I don't know why this is still going on. I don't know why there are not more attempts to stop this by legislatures. I would think that any congressman who were to introduce such a bill would be very popular if he got this passed. Be something he could brag about when he attempts to get reelected. So I'm very surprised there haven't been more attempts to just put an end to it. Forget ending the equitable sharing, which is a good idea. Just kill the whole thing. Make it a federal law. You cannot seize anything unless it's either more than a certain very high dollar amount, and I say very high, way above 87000 Let's say, unless somebody is driving with uh, more than 500000 and unless you also have clear and convincing evidence that this person's been involved in crime. And other than that, you can't seize it. Because you know how this would be putting an end to it. Let's say they made the threshold $500,000. They, would, they wouldn't they would stop cars anymore. He's almost nobody's carrying that. They would only really go after the drug dealers and those who are carrying the type of cash. Because if they needed both clear and convincing evidence and more than 500k in the car, how many cars can be found that way? They won't waste their time anymore then maybe they'll go back against the drug dealers and then it's no big deal anymore. But now because there's no minimum and because the evidentiary standard is non-existent for the federal government, they're just robbing people blind. Very, very bad. Okay, so moving on to our next topic. Perlot Friedman has made an announcement. He's made an announcement that doesn't surprise a lot of us, but... He made the announcement, people didn't care, and then he remade the announcement to make sure that you cared. 
Perlot Friedman has announced that he is bisexual. You'd be surprised how many people were anticipating my coverage of this on this show. I don't know what that says for our audience, but people are very excited about the prospect of me covering uh, Perlot Friedman's uh, coming out. But this is not a triumphant story of someone coming out who previously was afraid to because of uh, societal expectations or prejudice against people of a certain sexual preference. No, no, no. This is not a story like that. Of course it's not, because it's about Prahlad Friedman, who is rarely sincere and is always out for attention. So, of course, that's the case again here. So, I just want to let everybody know here. I have nothing against people who are bisexual. I have nothing against uh, poker players who are gay or bisexual. If you've noticed, uh, I've had nothing but good things to say about players like uh, Jason Somerville, who came out as gay and are very popular and very well-liked. And I, I think it's fine. I think it's good that people can just be themselves. You don't have to pretend to be straight if you're not. If you're gay, then be gay and make it clear that you're gay and be openly gay. That's fine. It's, it's a hell of a lot better than having to pretend that you're not. So whatever you like, you like is fine as long as it's not hurting anybody else. And there's no reason that poker shouldn't have out gay poker pros. And uh, we used to not. There used to be no out gay poker pros. Then we had Vanessa Selfs, but she's female, so it's a little bit different. It's uh, easier to come out as female. So uh, there were no gay male poker pros. And then uh, Jason Somerville was really the first known poker pro to come out as gay. We also had uh, Ryan LaPlante not that long after that. And uh, in fact, he won a bracelet and, and, and kissed his boyfriend at the, at the bracelet ceremony. So... It's already been done a few years ago, more than a few years ago. You know, several years ago, it's already been done that males in poker have come out as gay. Not just bi, but actually gay, and have been well-received. Like Jason Somerville, super popular player. And Ryan LaPlante, uh, yeah, there's some people that don't like him, but for the most part, uh, he's pretty well-liked. And uh, he had a small scandal where people unearthed some racist stuff he said in the chat box many years ago, but... Uh, whatever you know he's he's generally well liked too and uh for the most part uh he's well accepted and there really isn't uh discrimination against him for being gay so we're past that okay so we have some gay poker pros out there who are very visible and that's that in fact if you go to cardschat.com which is uh, a pretty prominent poker news site these days you'll see who's like face is very prominent on the site is uh, Ryan LaPlante because he's doing some promotion with them involving their uh, involving his training company. So, okay. I, it, it's very clear that gay players can be very prominent in poker and don't have to hide it. So, Prahlad coming out as bi is not the big story here, especially because it's been kind of clear that he had these feelings for at least a year now. He had uh, infamously tweeted before that it's okay for men to kiss each other, for men to be attracted to other men, for men to kiss each other, and that uh, people should stop acting so homophobic that all men have these feelings, he said, and that uh, men should just stop being so uptight about it and just kiss each other because pretty much all men want to kiss each other at some point. Uh, And I'm like, what? No. So that was 
a ridiculous thing he said back then, but he didn't come out and say he was bi. He just said that all men are bi. So, of course, he's kind of including himself in that, and we, we could read between the lines. This, we're talking about last year, not recently, where he was more clear. But last year, he was just basically saying that all men sometimes have attraction to other men. All men sometimes want to kiss other men. And you just got to stop being so homophobic and uptight and do it. Now, that is a very bigoted statement, actually. That's just as bad as those who said years ago, and some who stay, still say it today, that there's no such thing as a gay man, that every, every man can uh, be attracted to women, every man can be happy married to a woman, that there's no reason to be gay, because every man, if they try hard enough, can find an attraction to women. They should just try it, and they'll like it. And this was said for many years to gay men, and their gay sexual preference was not accepted and not validated. They were told, you just got to find the straightness in you. That's why they had these conversion camps and all that other bad stuff. Because it was assumed that there's no such thing as an actual gay man who just isn't attracted to women. So today that seems absurd, right? Doesn't it seem absurd today that uh, it was thought at one point by some people that no man is truly gay? Well, Perlot is basically saying the same thing. He was saying last year that all men are bi. All men want to kiss other men. All men want to uh, uh, be with another man sexually, at least sometimes, and that if you don't acknowledge this, you're homophobic. It's, it's only your internal homophobia that you can't admit that you want this. So that's the same thing. It's the same thing as saying that there's no such thing as a straight guy. Just like they said there's no such thing as a gay guy back then, he's saying in 2020... There's no such thing as a straight guy, just because he isn't straight. And I thought that was a a very intolerant statement. Now, I can say, as a straight guy, that I don't have a desire to kiss other men. I never have. I don't have a desire to have sex with other men. I don't have a desire to date other men. I don't have any kind of physical or romantic attraction to other men. I never have. I've never had to suppress those desires because I've never had them. So... I am one of those straight men who just has never been attracted to men. Now, Prahlad's not one of them. Prahlad has been attracted to men. That's fine. But he can't say that men like me don't exist. There's a ton of men out there. I would have to say the vast, vast majority of men don't have a desire to be with other men. Now, there's some who have a little bit of the desire, some who have a lot, some who are outright gay and just covering it up. You know, there's, it's a wide spectrum there. But there are a lot of men out there who really don't have any attraction to other dudes and don't have to suppress anything. And again, I know this because I'm one of them. So I thought that was very intolerant of him to say. And we were saying at the time that this is Prahlad not wanting to accept that he was bi and that this made him different. He wanted to think all dudes are like this. He's just the one enlightened enough to admit it. That makes him feel better. That just everybody's like this. He's just the only one who's in touch with himself enough to know it. But still, he didn't outright come and say that he was bi. We assumed it, but he didn't outright come and say it. Until, on August 30th, he decided to come out and say it. So this is what he tweeted on August 30th. This shouldn't be a big deal, yet it is. Just shows the world needs to continue to be themselves no matter what. Fuck homophobia. 
Currently, I'm in a committed relationship with Fee Basilio, and I would never cheat. But love is love, and it's cool to be free. Love y'all. And then he put out a very touching graphic. It's not quite a poem. It kind of looks like a poem. It's not a graphic from Instagram or something, or Facebook, something like that. I will read it to you. What man will wear a skirt with me and post a dope picture on the gram as a statement that people are free to wear whatever clothes they want without judgment? Wait, wait, hold hold on a second, Prilad. Hold on. Now, being bi and being gay and cross-dressing are two different things. In fact, being bi, being gay, and being trans are two different things. There are people, in fact, I think uh, Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner falls into this category. There are people who transition from male to female and are only attracted to women. It's assumed that they all like men, and most of them do, but th- there are some actually who, who don't and consider themselves lesbians at that point, that they, they still have the same sexual preference only for women. I guess you know, they, they claim they're lesbian, but putting on a skirt <laughs> and posting a, quote, dope picture on the gram, that, that doesn't make you buy. but uh, apparently he wants to do that too. He wants, he wants a man to wear a skirt with him and post a dope picture on the gram to show that people are free to wear whatever they want. <laughs> now, now, keep in mind, we're not seeing a picture of him with a skirt yet. It's not like he's uh, showing up with a picture on the skirt and encouraging this. You have to do it with him. I don't know if you have to physically be with him, take a picture with him together, or, or you can just each take a picture of yourself, yourselves in a skirt, and he'll combine them together, and they'll post a, a dope picture on the gram. Now, what is a dope picture, though? Is it a picture where you look like a dope? I think you can do that. What is a dope picture? Well, anyway, he, he wants you to post a dope picture on the gram, meaning Instagram, of course, as a statement that people are free to wear whatever clothes they want without judgment. So I, I guess he's a cross-dresser, too. The gram is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> the gram. <laughs> okay, so let's go on. Uh, who, who will support this cause with me? In the future, people won't be scared of judgments like they are today. I want to help change the world. And he puts heart, heart, heart. Some people will read this and think, I never knew progress was gay. I'm human. All humans, they want to be free from boxes. People are killed from being bi. Let's fight against this macho, I get pussy attitude. All men cry. All men have thoughts of another man. Oh, there, there, wait, hold up. Where, there, where, uh, what, what? See, there we are again. I, I thought you're past this per lot. I thought you were okay with being bi. What do you mean all men have thoughts of another man? I mean, I, I, I've thought about other men, but not sexually. <laughs> you know what he means there by have they have thought of another man all men not, not not most men not some men not a healthy percentage of men no all men 100% of men according to Perlod have sexual thoughts I assume that's what he means by all thought of another man all men have sexual thoughts of another man see he still can't get past that he's different that's what's amazing here he has decided that if he's bisexual you must be bisexual that he's going to tell you what your sexual preference is no such thing as straight according to Perlod because he's bi, you can't be straight. Makes loads of sense. He finishes off writing, It's human nature. Don't be scared of yourself or others. I'm bisexual and I'm free as fuck. But I get attacked and laughed at. This will change with your help. Heart, heart, heart. So he posted that. I think it was from either Facebook or Instagram. But he screen captured that. And posted that along with his statement on Twitter that I read you before, about this shouldn't be a big deal, yet it is. Just shows the world needs to continue to be themselves no matter what. Fuck homophobia. I'm committed to my um, 
my my girlfriend or wife or whatever she is, and uh, I'll never cheat. This is this is now the new young Brazilian girl, not the one who left him before that he has a kid with. He's with some other Brazilian girl who's very similar to the previous one. And I think he's actually living in Brazil with her. I think he's actually posting this from Brazil. He posted this, and he expected a shitstorm. But I think he expected mostly a shitstorm of support, because it's 2021. And he was expecting that he's mostly going to get people praising him, mostly telling him how brave and beautiful he is, mostly telling him how they're so proud of him, and they support him. Maybe even some men coming and saying they're going to wear a skirt with him and post a dope pic on the gram. He was expecting a major epic response to this. So how many retweets did he get to this epic reveal that he's bisexual and wants to wear a skirt on the gram? Zero point zero. No retweets. How many responses did he get to this big reveal? Zero point zero. No responses. No retweets. How many quote tweets? Zero point zero. How many likes? Ten. Ten likes. And the last two came recently, by the way. There was, there was eight when I looked several days ago. So he got eight initially. I guess two more picked up over time. Keep in mind, he has a blue checkmark Twitter account that has 18,000 followers. So out of 18,000 followers... He got 10 likes, no replies, no retweets. Epic fail as far as trying to get attention. Now, you may say, maybe he wasn't trying to get attention. Maybe he just wanted to finally get this off his chest and come out and say he's bisexual and say he wants to wear a skirt and a dope picture on the gram. Maybe he just wanted to put it out there. And yeah, people didn't respond because it's 2021 and people don't think it's a huge deal anymore to come out as bisexual. Maybe because people already kind of figured that was the case. So he didn't get much of a response. So you would think maybe this would affirm to Prahlad that it really isn't a big deal anymore. That people don't really care anymore. That it's not shocking. Oh my God, Prahlad Friedman's bi. How can we look at him the same way again? No, it looks like nobody cared. So the problem was that this little graphic he put up about the dope picture of being in a skirt on the gram and this will change with your help that he gets attacked and laughed at, blah, blah, blah. Like, nobody responded. This is all for attention. I'm not saying he's not bi. I'm just saying that this post was not his triumphant coming out moment. He wanted attention, and he wanted the approval from the woke Twitter crowd. He wanted the praise. He wanted the accolades for being so brave, and he didn't get any of it. He got 10 likes, no response, no retweets, no quote tweets. Go take a look. You'll see it. I mean, even I'm surprised how little he got, but he got nothing. So he got frustrated. A day later, August 31st, he tweeted, I came out as bi and nobody cares. I guess that's good. So he's got to let you all know the next day that nobody's caring. He's saying, ah, hey, guys, over here. I, I, hey, guys, I, I'm bisexual. Uh, um, hey, you notice me. Uh, praise me. Why is nobody responding? Come on, come on. I said something here. It's supposed to be like, like, like an epic moment. Where's, where's, where's the response? I mean, yeah, maybe it's good that nobody cares, but, but no, not for me. I, I need the attention. Please, people respond. Please. So there he got his response. I guess whining pays off. That tweet, that little tweet, compared to that long one he dropped on August 30th, the day before, that little tweet 
got 82 replies and 321 likes. Mm, that's more what he was looking for. So, as you might expect, there was a lot of praise and a lot of, uh, you're so brave, oh, so glad you could be yourself. Yeah, you know, all the usual stuff from the virtue signalers who want to show how tolerant they are. But they felt kind of like guilted into saying something because at first he puts it out there and nobody cares. They're like, okay, whatever. Then he puts it out there that they, nobody's responding and they realize, oh, oh, okay, Prahlad needs validation. Okay, we'll give it to him. That, that's what happened here. People felt that he needed the validation, so they, they, they were polite and said something, oh, that's great. A person who goes by O-Town responded, uh, do whatever makes you happy, you only live once. He said back, I'm surprised by all the love, appreciate it so much. Yeah, you're so surprised that you had to tweet a second time when your first tweet didn't get response. That's how surprised you are. You were surprised you did get love or response the first time. What doesn't surprise you is that when you bitch about nobody paying attention, that people pay attention. Now, I, I like this one. <laughs> I don't even know what this tweet means to him, but I love his response. So some guy named uh, Gaza NUFC wrote, as long as you put in your blinds, nothing else matters. I think that's a reference to when he had some kind of issue on TV with Jeff Lissandro about uh, whether he put in his ante. But here's the blinds the guy was saying. As long as you put in your blinds, nothing else matters. And then he says back, I'm going to get in these blinds for sure. (laughs) Sorry, not these blinds, them blinds. I'm going to get in them blinds for sure. For sure being F-A-S-H-O heart. And not I am, I'ma, I-M-M-A. I'm going to get in those blinds for sure. So what does that mean? (laughs) He's going to get them blinds for sure. What? Is that like a sexual reference? I'm going to get those blinds in for show. Who's he going to get them in? I don't think I want to know. All right, so finally someone said what needed to be said. person who posts as at recent poker said, everyone already knew. So Prahlad said back, I did say everyone is bi, and I'm part of everyone, he he. He actually typed he he, H-E-H-E. I didn't have the courage to straight up say I am. Well, you still don't have the courage to straight up say you are and others aren't. Why does everybody have to be bi? Why, why can't you just be bi and some other people are bi and many guys are not? Where is that courage? Courage is saying I'm different and I'm accepting it. Courage is not saying I'm different and the rest of you are different. You're just not as in touch with yourselves as I am. That's not courageous. That's cowardly. So he's acknowledging that he did say everyone is bi, but he's not saying, oh, yeah, I was wrong. He admitted he didn't have the courage to say that he was, but he's not saying, oh, yeah, I said that because I, I couldn't admit I was, but yeah, everybody actually isn't. There's, there's plenty of guys who aren't. He, he's not saying that here, and he didn't say that in his graphic the day before, where he said, he said that all men have thoughts of another man. No, they don't. No, they don't. Is this going to change a lot? No, because really, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, and people already knew. But... It just shows that even when he comes out with what probably were real feelings, like I don't think he's making this up for attention. Someone told me, oh, I think he's just making all this up because he wants attention. I think you're half right. I think he wants attention, but he's not making this up. He just thought this would be an epic story that would get praise heaped upon him. I, I think he was probably picturing that he's going to get what, uh, what uh, Jason Somerville got when Somerville came out. Because Somerville did not initially come out either. 
Somerville at first just didn't talk about it. And then just one day he came out and said, you know, I'm just going to let you all, let you guys know, even though there's no other uh, out gay men in poker that are known players, I'm gay. And he got a lot of support and a lot of people praised him. And he was the first even semi-prominent poker pro who was male to come out as gay. So it's understandable why he got a nice response. Perlod is late to the party. Perlod's coming out now, which is fine. He can't expect to get the same praise Somerville got, but I think that's what he was expecting. And he also wants to frame this as something that makes him an enlightened man who's not uh, engaging in toxic masculinity. Oh, I can wear a skirt. I, I don't even think he wears skirts. See, I, I, th- that part I think is phony. I don't think Perlot is, is, is trans or a cross-dresser or anything like that. I, I think he probably doesn't even wear skirts. I don't think he wants to wear skirts. I think he only wants to so he can brag on Twitter that he isn't afraid to. That's why he wants uh, other guys to wear skirts with him to put up a dope pic on the gram. It, the whole thing's just so phony. Even if the bisexuality is real, which I think it is, the rest of it is just so phony and contrived to get attention and get accolades. And that's so much what he's about. And if you remember, a short time ago, he actually confessed, and we covered that on this show, that he took the money from UB because he needed the money. That he didn't believe in UB when he took the money. That he willfully ignored all the massive warning signs with UB, because after the cheating scandal, it wasn't before the cheating scandal, that he took the money because they offered him a lot. They offered him a uh, million dollars a year for three years. And he actually tweeted to our own Willie McFML from Poker Fraud Alert. He tweeted, you get offered a million a year for three years to wear a hat and see what you do. And then he even said at one point that uh, he needed money at the time. He said, I needed money at the time and no other site would offer me a penny. Pretty hard to turn down three million for three years. So this this guy who was always going on and on about the evil corporations and he'll never sell sell out and take evil corporate money. All that was BS. He sold out as soon as he needed to sell out. As soon as he needed the money, he sold out to the worst corporation in poker that there was. So all of this is an act to make himself feel good. His, His whole routine, his whole far left limousine liberal routine it's all to make himself feel good and get attention and i can respect someone on the other political side who really has the strength of their convictions and really practices what they preach even if i disagree strongly with what they preach but if they preach one thing and they do something else or if what they're doing is mainly for attention or accolades that's when i really am critical of them and that's why i love covering them on this show because it's just so funny whenever he does these things. And it, it's always done in such an absurd way, too. I remember when he uh, was complaining that there were no a- there was no one except whites and Asians at final tables. There was just always whites and Asians. So he was offering poker, ca- poker coaching to anyone who's not white or Asian to get some people of color, some peeps of color at the final table. So everyone laughed at this. In addition to being stupid... But the fact that he was actually excluding Asians because they were doing well, too, wasn't just the white people. So you can't be white or Asian. <laughs> so he didn't understand how stupid that looked. Yeah, if you ain't white, you ain't Asian, you can get at me. I'll give you some poker coaching. He actually excludes Asians and doesn't understand how bad that looks. Like the whole thing looked bad, but it was especially dumb there. Like He doesn't realize how dumb a lot of this looks. 
So there you go. People wanted me to read these tweets in his voice, and people wanted me to cover this. You got it. I knew the second I read this, up. Oh, this is going to be a segment next week. And here we are. Okay, time for Poker Fraud Alert story time. Yes, this has become a popular segment on this show. People who want to hear in story format. It wasn't called PFA story time, but that's the new name for it until I come up with something better. But we've been doing this just about every week recently, and I, I couldn't leave you guys without a story, even though we have enough to cover this week without PFA story time. Here's the fire. Which I was told not to light again. This campfire, because you heard what happened last week. My curtains caught fire. You guys heard me drop the microphone and run over and get an extinguisher and put it out. You heard that whole thing. And I promised I wouldn't light this again, but it's 4.30 in the morning and no one else is around to see me light it here. So I don't think that my girlfriend's going to get this far in the show. I don't think she'll catch me. So I, I get to have this fire on. And it's not going to be... <coughs> Hold on. It's not going to be any problem here. I don't think she's going to wake up. I, the, the curtains are already burnt off, so that's not going to catch fire. And I have it in a safe spot. I have an extinguisher right next to me in case this lights something. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. I don't know why I keep coughing. Um, and in case anything happens with this fire, uh, I'm, I'm ready with a fire extinguisher. And uh, I like having it here in the background so I can feel like I'm telling you guys a story around the... <coughs> And no wonder I'm coughing. It's a stupid smoke. I didn't think I'd smoke in this room. I guess this fire's never been on long enough to create smoke in the room. <coughs> Hold on. Okay. It doesn't work out. Every time I put on this fire, something happens. I think I'm going to have to stop with the fire, guys. Every time... Every time it's, it causes a problem. I've got smoke all over the room. That's great. All right, let me tell you about PFA story time. Before I begin, I ask, I'm going to ask a question here of Trader Ruski. Uh, have you ever lived in a college dorm, Trader Ruski? I have not. Okay, well, I have. I had a mixed experience there. I, I definitely had some memories. However, hold on. Let me say one thing, though, Druff. My dad used to take us when we were kids to uh, UCSB to... They had like a summer camp, but we did stay in the dorms at that time, but I was much younger. Oh, okay. So you know the dorms there. Is this actually going to be about exactly the UCSB dorms? About. Yeah, but but you like you haven't actually stayed. Vista side, right? Kind of close to Isla Vista, where you walk out the side. And but that that's one of them, but that's not the one I stayed in. But yes, I know which one you're talking about. That one's called the San Rafael, where you stayed. But yeah, at least you've been to the dorms, the UCSB, even though you didn't live there as a student, which is kind of a different experience. I've actually done both. But this story is about my experience there as a student in 1991 and my battle with the dining commons. Now, the dining commons, for those of you that don't know, is pretty much the dorm cafeteria that this is included with your dorm tuition, which is a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to stay in the dorms, a lot more than you'd think, even back in 91. But you have the right to go to the dining commons and basically have a buffet-style meal 
three times a day. You don't have to go three times a day, but there's a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner. I usually just went to lunch and dinner because I wasn't up early in the morning. And when I was, I'd wake up at the last minute and uh, go to class. I didn't have time to eat breakfast. I wasn't a uh, morning person, nor was I particularly hungry right when I wake up, and I'm still not. But I could have gone to breakfast if I wanted to. I did a handful of times, but really not that many. It was mainly lunch and dinner. So this was something included. It was not free, of course, because the high tuition to stay in the dorms paid for this food. And that's important to know, of course, here. They're not doing me a favor by giving me this food. It's not free food. It's food that has been prepaid, basically. My big problem with the dining commons, aside from it not being very good, but I I knew that was going to be the case coming in there. At least it's convenient. You don't have to make your own food. It's hard to make your own food in the dorms. You don't have to go to the neighboring town of Isla Vista and buy food all the time. So there's a lot of convenience to having the dining commons there. Even though the food wasn't that good, and even though the variety wasn't that great because they repeated things. I mean, they they would change it from day to day, but it it repeated pretty fast. So you, you were eating one of several items they would typically serve over and over again. But whatever, that's very common among dorms, uh, dining commons. My issue was with their hours. And I wasn't trying to change this, in case you think this story is about my quest to change their hours. No, nothing, I never tried that. I wished they change it, but I knew that was never going to happen. So I, I didn't try. But the hours were pretty bad. Trader Risky, can you guess um, two of the three dining commons? What do you think was their closing hour for dinner? Closing meaning you were, you didn't have to get out, but that you couldn't come in any later than this hour. What do you think was the latest hour you could walk in for dinner at two of the three dining commons? Eight, nine. I wish six thirty. Wow, is that insane? It was open from four forty-five to six thirty. Now, if you walked in before 6.30, you could stay till you were done. But after 6.30, they would already start to clean up. they start to take things away. Uh, so if you, what about the third dining common? Because there are three of them. The third dining common with the later hours was open to the exciting late hour of 7 o'clock. You get an extra half hour. Wow. Well, this was a big problem for me because I was someone who stayed up late. And... I would come in at the last minute, not because I was just late or not because I just was trying to be a pain in the ass, but because I wanted to eat as late as possible because I stayed up late and I didn't want to have to be hungry for a whole meal again after I'm up several hours after they close. So obviously, I'm not going to come in at 5 or 5.30. I'm going to come in towards the end and eat as late as possible. I never understood why they had these hours because a lot of students stay up late. A lot of students would prefer to eat later in the evening. I'm not saying they have to stay up until 10 or 11, but 6.30 was an insane time to stop for two of the three of them, and 7 is not much better. But I knew I couldn't change that. When I learned about it, I was pretty shocked, but I wasn't ever trying to change that. I didn't feel like I would have the power to get such a thing done. So I dealt with it. I didn't say anything to anybody, didn't ever complain. I would just come in towards the end. Now, remember, it's buffet style. Remember that they're open till 6.30. Well, if they let you come in up till 6.30, let's say you walk in at 6.29. If you walk in at 6.29, if they take all the food away at 6.30, then there's no point to walk in because you can't get any food. It'll all be gone. So there is some expectation that if they're going to let people walk in until 6.30, that they have to 
leave the food out there and they have to serve from the hot stations for some reasonable amount of time after 6.30. Something like 15 minutes or, or 20 minutes. And if they don't want to do that, then they shouldn't let people walk in at 6.30. So just because the last time you can walk in is 6.30 doesn't mean that all the food should be gone at 6.30 or there's no, no point to walk in at 6.30. So you got to understand that. And that was generally how they operated at first, where I would have something like 20 minutes to get everything and maybe even go back for seconds before they'd start shutting things down. And what they would do by shutting things down is they'd remove the hot things first and then uh, some stuff would stay out there, stuff that didn't go bad, you know, kind of like dry, cold stuff that wouldn't go bad if it just sits out for a whole day. So that would always stay out and the drink machine would stay open. But uh, they'd start removing anything that's going to go bad by just uh, sitting out there. But I understood that. I wasn't objecting when they remove things while I'm eating because I know at some point they've got to close up. So none of that was a problem. And aside from the hours being way too early and aside from the food not being particularly good, uh, I was okay with everything. But then they came out with what they called the anti-waste initiative. And that became a big problem. And that started my second year at UCSB. See, my first year was in 1990, ending in 91, in June of 91. And that year is basically okay. We didn't have any real problems yet. The 91-92 year, where I wasn't even sure if I was going to come back to the dorms that year, but I did. But that was the school year, which was the problem. So we're not quite at the 30-year mark of this, but this was probably happening towards the end of 91, where I'm going to tell you where the conflict arose. They came up with this anti-waste initiative, which sounded on the surface like it was pretty noble. They said, we waste such and such pounds of food every day. We have to throw it away because we can't reuse a lot of this stuff. It's, it's against uh, health department codes, and we can't even donate it to the homeless. We're required by law to throw it out, as, as are uh, all buffets, by the way. So they had a uh, health department requirement to toss a lot of the fresh food that they had available to eat at the end of the night and they were noticing that they were wasting a lot of food every night. Well, guess what? Welcome to the world of buffets. Every buffet has that problem because there is no way to predict down to the morsel of what everybody's going to want to eat in a buffet-style place where you don't know how many people are going to walk in and how many people are going to want to eat and how much they're going to want to eat. So there's no way to not waste food if you have a buffet. Having a buffet equals wasting food. There is no way around it. There's not a buffet around that can both serve everybody food and not waste food. It's not possible. So the anti-waste initiative was ridiculous. Now, if they wanted to say, well, we're noticing we're having a lot of excess of, of certain types of food where we're putting it out and almost nobody's wanting it and we're going to offer less of it according to demand, that would be a good way to stop waste. But they should never have a goal that they're going to run out of everything by the end. Well, stupidly, that was their goal. They decided they're going to try to go for that. Well, who does that screw? People like me, people who come in towards the end. Because now, instead of making sure they have enough food for everybody, you have a much lesser selection by the end because they're trying to order just enough of everything to where it'll exactly run out by the end. So if people want more of something than they're expecting, it's gone. And they don't replace it whereas before they did. Why? Because they don't want to waste food, they said. Well, that's not fair. People who p come in at 620, 625, 615, whatever it is, even 629, they pay the same thing 
as the people who came in at 445. Thus, they should have the same meal and same opportunity to get food. It's not like they're giving a discount to the people coming in later. This food was paid for equally by everybody staying at the dorms. And everybody should have an equal access to it and not be forced to come in at 4.45 or 5 o'clock or 5.15 if they want access to all the food they serve. Now, coming in late does risk that they'll run out of something if there's surprising demand for something, but they shouldn't aim to run out, for, run out of a lot of things by near the end of when you're coming in, because that violates the entire standards of a buffet. In fact, any buffet that would do that would, would go out of business. Go to Hometown Buffet or any other buffet by you. Even not a high-end one. Just go to any buffet by you. Come in towards the end. Tell me if they are out of most things. They won't be. There may be a few things they're out of, but they're not going to be out of most things, and they're not going to be close to out of most things, because that's part of running a buffet. And if you don't want that, then don't have buffet-style service. That's one way to stop it, just make everything to order. Now, they probably won't have such a capacity to do that because of the number of students doing it, but if you're going to have a buffet, you're going to waste food. That's the way it is. You can't screw the students come in later to try to, quote, not waste food. So their attempt to stop wasting food just screwed people at the end, like me. So I was unhappy with this. I was not happy with that. Now, truthfully, the right way to have approached this would have been to go to upper management immediately and raise the issues I'm raising now. That would have been the correct way of handling it. That would have been the most mature way of handling it. However, I was 19 years old, so I wasn't quite the same guy I am today. And I don't think any of you were the same people you are today when you were 19. There be some and there's no social media truck. You would have blown them up. Right, right. I, cu- I couldn't uh, ask for retweets about this. Yeah, right. I couldn't blow them up on social media. I, so I wanted to do something about it, and I was unhappy about it. Uh, I was also 19, and, and there was still some immaturity there. But what I was doing at first was I would uh, just kind of complain to the people serving it to me uh, and, and kind of just expressing my frustration rather than attempting to do anything about it. So I'd walk up and noticing again, there's like like three of the five hot stations are just completely empty. I'd walk up and say, oh, look, there's two of five stations open serving food. That's a shock at 630. I'd say things like that. And so, yeah, they probably got to think I was an asshole. And that probably wasn't the optimal way to handle it. At the same time, uh, they should have realized that my frustration is justified. I wasn't just being uh, needlessly difficult that uh, this is a dumb policy that was screwing people coming in later uh, in the hours that they were open. So I I would uh, make little comments here and there about this, which uh, started to make some of the staff frustrated with me. But they just, uh, they would bite their tongue. They wouldn't say anything back. In a few cases, they actually agreed with me and say, yeah, yeah, we we don't like this is happening either. But, uh, you know, that's the way they're doing it here now. But most of them would just kind of uh, ignore it. Then came an incident that uh, pissed me off so much, I decided I'm going to take some action. And it was the one time, one and only time in college that I was so dedicated to my belief in a cause, if you want to call it that, that I was willing to go to jail for it. Here's what happened. I showed up 
to the dining commons that was open till 6.30. That was closer to the dorm I was in, so that's why I, I went to this one the most. So I walked in there at about 6.20, and by this point, this is my second year in school there, they had just come out with a state-of-the-art 1991 ID card with a strip on it that could keep track of you coming into the dining commons, because they noticed that some greedy and maybe fat individuals were coming in both at the beginning of the meal hours and then eat and then come back at the end of the meal hours and eat again. Oh, my God. The horror. By the way, almost nobody did that, but somehow they were very paranoid about that. So they came out with this card that it was actually attached to your student ID card, this new student ID card that was state-of-the-art in 91, that could actually track that you've come into a dining commons and then won't let you back in if you try to come in a second time. So they'd scan it when you'd come in. And if you attempted to come back in a second time in that same meal, it would uh, tell the person at the front not to let you in. So there's a reason I'm telling you this. So I come in, they scan my card. I walk in and then a few steps into walking in past the part where they scan the card, there is a notice, boiler broken. It says, no hot food. And I said, what, 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 hold, hold on here. There's no hot food? They said, no, there's no hot food. I go, I couldn't see this sign when you were scanning this. Oh, yeah, you know, we're just doing, we're, I know you couldn't see it. This is just to let everybody know so they don't bother going back there and then wondering where the hot food is. I go, yeah, but you just scanned my card. They said, yes. I said, well, how do I get hot food? They said, you can't have, have cold food. I said, but I, I could go to this other commons that's open till seven and I could get hot food there. They said, no, you can't. You're to scan here. I go, you got to be kidding me. I said, I, it's not like I've been in here and I'm saying now that I, I want a second meal over there. I walked in. I was not informed about the fact that your boiler's broken. I, you, you admitted I, there's no way to see the sign where you're, where you're scanning this. And now I'm here. I'm saying I, I want you to reverse my coming in here. They said, there's no way the system won't let us do it. There's no way to reverse scanning your card in. I said, okay, fine. Can you write me a note saying that the boiler's broken and I chose not to come in here and write a note to the other comments to let me in? They said, no. I said, what, 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 come again? No. No, they said. I said, but I haven't eaten here. They said, we know that. Once you're scanned in here, you have to eat here. I said, what? How? Why? Why does it matter which one I eat at? The whole point of the system is to stop people from having multiple meals. Clearly, I haven't had multiple meals because I was able to be scanned here. And I was just scanned here a few seconds ago. Obviously, I haven't eaten anything here. You know, we know that. We know you haven't had a meal yet. But we have different budgets from the other dining commons. So if we let you go over there, then uh, it's going to mess up our budget. <laughs> I said, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I said, what do you mean your budget? I mean, I'm, I'm one person. Well, we have to do it. We do it for you. We have to do it for everybody. I said, first of all, that's not true. And second, we're near the end of the, the hours here. You're about to close. So who else are you going to do it for? <laughs> nope. We have a very strict rule. You can only come in to one commons per day, per meal. And you've come in this one. We have plenty of cold food for you to eat. This is where you're going to eat. If you don't want to eat, you don't have to eat here, but you can't go to the other one. So I asked for the manager. They brought over the student manager. There was a student manager who was in charge of that commons, who I'll get to later. 
The guy was Wait, a. Uh, Indrop, was this the first incident that got you firing all these people over the years? It, it kind of is. Yes, this, this, this is the first incident I ever had with 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 the management of any place ever. Before I had my like my parents would take care of it. This is the first time like I was on my own to deal with with things like this. So yes, that's that's a good question, Traderuski. Wow, it's like a butterfly effect. Yeah, so the, so, the last person at, at the Rio, I think. Yeah, so so they bring in the they bring over this uh, student manager I've seen around before. I knew who he was. In fact, this guy was ahead of his time. This guy was a male feminist, and uh, there weren't many male feminists back in in ninety one. So this guy would be doing a lot better as a student today. But he was a male fe- feminist. He used to write all these uh, letters to the editor about how evil men are, even though he he was a dude himself, and. Uh, very insufferable guy. He was the man. He was a student manager. He was like the acting manager of of that commons. So he came over and and reiterated what the guy, the first person in the front, said to me that I absolutely cannot go to the other commons and gave me the same bullshit reasons. And in fact, copped an attitude with me too. So I, I just stormed out. I couldn't believe it. You know, I paid for this. This is my money that went towards these meals. It's not like they're giving this for free. I just wanted the meal I paid for, and they wouldn't give it to me. I could walk right over to the other commons. They would not let me do it. They would not write a note for me saying what had happened. I even asked them, look, I'm not asking you to promise me that the other commons will let me in. I understand it's different management, even a different budget, even though it's the same school uh, under the same banner of the dorm. So to, to say there's different budgets is absurd, but fine. Can you at least write me this note and let them decide? No, we're not writing you anything. We don't agree you should be able to go over there. So it wasn't even like we'd like to help you, but they're not going to do it for you. They just wouldn't help. It's give me a big fat middle finger. So I walked over to the other commons, and I thought, what am I going to do? I thought, I'm going to try to get let the, have them let me in. I'm going to tell them the story, and hopefully they will take pity on my situation and just let me in. I might as well give it a shot. I have nothing to lose. But what if they refuse, I thought to myself. Am I going to just turn around and peacefully walk away? Or will I decide to make a protest out of this? So I decided, and I really would have committed to this. I decided that I was going to go in and that I was going to tell them the story politely, very calmly and politely. And that if they chose not to let me in, that I was going to walk through anyway and say, no, I paid for this. I'm getting the meal I paid for. If you don't like that, arrest me. So I wasn't going to start with a confrontation. I wasn't going to threaten to have them, you know, just I'm going to walk in or you can arrest me. I was going to come in and ask for their help. But if the answer was no, I was going to say, well, I'm walking in anyway and getting what I paid for. If you don't like it, call the police. I was all ready to say that. I braced myself, and I thought there might be, there's a very good chance, in fact, that I would end up in jail that night. I even had thoughts that I'm going to sue the school if they were to arrest me for this. Because remember, I paid for it. So it's not like getting arrested at a protest and suing the school. I, I would be walking in to redeem what I had paid for, and they would be arresting me for it. So I don't know if this would have uh, been a lawsuit that I could have won, but that was my plan. And if they arrested me, I was going to sue the school. Well, I walked up. A girl was in front there. I've seen her before at this one open till seven. Didn't have much of an opinion of her. She was kind of, yeah, it's kind of neutral. 
I didn't think she was particularly friendly, but she wasn't uh, ever difficult either. I walked in. I gave her my card. I hoped maybe the system wouldn't catch it. I hoped maybe the system would just let me through somehow. She scanned it. It didn't take. She scanned it again. didn't take. She says, yeah, it looks like you've been in uh, here already. And I said, oh, well, not exactly. I went over to this other one here, and the boiler's broken, and they had scanned my card already. And so I asked them if they could unscan it. They said there's no way to do that. So they told me to come out for here. Now, I, I lied about that last part. They told me not to go over there, but uh, screw them. So she paused for a second. And she said, um, uh, yeah, okay, go in. So I went in. I had my meal. There was no confrontation. There was no arrest. She never knew what I was planning, had she said no. Well, guess what I had that night? That night, I happened to have a meeting with the dorm government. Because I was part of the dorm government. Guess who else was part of the dorm government that year? You have any guesses, Trader Ruski? Ken Shaler or whatever. The Master Ken Scaler, yes. He was part of the dorm government. He was at meeting, too. So I happened to be on the dorm government, which, by was the way, I didn't... Or, I, was that pre or post the, the ride to L.A.? That was uh, post the ride to L.A. where I met him. The ride in L.A. was, was in January. This was like in the end of 91. So I happened to have... A meeting, the weekly meeting was that night. I think it was like Tuesday night. It was at 7.30. So very shortly after I finished my meal, I walked into that meeting. And I was still fuming, even though I got my meal. I got it partially by lying, by saying I was given permission when I really wasn't given permission. And also the girl in front just didn't give a shit, thankfully. But the bottom line is that that main dining commons I attempted to go to wanted to deny me a meal I had paid for and were just complete assholes about it. And I was sick and tired of this ridiculous uh, anti-waste program they had that screwed the people who tried to eat towards the end of the meal because they stay up later at night. Because again, I wasn't coming in minutes before 11 o'clock at night. I was coming in minutes before 6.30. I was fuming about this. But I was trying to keep my composure and not rant like a crazy person. So when we get to the end of the meeting, they said, does anyone have any comments or issues they'd like to bring up? And I said, oh, yeah, I have an issue I'd like to bring up. And I told everybody this story, what had just happened. And I said, I would like us here to do something about it. And we're the student government here, essentially, for the dorms. So we should have a stay. This is a dorm issue. And I feel we should have a say. And I think that we probably have some influence here. We can't force anything to happen, but we can try to put some pressure on. So the president of the dorm student government, which is known as RHA, called the uh, Resident Hall Association, it's still around, by the way, the RHA president said to me, look, um, we understand what you're saying, and it kind of makes sense, and some of us have experienced this ourselves. However, um, we don't want to vote on this until we really know what we're voting for. So can you put together something on paper that we can all vote for so it's very clear what RHA is agreeing to? I said, okay, we'll do it next week. So I went to my computer and I sat down and I typed up a document about everything wrong with the dining commons. My main complaint, of course, was this anti-waste program, but I also mentioned that a lot of the employees there had a bad attitude. 
not only did I discuss what had happened to me there, but I discussed how they had a general uh, uh, sarcastic and uh, nasty attitude whenever you would complain. Because I, I did skip that part of the story. It wasn't just me making uh, snippy remarks when I saw things were empty. Uh, sometimes they'd make those remarks to me or to others when they would question about why things were out. So in general, the student workers there were very uh, unfriendly and entitled. And uh, basically, we weren't treated like customers. We were just kind of treated like uh, we prepaid, so we have to take what we get. And this anti-waste program, I felt, was defrauding the students because it was basically planning to run out of food every day towards the end. And I had some other miscellaneous complaints, which I won't bother to uh, list here. In fact, I don't remember a lot of them. But I, I put together a document that I felt was very reasonable, and I felt that RHA would probably vote to approve. Because remember, these were all dorm students as well who were experiencing this sort of thing also and just kind of accepted it till now. So I brought it in. I was hoping they were going to support me. Everybody took a little bit of time to read it, and then they took the vote. Trader Ruski, do you think it was voted for or against? I'm, think, I'm thinking against for some reason. I don't know. You're wrong. You're, you're too pessimistic. They actually voted for overwhelmingly. Only one person voted against it. So it was something like 15 to 1. In fact, so much that... People loved my document so much and agreed with it so much that someone even asked the girl who voted against it, why did you vote against it? And she started kind of stammering like she didn't quite know what to say. And then the president goes, now, 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 that's not the procedure here. You can't ask someone why they voted the way they did. So we never found out what she had against my document. But uh, she voted against it, but all other people did. It was like 15 to 1. It was a, In fact, I was praised for the document, telling me that a lot of people told me that this is uh, what they've been thinking for a long time. So... It was overwhelmingly liked. And I was kind of surprised that it got that much support because these were not really uh, rabble-rousing types or rebellious types. These these were ones that, that were kind of uh, more along the lines of uh, everything's great in the dorms and, and supporting the dorm establishment, so to speak. The, I was very surprised how pro this document they were. I thought maybe it would squeak by. I had no idea I'd, I'd win almost unanimously. So I said, okay, great. So, I then asked, what now? Who are you submitting this to? And what will we do from here if they refuse to do anything? So, the president said, well, we're going to submit this to the head of food services, who's in charge of all the dining commons. And then if they refuse, uh, we will draft some sort of position, some sort of official position from RHA of what we're demanding they do. And we can't force them to but we can at least uh, really put it out there strongly how we feel. But let's first submit this to the head of the food services and see if she is willing to take action on her own. I said, okay, sounds good. So they did it. So I got called in to a meeting, a meeting between me, the head of the food services, the student manager who was the male feminist who told me to go eat shit when I told him I wanted to uh, go to the other dorm and also had just been a dick about other things over time. And uh, someone else who's kind of like in between, some some other uh, adult, I mean like an older adult, who was working in food services, kind of like as the second command 
to this woman who's in charge of the whole thing. To this woman's credit, she was very nice, she was smart, and she was very reasonable. I thought I might get some sort of asshole bureaucrat who's going to deny everything or tell me why I'm wrong or show me lack of respect because I was 19, which was you know, very common at that time. I've, I found it very annoying as a young adult that people wouldn't take me seriously for anything because I was young. And I'm grateful I don't have that anymore. Now, once I get really old, I'll have the reverse problem, but uh, where I'll, I'll be treated like an old person who's just complaining all the time. But right now, I'm kind of at a good age to be taken seriously for complaints. Uh, back when I was 19, I was not. Nobody wants to listen to a 19-year-old telling them they're doing their job wrong. But to this woman's credit, and she looked about 40, to this woman's credit, she was very polite, very logical, and told me I was absolutely right. And that kind of shocked the guy below her and this student manager because they were kind of coming in believing that I was full of shit and that uh, nothing I say is valid. And, and she was like, nope, I agree with all this. And it was funny because they got smacked down hard in this meeting. So she would say, okay, so let's go over these one by one. So she, so I, let's talk about the thing what happened when uh, the boiler was broken. So, uh, so you're telling me that they had just scanned your card. There was no notification the boiler was broken. And then they wouldn't let you go to the other comments. I said, yeah, they wouldn't. This guy right here told me I couldn't. She's like, did you say that? He's like, oh, um, I, I, I thought we had different budgets. She's like, why would you say that? That's, that's what a manager's for. She, she's chewing him out in front of me. It was great. Uh, she's basically calling him a moron who can't man. budgets. That's such a crock of shit. This moron just made that up. Yeah. So she, she was going off. And she's like, she's like, no, if your boiler's broken and, and he just stepped in, why would, you, why would you not write him that? I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. Of course he's mad about that. It's very reasonable. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be mad if this happened to you? And the guy's just sitting here with like egg on his face. He's, you can say he's furious that, he, that like everything I said is getting validated. So she was going down the list. Every single thing she's going down, she's agreeing with me. So she's going, yeah, and this here, so so yeah, but this anti-waste program, you know, I was not the one who came up with this. Uh, he did, and she pointed to the guy right, right under her, the other adult, and she's like, but uh, you know, and it sounded good to me at the time, but yeah, now that you bring this up, this is a big problem. That yes, you coming in, even if you come in a second before six thirty, you should have the same experience as the people coming in at four forty-five. And then the guy below her is like, but 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 what about the food waste? She's like, no no no, you don't understand. He paid the same thing. Uh, like like his document says, he paid the same thing as the people before 45. Why shouldn't he have the same experience? And the guy's like, well, uh, but we don't want to waste food. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's, we have to waste some food. There's no way around that. I'm like, oh, boy, these, these morons are just getting killed here. The student manager, the guy under her, the, the, guy, you know, the guy under her, like they, they look like dummies. And this 19-year-old like me is showing them up big time. So she must have delegated too much authority to these idiots under her and realized for my document that was endorsed by RHA thankfully that like she read it and she's like yeah this is all right on she, sh- she should have made me the manager so she, she agreed with like 100% of what I wrote the only thing that she asked me to do in return the only thing that they said back to me because I kind of I had a rebuttal to stuff of mine and she just smacked them in every time the only thing that they agreed that I had done wrong or she agreed that I had done wrong was that I was too sarcastic and uh uh, yeah, I was making snide comments when they'd be out of things, and she says, you know, that, that you know that's just making the situation worse. I understand why you're frustrated, but this isn't the way to express it. And uh, you know, is, is it true you said these things? And I said, yeah, no, I, I did, and and I, I I'm sorry for that. I, I really was just frustrated. I wasn't getting to eat, and that was kind of the way I was expressing it. But yeah, that probably wasn't the 
best way to do it, and I'm sorry about that part. I won't do it again. So she's like, okay, so so we have an agreement here. So okay, so effective immediately, I'm going to tell you that this is what we're going to do going forward. We will have a full tray of everything all the way up through uh, like 15 minutes after we close, something like that. It's, that We're not going to start cleaning up anything until like a minimum of whatever time after we close. We will uh, always let you go to another commons if, if there's a problem. You just have to ask the manager to write you a note. There definitely This note should have been written. I have no, I, no idea why they refused this. And she just listed all these changes they're going to do. And in return, you're, you're, if you notice things are out, you're just going to politely bring this to someone's attention and you won't make any sarcastic remarks. I said, done. 100% deal. So I walked out very proud of myself. And I said, wow, I can't believe it. I made a difference here. I, I single-handedly changed the way the entire dining commons are operating. Wow, as a 19-year-old. Wow, I, boy, I, I really owned them on this one. That's what I thought to myself as I walked out. And indeed, I did. Indeed, these things changed immediately. They had a full tray of food for everything when I came in at, at 6.30. And all these other things I had asked, like I remember they were not refilling, one of the things, they weren't refilling the ice machine after a certain time. So like after six o'clock, there's no ice anymore. That was another annoying one. And when I complained, well, what do you expect? We're near clothes and we don't want to make more ice. So that, that stopped too. Like all the things that like they're kind of packing up early, that, that was all over. Plus some other small details, just everything changed. And I had a much better experience there. And it was funny because word started getting around the dorms that I had done this. And I had other students coming up to me, thanking me, saying, wow, there's a tremendous difference in the dining commons now. I had no idea that you did this. So I started getting praise from other students about it. So I was very proud of myself. But like many stories, there's a postscript. There's kind of a sequel in a way. The sequel is... The Dining Commons Revenge. Not as quite of a long sequel, but uh, I'm going to tell you the fallout from this. So as you can imagine, I was not a favorite guy among the employees there. They had to stay longer. Now, they're being paid hourly, so it's not like uh, I'm making people work longer and not be paid for it, but people who used to be able to knock off right at 6.30 now had to stay longer because there's they, they can't start cleaning up yet. So the students had to stay longer who were working there, which and they knew whose fault it was. And the student manager just detested me. Not only did I force him to make these changes, but I made him look like a chump in front of uh, the big boss there. And uh, even the older adult who was directly below the food service manager didn't care for me too much because he looked like a chump too and some of these were his decisions that got reversed so there was a lot of resentment for me and i could feel it i could feel the tension when i was in there that a lot of the employees there hated me because they had to work longer hours they they had to do more work they had to refill the ice machine like all these things that they were just lazy with uh they now had to do their job so they were they were furious now i didn't feel bad because that's their job i wasn't asking for unreasonable things there should be ice in the ice machine. There should be food for me during their open hours. Like this, These are basic things. And if they don't do them, it's their problem, not mine. So anyway, I was wondering if eventually we were going to have an incident. If just someone was going to create a problem for me. I was even wondering if uh, some of the male employees who didn't like me were going to you know, try to start a fight with me somewhere. I didn't think in the commons, but you know, what if they saw me outside the commons? Were they going to try to start a fight with me? Now, I wasn't worried about that, that feminist uh, manager there, because that, that guy wasn't exactly intimidating, as you might guess. But uh, 
you know, I, I was wondering, maybe one of the students who has to work later, I, I can tell there was some resentment for me, okay? But I said, you know, I don't care. Um, this is definitely my last year in the dorms, and, and whatever, I don't care what these people think of me. I, I stood up for my rights, and, and I got it upheld by the big boss there. She said I was 100% right with everything, so I felt good. Well, I came in, things were at 620, stroll on up to the hot food area, and a bunch of stuff is out. This is a few weeks into it, maybe three, four weeks into it. And I said, uh, so the guy whose station I came to was this black, big black guy who was like six foot seven, really tall, way taller than me. Kind of scary looking dude. And uh, I never had a problem with him before. In fact, he was very quiet. You know, I, I was in his line many times in the past, and he was one who never openly expressed resentment towards me. He, he was one who was just very quiet, served food, very polite, no problem with the dude. So it was out there at like 6.20, and I asked, is there any more of this coming? And he said, uh, no, there's not. I said, oh, are they out, or are they just not making anymore? He says, they're not making anymore. I said, but they're supposed to. And then he just went off. He says, man... I am so sick of your shit. You come on in here at right before 6.30 and you expect a whole tray of food out there for you and, and, you, and you get all pissed off if it's not there and you talk all kinds of shit and he just started you know, going off on me. And I'm thinking, whoa. So then I, I said back to him, I said, well, I don't know if you heard, the manager of all the dining commons, the big manager here, said that there should be a whole tray of food for me at 6.30. She said that. And he says, I don't give a shit what she said. Um, you know, th- th- this is what's there. Deal with it. Or something like that. So I was like, whoa, shit. Like, what do I do about this? Do I report him? Do I just let it go? And just, you know, the guy maybe had a bad day and just went off. You know, I never had problems with him before. I-, I was sitting here thinking, like, what should I do? Uh, and of all the people working there, there weren't many people there who worked there that, like, would kind of, like, scare me to have him confront me outside the comments. This is one guy I, I was a little bit afraid of. So I, I wasn't sure, you know, the way I should handle this going forward. So I'm just sitting there kind of like in shock this all happened, eating my food. And who shows up to talk to me but uh, Mr. Uh, Soyboy Male Feminist Manager. So was he there to apologize for uh, the behavior of that guy? No, he had a weird question for me. Hey, um, what building do you live in? So reflexively, I answered what building I lived in. And he said, oh, oh cool, cool, cool. So uh, what floor? I thought, wait a minute. Wait, why does he want to know what floor I live on? Why, why should he even have this information? Why, why should he care where I live? It's not like he thinks I don't live in the dorms. It's not like he thinks I shouldn't be there. So I asked him, I said, wait, why are you asking me this? He says, oh, um, um, I'm just taking a survey on, on, on uh, where people are living who are coming at the various times of the day. I go, no, you're not. You're, you're trying to get information here. He says, no, 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 I'm, no, no, I'm not. I'm, that's cool. That's cool. You don't want to give it? You don't want to give it. And he walked away. He walks away. I watch where he goes. He goes right to that guy who had just yelled at me. And he talks to him and he points to me. And I go, that piece of shit. He was trying to find out where I was so this guy could show up there and, and, and either threaten me or kick my ass. I'm like, you guy, am I, is this real life? Am I in the freaking Twilight Zone? And the manager of the commons is trying to find out where I live so he could tell one of the tougher employees there to kick my ass and go, you got a freaking kid of me. So I go, oh boy, you know, I, wait, wait till the big manager hears about this. So 
Well, you probably did screw them, though, Druff, because then they had to all work late. Well, no, I did, but but that's their that's not my problem. They they have to do their job, you know. They were they were cutting off early. It's not that, they didn't have to stay late. They were cutting off early is the problem, and so uh, th- that's what I put a stop to. So yes, it made them work later, and I understand why they resented me. They shouldn't have, but I understand why they did. But yeah, you know, this was obviously inappropriate. To, uh, so I, I was considering letting it go had it not been for this manager coming up and and asking me where I live and what floor I'm on. So it's one thing for just some low-level employee scooping out the food to, to go off on me. Another one for the manager, the, the top student manager of the whole thing, to try to find out where I live to give to this guy. So, next day, during the day, I knocked on the door of this big manager of the the food service manager of, of all the dining commons and all the food on, on campus, actually. She controlled all that. And she said, oh, oh hi, Todd. Uh, and, uh, how are you? What, uh, what's going on? I said, I have something to talk to you about here. I said, I had an incident yesterday which was very disappointing and kind of scary, to be honest. So can I tell you? She said, oh, definitely tell me. So I told her, and she's like, wow. I, I'm in shock. I, I, I have no words for this. I, I can't believe that, that this happened. I can't believe that, that my manager here did this to you. I, look, I, I don't want to promise anything yet because i got to get their side of the story. But if this is true, if this is even close to true, there's going to be a lot of problems here. There's going to be a lot of trouble here if this is what happened. Now, fortunately, I had a mole. I had a mole in the dining commons. The mole was a girl who worked there who I believe liked me. And I, I knew her from something else outside the commons. But we got along really well. I got a lot of signs from her that she liked me. And I wasn't one of these guys who thought like every girl liked him. Like I was pretty good at determining that even back then. So I, I was pretty sure that this girl liked me. But she she had a boyfriend back at home and she wasn't the type who was going to cheat on him or, or leave him for me. Like That was going to have to end on its own before we do anything. So I didn't even try. But like had it ended, I, I would have actually pursued her because I, I kind of liked her too. But anyway... I think because she liked me, she used to give me information about stuff that went on there, especially after all the stuff that uh, I had brought to their attention. And that's actually how I found out for sure that some people presented me. Anyway, so I asked her after this whole thing um, what the consequences were. So I, I got to find out the inside scoop. But I'll get to that in a second. So the food service manager called in the guy who had threatened me, or not threatened me, the guy who yelled at me, called in the student manager who tried to get my info, and called in the guy working directly under her, who manages that particular comment. And she said, what the fuck? What is this? Well, the guy who had yelled at me, that, that big, tall, black guy, uh, he instantly apologized and said, look, you know, I lost my cool. I shouldn't have done it. I just don't like this guy. You know, he's a uh, you know, I, I don't like his attitude, but you know, I shouldn't have done that. I don't, I don't know why I let this happen to me. It won't happen again. So she let him off the hook, but said, you know, this ever happens again, uh, you're gone. The student manager, she laid into him hard, and she told him, you're a hair away from being fired. The fact that you did this is, is unbelievable. She's, why did you go up and ask for his, his, uh, where he lives? Why would you do that? He says, oh, I, I, was, uh, I was just trying to scare him a little bit to just make him know that you can't be rude to people who work here without a consequence. He's like, so you actually did try to make him think that there's going to be a physical threat to him? Well, not really a physical threat, but I was trying to kind of send him a message. He's like, 
Do you understand this is not how managers behave? Do you understand how wrong this is? Do you, do you know that um, I, I'm, I'm really considering just firing you now? And he begged her not to fire him. And he said that, you know, I'm really sorry. He didn't, he didn't think. He was just, you know, just trying to protect his employees. That he saw this guy was very upset and was just trying to uh, um, make the guy feel a little bit better that maybe I'll be scared to, to say anything in the future. And she says, I thought I already told you guys that, that he was right, that Todd was right, that Todd's complaints were valid. And it sounds like you guys didn't follow what we told you about keeping enough food out there. Well, yeah, I know. We just don't really like hearing him complain about it. And she said, that's it. That's it. Okay. New rules. Rule number one, there has to always be food late. No exceptions. No more excuses. No more this time we didn't do it. No more while we're close enough to the end, we're not making more. You're going to make it every time. Rule number two, you're on super thin ice, she said to this this, uh, student manager, the feminist guy. You're on super thin ice. If there's a, we have even the slightest problem with you with anything from going forward. You're fired instantly, and and, and you're going to need to sign something and agree to that. That that you're on probation. That if, if, if the slightest thing happens, you're gone. And and uh, and and you agree to that. And he he did. He he, <laughs> he was forced to agree to it. Uh, rule number three: You now can no longer engage Todd, no matter how he behaves. So even if he says anything that you think is rude. You're not allowed to respond or engage him. You cannot speak to him other than to respond to a question of his. You cannot make commentary. You cannot yell at him. You cannot criticize him. You, you cannot uh, ask him questions about where he lives. If there's any engagement with him beyond answering his question, you're fired. All of you. Which she said, I'm serious about this. And then, so, so then they all walked out with their tails between their legs. Then she decided this wasn't enough. So she printed out a document that was for every single employee of the commons. I I can't believe this, but she did. She printed out a document about how to interact with me. It was a document about me. And it was that uh, we have a student named Todd who's who's brought some complaints to my attention about the way we operate here. His complaints were all valid, and I made some changes, as you're all aware. I've recently become aware of an incident where Todd was uh, harassed by another employee and, and, then, uh, and then a second employee attempted to get information about where he lived to further harass him. I, I have made a promise to him that this is going to stop. So therefore, the rule involving him is, and she reiterated the rule to every single employee of the commons, that they are never to engage me, no matter what. And they are never to say anything negative to me. And they are never to criticize me. And that the only interaction they should have with me is just standard business interactions, answering any question I ask and you know, doing their job. And that's it. And if they do anything outside of that instant firing and everybody is now warned, they distribute this to every single employee there. And I saw a copy of this letter. I wish I kept it. But this was brought to me by the mole there. So I asked the mole what everybody thought of this. I didn't want it to go that far. I didn't want it to be like a letter about me, but there was. Um, she said that, uh, yeah, some people were resenting it, but you know, some people were scared that there was a minority of people who, uh, who actually agreed with me and, and were happy to see that uh, something's being done finally, that they kind of believed I was right and that uh, um, they didn't agree with what had happened. So generally, most people were just kind of scared by it. And I could tell when I was in there, they were on freaking eggshells around me. Boy, was it different. There was no more like an error of resentment. It was an error of fear that they, they were so afraid for their job. I wasn't looking to get people fired, by the way, except for that one soy boy. I wanted to get rid of him. But uh, everybody else there, even that guy who, who yelled at me, like I wasn't looking to get fired. 
But uh, well, many of them dropped. I'm sure we're probably working off part of their tuition. If they got canned, they'd probably be out of school. Right. That's why they were so afraid because they they knew that exactly. they knew the the hammer was like j- just about to fall on top of them. If any of them dared fuck with me, they're gone. So boy, was everybody on edge around me, and it was weird and kind of uncomfortable. But uh, whatever, that that was the situation. So I didn't like it. I kind of wanted is, the whole. I, is, wait, sorry. This is almost like Spider Man when he gets bit by the spider. I mean, <laughs> kind of the starting of our superhero. I yeah, I was I was the dorm dining common superhero. So I I actually wanted this school year to end and just be done with it because I felt uncomfortable there with everybody being, everybody being that afraid of me. I, I that was not my my intention. My intention was to change the policy and also to have any assholes who had uh, been resisting this, especially that one student manager, um, having them maybe suffer some kind of consequence or at least discipline for the way I had been treated. But that was it. I'm talking about even before that incident. Like, the, the guy was a dickhead to me in, when the boiler was broken. So, and he was a dickhead to me before that, too. Like, the guy was just always a dick. Aside from him, like, I, I didn't want to see anyone in trouble. I just wanted to see things working properly, and I wanted to get my money's worth there as I should have, as was my right. And uh, I didn't want it to go this far. And this was kind of forced into me because of what happened that day when first that guy goes off and then that manager has the nerve to ask me uh, for, for where I am and then wants me to see that he's telling the other guy. So anyway, that was the end of that. The school year ended. I was not coming back to the dorms the following year and I knew that, so that was the end of that. But I did check up with somebody at the school who was still going to the dining commons. After I was gone, did my changes stick? What do you think? I, I think they must have. They actually only partially did. Things were already deteriorating back once I was gone, which is disappointing because I knew that woman agreed with me because she didn't have to agree with me. Like She could have just said, no, I don't agree with it. She agreed with every single one of my points and implemented them. So I, I was disappointed that she let it slip. But I think what probably happened is with me not there anymore, uh, she probably wasn't watching as closely. Just about every student there is not going to take it as far as complaining to above. And the only reason I did is because I happened to have an in with student government being part of it. That that was the weird situation between me and the dining commons, which I never intended to go that far. Some people listening could go, oh, I bet Truff was loving everyone being afraid of him. No, no, I actually wasn't loving it. I, was, I felt so strange in there. I just, wanted, I just wanted everything to be normal. Like, I really never intended to be a trouble maker there in any way i didn't want to be a rabble rouser i didn't want to like make everyone bow down to my demands i i I just wanted to be treated fairly and i knew it wasn't aimed at me originally like originally it was just policy it was just bad policy that was screwing me because i happened to be a later eater now i did have a few people question me uh i told some people the story in the dorms the whole sort of details i just gave you and most of them were, were pretty horrified that this all happened, that I was asked for where I lived. And they, so, so like, like some of them were, uh, most of them were, were on my side with it pretty clearly. But I had a few who stopped and asked me, wait a minute, so why didn't you just come in earlier? Why didn't you just say, okay, I'll come in at 530? Is that hour going to make a huge difference? And I said back to them, I could have, but why should I have to? I paid the same thing as the people coming in at 5.30 and at 4.45. Why should I have to come in earlier than I want to when I paid the same as them and I should have a right to come in at that time and I should have a right to the same meal? 
And then they'd say, well, you know, you didn't have the right to the same meal. You don't understand how it works. They said, yes, I do. The, the head of all the food service agreed with me. So what do you mean I don't have the right to? She agreed I had the right to it. If I didn't have the right to it, she would have told me, sorry, you don't have the right to it. We can't change it. That's not what she said. So anyway, that kind of did inform somewhat my uh, future behavior with just making sure I get what I pay for and not taking crap from employees who think that they are kings of the castle because they're not. The owner of the business is the king of the castle. The secondary king of the castle is the top manager of the business. Now, in this case, the business was owned by the state. The state of California owned this business. But the top food service manager was really the queen of that castle. But everybody under her is supposed to be doing what she says, not deciding for themselves what they think is right, and then just do it because it's not their business. It is not their decision to make. And if they're going to treat me in a way that she would not approve of, or if they're going to make policy that she would not approve of, which obviously she didn't, because when I brought it to her and at least made her aware of what was really going on, she thought it was very incorrect the way they were doing things, then um, they shouldn't be doing it that way. But I wasn't holding it against them so much for the bad policy. It was, it was the reaction to the bad policy. It, it was the nastiness to me when I asked, hey, can you, can you just let me go over to the other place to eat dinner? This whole thing started because they wouldn't let me go over to the other place to eat my freaking dinner. I just wanted to eat dinner that I paid for. And that's why when these idiots were arguing when we were in that office the first time, not after that big confrontation, but when we were in the office the first time when she was agreeing with me, these morons were trying to argue, oh, no, no, but, but, but with the boiler being broken, he can still eat cold food, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I paid for hot food. Why should I eat cold food? Well, uh, she's like, no, he's right. He paid for hot food. Why should he eat cold food? <laughs> they were stuck. Like, how, how do they answer that? They tried to answer with bullshit, and she just shut him down and said, no, he's right, 100% right. If he paid for hot food and, and the other place is open for another half hour, you, you're telling me he can't go? What kind of manager is that? So there, there were some satisfying elements to this, but I, I really didn't want it to go this far. Because it, it was a weird feeling of the whole place being terrified of me. And I, I by the way, I understood. I know there's going to be some people listening going, oh, look, you know, you're trying to fuck over fast food employees, these, these hardworking students who are just trying to pay their way through school. I wasn't trying to get them fired. I just wanted to be able to eat my dinner. And I wanted my dinner to be available for me. I didn't want confrontations. They, they brought the confrontations to me. Other than those kind of sarcastic comments I made, which kind of brought on by their sarcastic comments they made to me, which, you know, again, I wouldn't do today, now that I'm older, more mature. I agreed not to do that anymore. That was the one thing I conceded I had done wrong with that food service manager. So, like, I didn't even try to make many excuses. I, I explained why I did it, but I said, you know, you're right that I shouldn't have said these things, so I won't do it anymore, and I stuck to it. But yeah, I, I, that was kind of a beginning of me kind of fighting for what's right. wasn't a huge issue, but it was an, a perpetual annoyance that was affecting all the students in the dorms, which is a lot of people. So like like 2,000-something people, I think, lived in the dorms there, maybe more, maybe 3,000-something. There's a lot. Of, thousands of students were affected here. And I brought that up, too. I said, this isn't just for me. This is for everybody. This is what's fair to everybody. And she agreed. So if you kind of wonder the beginning of all that. Did you um, now, Did you know? remember the name of the uh, manager guy who uh, was really behind the thing? We looked him up on the I, I haven't. I should. I'm not going to say it on here, but I do remember his name. 
because I, I remember his okay, name well because for him on LinkedIn real quick just to see, <laughs> is he like in some other you know I, I should look I, director I, like a complete bureaucrat yeah I, sh- I should look and uh, he was a little older than me not much though probably a year or two older but he I remembered his name because of all these dumb editorials he wrote to the newspaper where all he could do was talk about how evil men are and he was totally one of these male feminists who just did this so people would look at him and, and think of how sensitive he is and uh and what a great guy he is. He was really ahead of his time. He really would have fit in way better in, in 2020s college than early 90s college. So I, I bet he's thinking that now. Wow, you know, I was a male feminist before it was cool. Also, understand anything, you have any criticism of the way I handled things. I was 19 years old then. So I would have done things a little differently now. But honestly, the, the basic premise of what I was doing was correct. The only thing I made the mistake with, really, was, number one, making the snide comments back to them. And, and the other one was to uh, not just take this to the top when I noticed it right away, instead of just letting it go on and on and on. That, that, that's the biggest thing I would have done differently compared to in 91. But, you know, I was 19 years old. And I, I think that uh, aside from that, I, you know, the fact that I wrote up this document that convinced a middle-aged person that I was correct about everything, and they changed everything... And she's being told by a 19-year-old, and she makes all those changes told by a 19-year-old. I think that's pretty good. I'm proud of that part. I'm actually more proud now about that part than I was then, because then, as a 19-year-old, I didn't feel like just this dumb kid. I like, I felt like, oh, I'm already mature. But now I look back and I go, I wasn't, and no 19-year-olds are. But that, that was a pretty good document I wrote up for being 19. Like, I had a good feel for what the customer should expect, what's reasonable, what's not reasonable, because she agreed with everything. Okay, so let's move on to something completely different. For those who like smoking marijuana when they gamble, or at least in the place they gamble, I have some possible good news for you. Two large casinos in the East want to make a change. They want to offer an additional service. Harris Cherokee, which of course is a Caesars property in North Carolina, and Foxwoods, an Indian casino in Connecticut, both want to open marijuana dispensaries on property. This has not been formally stated yet, and this is not a sure thing. However, both Harris Cherokee and Foxwoods are looking into adding a dispensary so they can make more money. Of course, that's the motivation for everything. Both casinos are looking to add a large facility to their casinos. I'm not sure why they're both doing this together because they're not uh, associated, these two. But uh, they both want to add uh, large facilities both uh, inside the casino and a drive through option and also lounges which are similar to the pot lounges in Amsterdam. These lounges, by the way, do not exist anywhere in the U.S. yet, to my knowledge. They're very, very popular in uh, the Netherlands, but in the U.S., even though there's a lot of legalization of pot in the U.S., these lounges don't exist yet. I'm not sure why. However, despite all this, they have not stated a position on whether they're going to allow the guests who buy this stuff to consume it 
on site? And if so, where? Can they just openly smoke marijuana in the casino? Can it only be in the room? Can it only be outside? That part's not clear. I have to imagine non-smoking rooms, it's not going to be allowed, and most rooms are non-smoking these days, so I'm not sure what they're going to do with that, and they haven't decided yet, but uh, they they do want to add these dispensaries so people don't have to buy their marijuana elsewhere. They know a lot of people who come to these casinos like to smoke marijuana, and that they have to go elsewhere, and if they're in a place they don't really know very well, then they have to find a dispensary, and it, it, it can be tough, it can be a pain in the ass, they don't want to, don't want to bother sometimes, if they don't have a car, it can be hard, so they're trying to make this easier, and then translate it to profit, of course. Nevada was one of the first states that had uh, legalized marijuana. It wasn't the first, one of the earlier ones. It passed on a uh, ballot initiative in November 2016, and it became legal in Nevada on July 1st, 2017, from what I remember. However, it cannot be smoked in the casinos. That is against Nevada state regulations. So you can buy marijuana, you can possess marijuana, you just cannot smoke it in the casinos. However, Since these are both tribal casinos, Harrah's Cherokee is a tribal casino, even though it is a Harrah's, similar to Harrah's uh, Rincon slash Southern California. That's also a tribal casino. There's a number of uh, Harrah's properties, which are actually Indian-owned, that they get to uh, avoid having to adhere to certain uh, state laws and regulations. So they make a lot of their own rules. There's some belief that Indian tribes can just do completely whatever they want on their land. That's not true. It's kind of a weird hybrid of self-rule and still having to adhere to federal law. And it may end up with different rules about this depending upon where they are. So the Foxwoods Casino is owned by the uh, Mashantucket Pequots. I think that's how you say it. And the Cherokee tribe, as you might guess, owns Harris Cherokee. So it's not clear what the rules are going to be. They may be different at these two places. It just happens to be they're both looking for it at the same time. It's possible they talked about it together, but this is not going to be a joint effort. Just they're both doing it at the same time. Maybe they're both kind of supporting each other doing it, make the feeling it'll be easier for both of them to do it once. Connecticut legalized recreational marijuana in early 2021, and uh, North Carolina has not yet uh, approved it yet. They do have uh, legislation that might be forthcoming that allows for medicinal marijuana, but even that's not legal yet. However, the Cherokee Indians have approved recreational use on their land, and apparently the state of uh, North Carolina is not going to interfere with that. So they can do this if they want. And they probably can allow it to be consumed in the casinos if they want, or in the hotel rooms. Now, they may not want to for PR or reasons of comfort for other guests, or maybe even COVID. Remember, uh, during times of COVID, you may not like uh, smoke being blown in your face. Nobody likes smoke blown in their face, but it's much worse now because you fear, what if COVID's being blown in my face? So that could influence what rules they make about uh, consuming the marijuana. But it is something that is being considered by both tribes. 
What is the timetable? It's not clear. It's not clear if this will even happen. This is an idea being thrown around. Of course, uh, alcohol has been made available to gamblers for a very long time, and that's been ingrained as part of casinos, if you think about it. I know there's some India casinos that uh, don't serve alcohol or can't, but in general, the casino experience is closely intertwined with drinking for a lot of people. In fact, some people don't even like gambling if they can't drink. Some people gamble because they get free drinks and they feel even if they lose, they're still making up for it with a lot of expensive drinks. They get over and over and keep pounding. And of course, the casinos are happy to provide them as people get drunk and their decisions get worse. And often they also are less conservative with their money at that point. So we will see if this ends up happening. But as I said, uh, there's no timetable. It may never occur. Believe it or not, this was first reported by Leafly.com. (laughs) and yes that's exactly as it sounds (laughs) leafly.com so that's where we stand with that there's not much more to say but that'll be a first if it happens let's move on gotta do some fast topics because if I take an hour and a half on all of them we'll still be doing this show on Tuesday single game sports betting is now legalized in Canada, which is a big deal if you live in that state and want to bet on sports legally. Single game sports betting is really what most people do. If single game sports betting is not legal, then you're not going to enjoy sports betting very much unless all you do is bet parlays. Single game sports betting is exactly what it sounds. That means you're betting on the outcome of one game. And up until August 27th, this was illegal in all of Canada. There were some ways you could place parlays or teasers, bets like that, but you could not bet on the outcome of a single game. And Canada just was not allowing that, maybe because it's believed that cuts down on any kind of malfeasance involving game fixing, because if you have to have multiple games involved, it's harder to do. But for whatever reason, single game betting was not allowed for all this time until now. But it has uh, finally been allowed. And this just began a week ago. They officially repealed paragraph 2074B of Canada's criminal code, and this was done through Bill C-218, which is known as the Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act. It removed the language that made it necessary for Canadian bettors to wager on at least three games or more at the same time. Now that sports bettors can bet on one game at a time, Now it's much more appealing for people to bet on sports legally instead of on illegal offshore sites, like what are still often used within the U.S., especially in states where there is no legalized sports betting like California. So each individual province will decide whether they want legalized sports betting so it's not forced to all the provinces. Each provincial government can decide if they'll allow it. However, it is assumed that all or almost all of the provinces will make this legal. In British Columbia, the British Columbia Lottery Corporation has already announced that they will offer single bet sports betting through their website, which is called playnow.com. 
Alberta and Ontario have already said that not only will they legalize it, but the operators that uh, are licensed there said they are going to offer these betting sites as soon as they can. But who is ready? Well, uh, playnow.com is ready. And so is uh, the Ontario Lottery's ProLine Plus site. And uh, bets have been taken over the past week, mostly on baseball. But of course, we have something else coming up that is going to draw a lot of betting interest, and that would be the NFL, which really is the biggest betting sport. Now, NFL games don't go every day, though we are having more and more days per week that have at least one NFL game. used to all be on Sunday, and it's been uh, kind of expanding to other days as the years go by. But once the NFL starts the regular season, then there's going to be, uh, which is going to be very soon, it's going to be on September 9th, then uh, there's going to be betting on that. So they've already uh, seen more than a million dollars of betting in Ontario, Canadian dollars, that is, in just the first five days since it was legalized on this uh, ProLine Plus site. And uh, playnow.com has... uh, 1,208 new users in the first week they've reported. They said they got a 96% rise in the number of wagers on Play Now and a 72% increase in the amount spent compared to the week before when single-game betting was not yet allowed. However, they uh, still weren't uh, taking in that much money, but it's expected to really ramp up as, as the word gets around that the sports betting there is legal in BC and Ontario and can be done immediately. And also when NFL season starts on September 9th, which is going to be a game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This will be the first year, of course, that Canadians can bet on single NFL games. Canadians uh, who really wanted to bet on the NFL, who didn't uh, do it illegally, would, would cross the border if they could find uh, legal betting options that was nearby. So that's not going to have to happen anymore. This is big news for Canada. I know if you don't live in Canada, you probably don't give a crap, but to finally have single-game wagering in Canada and to have what looks like all the provinces are going to be on board and that there's already two major provinces, because Ontario and BC have a lot of the Canadian population. There's Some of these other provinces uh, have small populations. So BC and, and Ontario are very big ones. I know Quebec is another one that's big, and that doesn't have anything ready to go yet. But B, really, BC and Ontario, I don't know the populations, but I, I know the, those are the two highest uh, populated uh, provinces. So to have those already online with... Uh, legalized betting options is very big for Canadians who want to bet on sports. And if you're wondering, probably most of the betting is going to be on U.S. sports. I know some U.S. sports have Canadian teams, like baseball uh, has the Toronto Blue Jays. They used to also have the uh, Montreal Expos, which are now in Washington, D.C. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have some hockey bets back when the when the NHL comes back, which isn't too long from now. But I think that most of the betting is going to be on similar sports that are bet in the U.S. and in similar leagues that are bet on the U.S. most. 
which would be the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. And probably more NHL betting there per capita than you get in the U.S., because there's more NHL interest in Canada compared to the U.S., but I don't think that's going to be the dominant sport that people bet on. It's probably still what you see in the U.S. But that's good. That's good that uh, this has been legalized. Now, I don't know what lines are being offered, and if anybody in Canada knows this right now, let me know, because I'm curious to know if these are decent lines, meaning like 10-cent lines, for example, on this NFL game we're talking about with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, uh, can you get minus 110 on both sides with the point spread? Or is it going to be minus 115 or minus 120 on both sides? And what I mean by that is the house juice. So minus 110 on both sides means the house is, uh, is taking a 10% commission on a win. So you'd be betting $110 to, to win uh, 100 I guess it's... it's uh, I, I guess... Depending on which way you look at it, it's, uh, it could be less than 10%. If, if you take what you bet and what uh, is coming out of it, it's a little less than 10%. But it's basically you've got to bet 10% more than what you want to desire to win to win that amount at minus 110. And then minus 115 means it's 15%. Minus 120 means 20%. So the juice on a minus 120 bet is twice as big as on a minus 110 bet. So you have to have such a ridiculously good record to beat the point spreads overall in the long term to beat minus 120, there's just no way to do it. There's no way you can be good enough to beat a minus 120 uh, juice on a point spread because eventually it's going to eat you alive. It's just too much juice. There's no way you could win at a rate long term to cover that. Minus 110, yes. Minus 120, you can't. So that's why if it's minus 120, it's useless except for for recreational bettors who don't care or don't know the difference. So I'm not sure. In the U.S., we've had a problem with some of the legalized books that are not in Nevada that are charging ridiculous juice because there's so many taxes they have to pay and so many licensing fees that this is the only way they can stay in business. And that's stupid. That's that's ruining the whole point of legalized sports betting. Legalized sports betting should replace the existing offshore options and be just as good but then better in that you know you can trust them. You know you're going to get paid. You know you have rights. They should not provide you a degraded experience, which is going to drive any knowledgeable sports better back to the illegal sites. So, for example, let's say it's legalized in California, but they have these 20-cent lines, or it's minus 120 to bet on a spread game. I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't care if they're guaranteeing my money. I'm, I can't beat minus 120. So I'm not going to do minus 120. So I'd rather do minus 110 on an offshore site than minus 120 on a legalized site. And any knowledgeable sports better would say the same. In fact, sometimes you can do better than minus 110. Like uh, bet any sports, which is the successor to five dimes, you can get five cent lines there. So I don't expect five cent, five cent lines to be offered, but if they can't offer 10 cent lines, they're not competitive. So they can't tax these places to the point of where they can only offer lines that appeal to people who are recreational bettors and who don't even recreational bettors will say no to this the ones that know more so good for canada i'm happy for them hopefully the line isn't terrible so if you can tell me what you've seen so far on them if you're canadian i'd be interested to hear okay so let's talk about uh, blockchain 
Remember Trader Risky? We talked about blockchain last week, and we wondered what the alternatives were. We didn't really have an answer. I sure do. So I looked it up. I said, hopefully, uh, somebody will be getting up shortly to share his views with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a feeling we're going to have the same answer. But uh, I did some research on uh, August 31st. I I felt like such a chump to have done this story without uh, doing the research beforehand. It was just because I didn't have enough time before the last show. But I did some research and I found four alternatives that you can look into. And I haven't actually signed up for any of these yet, but I will be very soon. So here's some alternatives to blockchain. Again, the reason not to use blockchain.com as a middleman wallet is because now they have the same problem as Coinbase and Gemini and all of the others, all those other exchanges in the U.S., in that if they see you're doing gambling transactions and there is, there's ways they can see it, then eventually you're going to get banned. And you don't want that because there aren't that many. So blockchain now will also ban you because now they are also an exchange for U.S. funds. So in order to appease regulators, they now have to ban people too. They don't want to, but they have to. If they don't ban people, then they can get in trouble. So forget blockchain. Forget everything I said before about blockchain. Don't use them. Not because they're dishonest. I don't think they're dishonest. But because they have to ban you now like the other ones. Also, I've said this last week and I'll say it again. Do not keep using Coinbase, Gemini, Binance, Cash App, whatever, to deposit directly to gambling sites or withdraw from gambling sites. And don't say... Uh, it's never been a problem before. I've done this for eight months. Nothing's happened. Well, it will eventually. It's kind of like saying, I've been drunk driving for eight months every day, and I never get pulled over, and I never hit anybody. So it's fine. I'll just keep driving drunk. That would be a dumb statement. That would be dumb for you to do. It is equally dumb, though not as dangerous, to continue using those services that are wallets in the U.S., uh, exchanges, not wallets, but exchanges, exchanges in the U.S. to deposit to and from gambling sites. Don't do it. It's going to get you banned. 100% it's going to happen. And stop using blockchain for that reason. Blockchain used to be a good middleman wallet. It's not anymore. So the advice used to be go from Coinbase to blockchain to the gambling site and withdrawing the reverse way. No more. Forget blockchain. You can still use it to buy Bitcoin. You can still use it to send Bitcoin for any purposes besides gambling. But with gambling, just forget blockchain exists. So here's what you have to start using. One of these four, I would suggest. Exodus, that was, that's one that a lot of people on 2 Plus 2 are using. Uh, this is being discussed in the Bovada Ignition payout thread on 2 Plus 2. A lot of them are using Exodus now. I haven't signed up for it yet, but that's what a lot of them are preferring. So you can try that one. Electrum, that requires a little more knowledge. It's not as easy as Exodus. But uh, Electrum is an open source solution where you're actually in control of your own keys. It's been around a while. People like it. But it requires a little more knowledge. And for the novice crypto user, this may not be the right uh, middleman wallet for you. You may want to give it a shot. I mean, it's not going to cost you anything to check out, but... Some people tried it and said, oh, this is too complicated. I don't want to bother with it. Similar to Electrum, but one that's kind of more mobile friendly. This is kind of one that's designed around uh, mobile usage, like smartphones. The Blockstream Green Wallet. 
So this is Blockstream, exactly the sounds. This is the Green Wallet product on Blockstream. The Blockstream Green Wallet is a mobile-friendly version of uh, Blockstream that it's similar to Electrum. So again, might be a little hard for you to uh, understand if you don't know crypto that well, but that's another option. Another one, which uh, I was talking with China Maniac, who's co-hosted this show before, and he said that uh, he likes the fourth option, BRD. That's another mobile-friendly option, but it's not as hard as those other two I just mentioned. So if, if you're not uh, as familiar with crypto, and you're just kind of a user of it without understanding it that well, uh, you may want to try BRD if you don't want to do Exodus. Uh, China Maniac's a big fan of BRD. You may ask, how do you find these? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you go to the Flying Stupidity Forum, there is a thread called Blockchain.com Banning People for Gambling Transactions. Let's discuss alternatives. That's the name of the thread on the Flying Stupidity Forum of PokerFraudAlert.com. I may move it to the Poker Community Discussion Forum. So if you can't find it in Flying Stupidity, you may find it there. But I'm going to have a redirect. So you can always click on the Flying Stupidity redirect and it'll take you wherever it goes to. But look for that thread. If you can't find it, text me and I'll send you a link to it. And I have a link on each of these four, which you can just click on and get to the right place. For Exodus, Electrum, Blockstream, Green Wallet, and BRD. Do I have a preference right now? No. I haven't decided which one I'm going to use or if I'm going to set up more than one. But go for one of these four. Now, if Brandon wakes up and comes on, by the way, I, I told Brandon earlier, uh, you don't have to wake up now because we just started the show, so you don't have to come on at two. So he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll come up around five, and now he's not waking up, so maybe there was a mistake. But anyway, if he comes on, we will ask him which one he's using, because he actually researched this before I did, but I never got to have the discussion with him of what he found. So I went on my own and found some things, so we'll see if he found anything different than I did. But from what I could find... Uh, Exodus, Electrum, Blockstream, Green Wallet, and BRD seem to be the four options you should probably choose as the middleman wallet. Whichever one you choose, just make sure you understand it well and you you feel comfortable using it and and all that. These all seem like decent options. I think you can trust all four of these fairly well. Now, this is not my endorsement. Don't cry to me if something goes bad with one of these wallets and you lose your Bitcoin. I'm just saying that... uh, These are the four I'm going to be looking at using, and I suggest you do, but I'm guaranteeing nothing. Of course, do all this at your own risk, but make sure to use a middleman wallet and not blockchain anymore. Don't skip the middleman wallet, as tempting as it can be. This is your update. All right, here's a story that is not being covered much in Vegas and I feel should be covered. Somehow, a random dude snuck his own vehicle into the Elon Musk tunnels under Las Vegas. I didn't think that was possible. But it happened. And maybe because of the influence that uh, Elon Musk's company has in Vegas, they're not covering this very much. But I'm going to cover it because Elon has no influence over me. So somebody drove their car into one of the tunnels under Vegas. Now, you may say, what? Tunnels under Vegas? Is this like the tunnels that people live in in the storm drains that I've heard about? No, no, no. These are different tunnels. These are tunnels that have been dug by 
Elon Musk's company called The Boring Company. It's exactly as it sounds. B-O-R-I-N-G, The Boring Company. And they have dug tunnels under Las Vegas. And what's going to be moving people in these tunnels are Teslas. Yes, actual Teslas. And, and Draft, do you know what the main product of The Boring Company is? I had this discussion with Brandon the other day. No, I don't know. What is it? Fire, uh, flame, th- flame throwers. Hmm. I would have never guessed that in a million years. <laughs> so the Boring Company, which is referred to in this article on TechCrunch.com as TBC, which someone complained about. Someone said that uh, in Las Vegas, the acronym TBC is already taken up by Tony Big Charles, and that this is an insult to Tony Big Charles to call something else TBC. I may actually agree with that. He sometimes listens to the show, by the way. But uh, TBC, the boring company, they had launched their loop system. It's called the Boring Company's Loop in Las Vegas. It is underground, and you do not drive in the loop. Teslas drive themselves in the loop. So basically, if you want to get around the strip, and this, this isn't open to the public yet, but uh, if you want to get around the strip once the thing opens, you go down there underground, almost like a subway, but instead of a subway car that was built a long time ago, you have Teslas pulling up and you get into them, but there's no driver. It's a driverless car and it uh, will take you to various stops. I'm not sure how you pay and how you tell the car where you want to go. I'm sure there's... Uh, uh, ways to do that, maybe with an app, maybe in the car itself. I'm not sure. But basically, these are self-driving cars that drive in this underground tunnel. And it's called the Loop. And it's built by the Boring Company. Now, they had promised that this is a very secure system because it's underground. They don't want terrorists getting under there and and planting bombs. I mean, there's bad things that could happen if the wrong people get into this uh, tunnel Not only could they kill a lot of people in the tunnel who are in the cars driving, but also maybe it could uh, cause damage and death above ground. This is underground. So one of the things that the Boring Company assured the city of Las Vegas is that their security is very, very tight. So there is a big embarrassment that occurred on June 21st that a, quote, unauthorized vehicle got into the loop and the driver was driving there in the loop so the driver apparently was not trying to do anything bad he wasn't a terrorist he wasn't trying to vandalize anything for whatever reason he just wanted to get in there and drive in the loop himself I don't know why he didn't realize he had trouble for this, but uh, he wanted to do it. They described it as a joyride. So this was not a terrible person who was looking to cause harm. It was kind of more of a prankster or someone who just wanted to do something for the sake of doing it. So what happened was uh, somehow he got in there, even though they claim they have all this uh, state-of-the-art security preventing this, and that it said in one of the emails that uh, was disclosed to the city they said the driver of the unauthorized vehicle was cooperative and eventually escorted out of the system nobody was injured 
as a result of all this. But they have repeatedly bragged that part of the $53 million they spent on this system was a very, very tight security system. So how did just one dude get his car in there and drive around when this is supposed to be impossible? This was only found out because of a public records law in Clark County. So TechCrunch was able to get a hold of these emails between Loop's operation manager and a Clark County official. Otherwise, this would have never been known, and the Boring Company and the county otherwise kept this quiet. According to a management agreement between the Boring Company and uh, Las Vegas, the system, the security system, is supposed to have physical barriers to guard against entry of accidental, rogue, or otherwise unauthorized vehicles into the tunnels. These include security gates and uh, tons of concrete, uh, they're called uh, bollards, kind of these concrete uh, barriers that block people from ramming a vehicle through. But somehow, this guy got his car in there and drove in the loop despite these concrete bollards and the security gates. And it's not known how he managed to do it. Uh, It's possible that maybe they had their guard down because it wasn't officially open yet, that they were still uh, testing it. It was officially launched on... uh, June 7th, but again, it wasn't open to the public. And it's it's not known how this guy got his vehicle in there, or at least if it is, they're not saying, but he got it in there somehow. Obviously, they know how he did it, but I guess that wasn't revealed. There's a difference between autopilot and autonomous driving. It It actually has to do with the plans here, where... Tesla was uh, authorized to have uh, autonomous electric vehicles to carry passengers in an express underground tunnel to three different underground stations. So I guess there's three stations total in there. And this was in uh, May 2019. And uh, a planning document two months later said, utilizing autonomous electric vehicles in underground tunnels is a unique transportation solution that will minimize disruptions and conflicts to existing buildings and transportation systems. Uh, However, in a management agreement between uh, Las Vegas and the Boring Company, it said uh, that uh, Las Vegas procured the people mover system in part because of the ability for the people mover system vehicles to operate autonomously. The agreement recognizes the intent for the system to move from drivers in the vehicles to autonomous operations and provides for free renegotiation no later than December 31st, 2021, incorporating this expected transition in operations. But it looks like this is not going to happen. What looks like it's going to happen is it looks like uh, initially they're actually going to have humans driving it. And then they're going to transition to autonomous driving. I guess autopilot could be considered driving where there's always there's already a human there just to make sure it's all okay. And autonomous means there's just no driver period and it just drives itself. So they're eventually going to transition to autonomous, but initially there's going to be humans in the car that, are, that work for the loop that will 
make sure everything's going okay as the autonomous driving goes on. So in this case, that's what autonomous versus uh, autopilot means, that autonomous is more independent. Autonomous basically means no supervision. If you want to compare it to young drivers, uh, a 15-year-old with a driver's, driver's permit would be kind of like autopilot, where an adult sits in the car with a 15-year-old, but the 15-year-old does the driving. And autonomous is where there's no adult necessary once the driver's 16, and he can drive himself. So it's kind of like that. So it says that the loop will have drivers ensuring there's always someone overseeing the use of active safety, fe- safety features who's ready to take over braking and steering as needed. So basically, Vegas was a little nervous that these auto-driving cars, if there's nobody in there to override its possible mistakes, that it could really freak people out and they, it could cause a lot of problems. So imagine you're a customer of the loop and, and it's taking you somewhere. And then the car is just going nuts and it's, you know, it's about to hit the car in front of it. It's going to hit the wall or it's going to do something really stupid or dangerous. And, and you're sitting there helpless without the ability to stop it as, as a passenger. So they're saying at first they're going to have humans sitting there who work for them and can take over if the car messes up. So if the car is doing something obviously wrong, they can just take full control. And then after the autopilot driving goes on for a while without the humans ever having to interfere, then they can say, okay, well, we're ready now to ditch the humans and it can be driverless. But Las Vegas wants to see it happen for a while before they can do that. And before the deadline was December 31st, 2021, and at that point, it would be fully autonomous, but it looks like that's not going to happen because the project's a little bit behind right now. So it looks like it won't be at least till sometime in 2022 that we can see the loop actually functioning as initially intended to be self-driving cars without a human supervisor. Now, I have wondered whether this is going to be successful. Elon Musk is pretty good at being able to tell what people are going to want and coming up with revolutionary products that people really hadn't thought of before, but that once he comes out with them, people enjoy them and they do well. However, there can be misses. Steve Jobs is similar in that way. He also came up with innovative products that uh, a lot of people didn't really think of, or at least not seriously think of, but once he comes out with them, they love it. Uh, Your smartphone is the biggest example of that. But also, he was an innovator in the uh, personal computing market as well. So Steve Jobs, of course, hasn't been around for many years since dying of cancer. Uh, He had some misses, though, like the Apple Lisa was a good example. The next computer was a good example. These were ones that he thought were going to catch on and be huge, and they ended up flopping badly. In fact, there were many years that Apple was struggling big time, and the iPhone really remade everything for them. That turned them around. Probably started with the iPod. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. The iPod started first, and then the the iPhone really kicked it into high gear. I will say, when I saw the iPhone first advertised, like the second I saw that advertising, I go, oh, this is going to be a hit. This is going to be huge. It was, it was super obvious to me. This is going to be a very, very popular and revolutionary item. I didn't get one immediately, but I knew it was going to be very, very popular, and I, I, lo- I loved the way it looked in the commercials. I go, wow, you can actually browse the web like you're on a computer, except you're on 
your your phone now? Wow, because before that, going on the web from any mobile device was awful. And it didn't really look like the web you're used to on your computer. So here you had like a real browser that really looked like very similar to what it looks like on your computer. And it was a, a game changer. And then add all the apps to that and that really changed life compared to what it was before. That's the biggest difference between now and 2005, if you think about it. That's a huge thing that's missing from life today, back in 05, was there were no smartphones. And I always have some idiot saying, no, there were smartphones. What about BlackBerry? I go, I, I don't consider that a smartphone. I know technically it is, but the popular belief of what a smartphone is, the modern belief of what a smartphone is, is, is a phone that uh, has a real browser which looks similar to your experience on a computer and, and with uh, the apps we're used to, things like that. Now, of course, the version of an iPhone today compared to what was out in 07 are, are very different, way better today, m- way more advanced today, but it's the same concept, whereas the BlackBerry was not. That was the big game changer. That's what most people think a smartphone is. And saying that a smartphone was a BlackBerry is like saying that uh, the term gay means you're happy. At one point it meant that, but that's not the modern definition of it. Anyway, back to this. Just because Elon Musk is behind it doesn't mean that it's going to be a guaranteed success. So I have some skepticism that people may not want to use this. It has to do with how expensive it's going to be and how efficient it is, how big the lines are, how much people feel like going down into these tunnels to do it, how safe they feel down there, especially with COVID being a factor. So I don't know. I could see it working. I could also see it failing. There have been other kind of like mass transportation attempts in Vegas that really haven't done that well, haven't produced the revenue expected. I think there's a belief that there's a massive need for public transportation in Vegas, and if you build it, they will come. And so far, that hasn't been true. So far, so far people have resisted forms of public transportation in Vegas. And instead, they walk or take Uber or take cabs, and for some reason, they're kind of stuck on that. So we'll see if this changes anything. I think if the price is reasonable and it works well, then it will. It'll do well and people will start using it. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see it in action. It's not going to affect me much because I always have a car. I hate being in Vegas with no car. I always encourage others to get a car in Vegas, even if they have to rent one. I just think it kind of sucks without one. Now, if you're going to stay at the same hotel the whole time and not go anywhere, I guess fine. But I always like having a car in Vegas. What about you, Trader Ruski? Do you could you stand being in Vegas with no car? No way. Yeah, that's how I feel. Especially now with COVID coming in and out of cabs. I mean, it's just yeah. And now I, li- you know, now that I live up in the Central Coast, it's like a six-hour drive. But I'd still. I mean, if I did fly, I'd have to rent a car for sure. Yeah, that's what I've always done. The few times I've flown into Vegas, I have rented cars because it just feels weird not to have one. It feels like I just don't have much freedom of movement. Yeah, sure, I could take cabs or Uber, but I don't like it. I like just being able to just walk to my car, get in and drive somewhere. Yeah, traffic can be a pain in the ass, but you know what? 
I lived in Vegas for a number of years. I know all these back roads. I can get around relatively fast. I don't have to spend much time actually driving on the strip. I want to have that car. So, I oh yeah, and just having gone to like CES and Comdex through like the nineties, like I know every back road through every hotel. I mean, it keeps kind of as a moving target a lot of the times the construction. But yeah, you know, you get it wired and then. Yeah, that's right. You know it well too. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like especially if you know that stuff pretty well, and also sometimes you want to go fairly far away from where you are. Maybe you want to go downtown. Maybe you want to go to the other end of the strip. There's a lot of places you might want to go in a car that there's no way you're going to walk to, and that get to be kind of a pain in the ass if you've got to count on other people driving you, or it gets expensive. I remember someone wanted to. Someone I was with like. They wanted to go downtown from the strip and asked if I wanted to come. And I said, okay. I said, wait a minute. Don't you drink a lot? How, how are you going to go down there? They said, oh, no, I'm just going to take a cab or I'll take an Uber or whatever. And I was like, it's kind of expensive to go all the way from here to downtown. Yeah, I know it is, but I'll pay. I think, you know what? Let me just, I'll just take you. Let's, let's just, just go with me. I, I don't drink, so, you know, I'll take you there. I'll take you back and uh, we'll just leave at the same time. And uh, I, I don't want you to take a cab down there or a Uber down there. It's just. I just felt like it was a waste of money for them. So yeah, I always like having a car there. The one time my generosity with driving burned me because uh, someone I drove to a strip club of all things. I didn't go with them. I just dropped them off there. One of these strip clubs on Industrial. I don't remember which one. It's back in 05. And I caught a real bad flu from them. <laughs> Probably the worst flu I've had in my life was came from them and i knew it came from them because they're like oh dude I, I wonder if i got you sick because i was like really sick that day but it had just started i didn't realize it i'm like oh, damn it like they, they kind of realized it but they didn't stay away from me and then they really realized it the next day and they asked me if i got sick i said yes it was very bad so that was what i got for driving them so i'm not taking any more sick people in my car especially these days okay well I don't know if we're going to get Brandon. He's got a little less, a little more time to show up. I will let him do his thing if he comes on here and wants to uh, do his Vegas topics. Otherwise, we will have to get him next week. I'm going to do an editorial, and then we're going to be done. So, I want to talk about the Texas abortion law. But as I said in the opening to this show... It's not going to be about that law itself because everybody's got their opinion on that. And this is not a straightforward right or wrong law. There's some people who hate it. There's some people who love it. But this goes along with the lines of whether they are pro-life or pro-choice. And I can actually understand both positions. And when I can understand both positions on something... It's hard for me to say to someone, you're wrong, or you're crazy to think this, or this is terrible you think this way, or you're a bad person for thinking this way. I can't say this to people if I can understand why they have that point of view, if it at least makes sense why they believe what they do, even if I don't believe exactly what they do. And as far as the debate about the Texas abortion law, which makes it uh, sort of illegal there's no criminal penalty because they can't do that, but it makes it sort of illegal to get uh, abortions 
after the six-week mark. And it is important to understand what six weeks means. It doesn't mean six weeks after the woman is pregnant. It's six weeks since the beginning of their menstrual cycle. So it's more usually around uh, four weeks pregnant. And often they don't even know they're pregnant by then or they're just finding out a very short time before what's considered six weeks. So it makes it sort of illegal to get an abortion after that mark in Texas. And the reason they chose that mark is because that's typically when the heartbeat shows up for the fetus. So I'm sure you guys have heard about this law and you've seen all the protest tweets and Facebook messages and uh, a a lot of people who are on the pro-choice side who are very angry about this law. And there's many people on the pro-life side who are very happy to see it. Now, they, on the pro-life side, they'd probably prefer it's completely outlawed, any kind of abortion, but uh, they're very happy to see this law, obviously. And in all the debate about this and in all the discussion and in all the protest and outrage, I can understand both sides. So I'm not going to take a position on that here because there's no point. And you probably have your own opinion on this. And I'll tell you, whichever side you're on with that actually has some valid points. And if you think the other side has no valid points, then you're, you're kidding yourself. That's not true. It's a very complicated issue. And that's why it's been an issue that has been hotly debated for the last uh, 50 years, ever since Roe versus Wade in 1972, the same year I was born. So I'm not going to debate that here. I'm not going to discuss that here. What I am going to discuss is something sort of related and something I don't like seeing ignored, but is being ignored. And with all this abortion talk recently, the fact that this is being ignored especially bothers me because this should be something that is discussed. And yet the people on the outrage train about the Texas law are not bringing up the opposite laws that exist in many states that allow the murder of fully formed babies. That's exactly like I said. I'm not playing with words here where I'm saying that aborting a fetus at six weeks or nine weeks is the murder of a fully formed baby. It's not because it's not a fully formed baby. If a fetus that's been in development for six weeks or nine weeks is out of the womb, it's dead no matter what. There's no way that fetus could survive outside the womb. It's not, a, it's not developed enough to do so. So that's not a fully formed baby. It doesn't look like a fully formed baby. In fact, it's, it's, it's very, very tiny. I'm talking about fully formed babies that can live outside the womb. In fact, fully formed babies that can not only live outside the womb, but can live without any kind of uh, external assistance that can live just like any other baby that's just been born that in many states that it is legal to murder these fully formed babies as long as they are still in the womb. And in one state, it's actually legal to murder the baby after the baby's been born. And you can look this up. Some people don't believe this when I say it because it sounds crazy to some people. Even people who are very pro-choice are not aware that 
these type of laws exist. They said, no, 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 no. It, it's got to be if the mom's uh, life is in danger. I go, no, no, no. That, that's been the case the whole time since uh, 1972. It's, it's been allowed to uh, have late-term abortions if the mom's life is in danger. And they said, well, it's got to be like the mom's health is in danger. I go, well, in some states, but in some states, no. In some states, you actually can choose to have an abortion at any time of the pregnancy for any reason. And some people have a very hard time believing that, but it is true that there are several states with that situation. I'll tell you which states these are. Alaska, Colorado, D.C., which isn't a state, but it's kind of like a state, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont. The only one of these that is not a blue state is Alaska. Kind of surprised me to see them on the list, but Alaska is kind of weird. But all the others are blue states. New Hampshire is kind of a purple state, but it's been going blue in most of these elections. But these states have no state-imposed thresholds on when abortions could occur or why they can occur. So this is uh, seven states and one territory. You can get an abortion at any time for any reason. Any reason means you can just say, if you're a woman, I don't want it anymore. Nothing wrong with me. Nothing wrong with it. I'm in no danger. I just don't want it. Yes, I've been pregnant for nine months. Yes, my baby might be born tomorrow. Yes, everything seems fine about the baby from what they can see. I just don't want it. That can be done. By law, that can be done, which is straight up murder. But it can be done by law without any consequence to the woman or the doctor. As long as the woman can find a doctor who will do it, all they have to say is she wanted it, and it's done. No penalty can be imposed in these states. Furthermore, there are several states where you can get an abortion at any point of the pregnancy, all the way up until just before birth, as long as it threatens the mother's life or health. Now you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Obviously, if it threatens the mother's life, an abortion is justified. And health, you know, why should this destroy a woman's health? If sometimes, you know, yes, it would suck to have to do, but if it's going to seriously impact a woman's health, then it would make sense why she would want the baby aborted even at a very late stage. I'll agree with that, but Notice I said health. I didn't say physical health. This includes mental health. So if a woman comes in and says, I'm feeling very depressed. I have incredible depression. This baby is causing me incredible depression. This pregnancy is causing me incredible depression. Yes, I'm eight and a half months pregnant, but I'm incredibly depressed and I can't stand it anymore. Abort it. It is legal in Arizona, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New York, Virginia, Washington. Every one of these states went for Joe Biden. So far, of the ones I've listed, the only one that was a red state was Alaska. So this, was not, this is not as bad as the other ones, which is for any time, any reason. But here, all you have to do is say, I'm depressed, and you are legally able to abort a fully functioning, fully developed, healthy baby at any time. The rest of the states require the pregnancy to threaten the mother's life and physical or physical health or 
have to threaten the mother's life. There's three states where it has, they have, has to threaten the mother's life, which is Idaho, Michigan, and Rhode Island. Interestingly, two of them are blue states, but that's the way it is. And all the other states I haven't named, it's uh, life or physical health. So those are fine, okay? We'll leave those. But what about the ones where mental health, which is impossible to verify, by the way. It's impossible to verify mental health issues. That's something where you have to take the patient's word for it. Or physical health, you can verify. But you can get as late of an abortion as you want, up to the day of birth. If it's for mental health, in those states I listed, all blue states, and then in seven states in one territory, all of them blue but one, you can get it for any time, any reason. Now, some people are shocked by that when they hear it. Some people had no idea that such a thing can be done. But you get the question, does anyone actually do it? Is it just one of these things that the law's on the books, but no doctor would do it? Well, first of all, yes, doctors will do it. Not all doctors. There are many doctors out there that would refuse to do an abortion unless it is medically justified. But there are plenty who would. There are plenty of unethical doctors that will do anything for money. In fact, here it would be legal. So there are plenty of doctors, a lot of doctors out there, that if a procedure is legal and they can't get in trouble, they will do it. Ethics be damned. If they can't get in trouble, if they can't be sued, if they make money from it, they'll do it. There's doctors, of course, that do illegal things for money. So why wouldn't these same doctors who break the law for money and risk losing their license and risk going to prison, why wouldn't they do something completely legal for money? Of course they would. So the ridiculous argument that you're not going to find a doctor who will do this is absurd because there's tons of doctors who are highly unethical out there. I'm not saying most doctors are. I'm saying that there's, with all the doctors in this country, there's plenty of them who will do a legal abortion that's unethical as long as they get paid and they can't get in trouble. And if there's no legal language that prevents them from doing it, then they will do it if they can make money. Some of these doctors will. And I actually have people on the left denying this. Oh, no, you won't find a doctor to do that. What are you talking about? Have you seen what doctors do? Have you seen the arrests of doctors who commit all kinds of fraud and who, who do all kinds of unethical things where you can't prosecute them? I'd like to tell the story of a really, really shady doctor who in the late 90s straight up scammed my 85-year-old grandma with dementia. And when I say straight up scammed, he billed her for tests that he never did and figured, how will she know? She has dementia. Problem was, my mom, who did not have dementia and was not old at the time, She knew exactly what my grandma was doing and what test she was getting because my mom was directing the whole thing. And my mom also had her previous test results and found that these tests that she never authorized also had results which were impossible for my grandma to have based upon the other results that she had right in her hand. So she had the smoking freaking gun proof that this doctor just straight up scammed. It was a combination of a Medicare scam and also on the patient side too. So do you think that doctor or a doctor like him would be willing to perform a legal 40-week abortion if he got paid for it? You think a doctor who would be willing to scam an 85-year-old woman with dementia and commit a crime to do it? You think that type of doctor 
would say, no, 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 I'm not doing this abortion because I think it's wrong. Of course not. There's tons of doctors like that piece of shit who scammed my grandma who would happily do this if they can't get in trouble for it. If it's legal to do and they can get paid for doing it, you will always find a certain subset of doctors to do it. So the argument of no doctors won't ever do this is a terrible argument, especially in a country with so many doctors and with a proven history of a certain percentage of doctors in this country being very, very unethical and doing anything for money. Then I've heard the argument, well, what woman would do this? In fact, Pete Buttigieg made this argument in order to try to prove that he's progressive when he was running for president. This is before he resigned or uh, dropped out and endorsed Biden. He was trying to show how progressive he is on abortion. And when he was on The View, listen to what he had to say about why he's okay with late-term abortion being allowed for any reason. Yes. If If this is a late-term situation, then by definition, it's one where a woman was expecting to carry the pregnancy to term. Then she gets the most perhaps devastating news of her life. We're talking about families that, that may have picked out a name, maybe assembling a crib, and they learn something excruciating and are faced with this terrible choice. And I don't know what to tell them morally about what they should do. I just know that I, I trust her and her decision medically or morally isn't going to be any better because the government is commanding her to do it in a certain I respect that. Okay. So everybody cheered and this went viral. Here's my response, Mr. Buttigieg, transportation secretary who doesn't know anything about transportation. Let me give you my response to this. We're not talking about the 35-year-old housewife who's in a middle or upper class home and wants the baby and is excited about the baby and has the room all ready for the baby and has picked out a name for the baby. We're not talking about that situation. We're talking about a situation where there's a 22-year-old girl who's broke, who gets pregnant, who didn't want to get pregnant, who isn't married. And the only reason that she didn't get an abortion is because her boyfriend stood by her and said, we're going to make a family. We're going to raise this baby together. I'm going to work extra hours. I'm going to help support the family. I'll take care of both of you. It'll be okay. I know this isn't what you wanted, but we'll get through this together with our child. And the girl's like, oh, okay. This isn't exactly what I was hoping, but yeah, we're going to keep it. We're going to be a family. And then at the seven and a half month mark, the dude changes his mind and runs off. Pretty shitty to do. I would never do such a thing, even back when I was young. But when this happens, and you're 22 years old, and You're a woman and looking and seeing, crap, I'm going to be saddled with this kid for the next 18 years. And by the time this kid has grown up, I'll be 40. And I don't have a man anymore. The father of this child is gone and he's not coming back. And this is going to hamper my future. This is going to make me less desirable to other men my age. Because, you know, when you're 35 years old, then... A lot more men are willing to date you your age if you have a kid already. If you're, if you're 22, then a lot of young men, they, they don't want it. They don't want to date a girl with a kid. So that really reduces the dating pool for her, the quality guys she could find to date and or at least date her seriously. She looks at all the downsides and she's like, I only did this. I only didn't get that abortion because of this bullshit that my ex-boyfriend handed me, how he's going to stay with me all this time. 
and now he's gone. He just flew the coop. He's never coming back. I'm going to struggle financially. I'll never be able to have a real career. I, I'm, this kid's going to burden me for all the best years of my life, and my life's going to suck. This isn't what I was expecting at all. This isn't why I agreed not to have the abortion. Oh my God, I, I can't do this. I can't go through with it. Now, I'm just not just making up a hypothetical. This is usually who goes and seeks late-term abortions. Yes, there are some that are dictated by either the mother's health or the baby's health. But let me answer this. First of all, if it's the mother's health, again, if it's a physical health issue, or especially if one threatening her life, it's already legal in, in these... Uh, in all but three states for physical health, they can get an abortion late. And uh, all 50 states, if it's her life in danger. So that's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing if it's okay, if it's not physical health of the mother, can you abort, meaning kill, a fully formed baby that can survive outside the womb? And so Buttigieg is being dishonest by saying, oh, it's just... Uh, uh, you know, why would a woman ever do this when she's done all these preparations and is excited about the baby? It would only be because it's an incredibly hard decision that they got some terrible news about the baby or about the mother's health. No, that's that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about where people can walk in and get an abortion anytime for any reason, including because their boyfriend left and they don't want their life ruined being settled with a child at the age of 22. And yes, that happens. And yes, it obviously can and will happen if abortion at any time for any reason is legalized or abortion when the uh, the mother just sets a claim she's depressed and she can get one legally, which almost makes it as easy as any time for any reason. Otherwise, it's straight-up murder of a fully formed human being. Just because the kid hasn't exited the womb yet doesn't mean it's not a fully formed human being that is a person already. So you can say a clump of cells at six weeks, even if it has a heartbeat, isn't a person. And there can be debate about that. But you can't say that about a fully formed baby that can survive outside the womb. So if you're going to kill that baby, you have to have a damn, damn, damn good reason for it. And as far as, well, what if you get some bad news about the way the baby's life is going to be because there's something wrong with the baby? Well, then answer me this. Shouldn't we then just kill any child that is severely retarded or deformed? Why do they get to live? They're a big burden on the parents. Why not, why not kill a one-year-old who is severely retarded and deformed? Kill a two-year-old. I mean, they, uh, it's the same argument, right? If you think they're going to have a terrible life, why, why is killing them before they come out of the birth canal any different than killing them after they're one or two years old? So the bottom line is, unless it's going to severely harm the mother, it is absolutely not ethical to kill a fully formed human being. It is murder. And yet, listen to all those states that allow it by law. And you can't just count on the woman and her doctor to, quote, make the right decision. Doctors will do whatever they can that makes them money. Some would refuse this, but a lot of them wouldn't. And there's a lot of women who will end their pregnancy because they think the baby is going to ruin their lives. And if you say, no, there aren't, look at the women who actually commit illegal murder. Because this would be illegal murder. But this would be legal murder. But an illegal murder is what you typically think of with murder. Think of the women who leave 
infants in trash cans and trash bins. Or that really horrendous one where in Iowa, a woman who was 19 years old left a baby out in the super freezing cold and it froze to death. They finally identified her many years later thanks to DNA. But she did that. She didn't want her baby. She, in fact, hid her pregnancy from her boyfriend. I don't know why she didn't get an abortion because it was legal, but she didn't get an abortion. And she had the baby and then left it out in the cold to die. And you read these stories every year of women who just leave their babies in a trash can or somewhere else like that to die after they've already been born. So you think those women would say, no, 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 I'm not going to get a late-term abortion uh, if there's nothing wrong with me or the baby. Yeah, just because I don't want it, I wouldn't do that. Now, most women wouldn't, but that's not what laws are for. Criminal law is not meant to be in place to stop most people from doing something. For example, let's just look at murder of adults. Most people would not murder other adults, but a certain percentage of the population would. So we have penalties in place for those that would murder other adults or would murder children. That there are very severe penalties for committing the crime of murder, even though the vast majority of the population would never commit murder. Even if it were legal, they wouldn't do it. But there are those who would, so that's why we have laws for the deviants who would. So same thing here. Even if most women are like the ones that Pete Buttigieg described, that they would never do this unless they had a really, really, really good reason for it. You will have a number of them who will do it just because the baby's an inconvenience. And you will have a number of doctors who will do it as long as they can't get in trouble. How do I know this? Because out of, what, like 100 million women who are of childbearing age in the country, just ballparking that, there will be a certain percentage that are pieces of shit, just like there's a certain percentage of men in this country who are total pieces of shit. And they would do this. And we're going to have a certain percentage of doctors who are pieces of shit who will do this because it's legal and they'll make money. And all you have to do is get them together and you will have legalized murder. And you can never have legalized murder on the books because then legalized murder will take place. You can't just say, oh, they'd never do that. That's not good law. That's terrible law. Law should never be based upon, oh, this person would never do that. It should be, we have this law in place because you can't do that, because they're not allowed to do that. And we don't care how many people would do it. We care about that it's something that shouldn't be done, and therefore we're not allowing it, and whoever breaks this law will suffer severe consequences. That's how you write law. You don't write it based upon what percentage of the population you think would break that law or would do this. Oh, not enough people would do it, so we don't need a law for that. Most women wouldn't commit this murder. Most doctors wouldn't commit this murder. So let's, there's a few cases that happens. Let's, let's not have a law against murder. What? But anyway, look, look this up. Look this up. I'm not making this up. This is the law. Seven states, you can murder fully formed babies up to when they're born. In Virginia, you can even do it after they're born. In a bunch of other states, you can do it just based on mental health claims. All you need is a doctor who says yes, who will do it fully legally. And that's presently today. So why am I ranting about this? Well, what do I think is the greater tragedy here? A woman not being able to have an abortion when she otherwise wants one early on? Or fully formed human beings being murdered? I think you know which one I think is the far greater tragedy and the far worse law. So even if you want to say that you are pro-choice, 
and that the Texas law is terrible, and that you think it's uh, a violation of women's rights, and you think it's a violation of Roe versus Wade, I can understand those arguments. But I hope if you're going to express your outrage on social media, that you will also express your outrage against the laws that allow women to murder fully formed babies at any time for any reason, as long as a doctor is willing to do it legally. And if I'm wrong, go ahead and tell me where I'm wrong. Are you going to make the case to me that no doctor would do this or that very few doctors would do it? Really? With, with all the medical fraud in this country where doctors risk going to prison, they're not going to commit a, they're not going to do a legal procedure for money? Really? You can't find many doctors to do that? Okay. That you're a very foolish and trusting person. And of 100 million women, that you're not going to find very many out of 100 million that would do this? You're not going to find any? that 100% of women will act ethically here? Women never commit murder? Women never leave babies in dumpsters and risk going to prison for the rest of their lives? If you give these type of women an out to legally kill the baby, this is going to multiply tremendously. Because I'm sure there's a lot of young women out there that considered leaving their unwanted babies in dumpsters and then say, you know what? I'm not going to do that because if I get caught, I'm going to go to prison for life. So, nope, not going to do that. Not going to commit murder here because the consequences scare the hell out of me. But if you can legally kill the baby, yeah, I bet we're going to get a lot more of that. In fact, there was a study. I wish I could find it again, but I I could find it again. I just got to look for it. There was a study about uh, the reason that women seek late-term abortions, and it was found that a lot of them are the women simply don't want the baby. Not that the baby's got a problem, not that they have a problem, just they, they don't want it. And in many states, that's legal. Why don't you hear about it? Well, because it's not publicized. You're, you're not going to see a newspaper article about a woman eight months pregnant goes to abortion clinic in Oregon and gets baby aborted. Like, who's going to report that? Who's going to even know about it? That's why you're not seeing it. But it's happening, and it's legal. So you explain to me why that should be law. And, and whenever I bring this up on Twitter, people freak out. They say, don't give me this conservative crap. Women wouldn't do that. Doctors wouldn't do that. I go, what? Of all the women in the country, all the doctors in the country, they wouldn't do that? Every single one? You know every single woman? There's, there's no unethical murderous women out there? There's no unethical doctors who will do anything for money? Really? None? This is all part of the old white men trying to control women. And, and, you know, and also from all your statements, you think, oh, I'm glad you're voting for these social programs that support some of these women. And this stuff especially affects women of color. And, and it really gets down to that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll answer those. Oh, I, you know, there's uh, a certain amount with these laws you're talking about that I haven't looked up. I don't know. That does sound unreasonable at surface. Where's the cases? Well, no, look, forget the cases. If you just got to you just got to look up if it's something that can be done. Forget forget how often it's happened. I get that question a lot. How often does this happen? If it can happen, why are we allowing it? I don't care if it's ever happened at all. If it's if it is legal for a woman in Oregon to find a doctor to kill a 40 week baby when there's nothing wrong with her or the baby. That's a huge issue, whether it's happened yet or not. 
which it has happened. But even if it hasn't happened yet, the fact that the door is opening to that is open to that happening is horrendous. But I'll answer the other things you had to say since we have uh, we have Traderuski here for the counterpoint. So uh, first of all, it, it's not old white men trying to control women. See, that's that's the counterpoint that's brought up a lot to uh, discredit any criticism of things like this. But um, this is not about controlling women's bodies. This is about saving fully formed human beings from murder. And I don't want to see human beings murdered by women or men. I, I don't want to see... I would think if they show, cared so much, then those they don't seem to be in alignment with the programs. I don't see many of them adopting these kids and then giving the, the woman you know more of a choice if if that's their real intention okay but that's the these see these are the arguments about having abortion at all these would be the arguments against the texas law but uh, this is against once you've gone as far yeah, for whatever talk about the Texas. yeah but once i'm not even i'm not even, I'm not even discussing the texas law though I, I i'm discussing the late-term abortion laws in these in a lot of states that once you've gone that far, um, it's not about you anymore. It's it's about the fully formed human being you're carrying. At that, at that point, if you've gone that far in the pregnancy for whatever reason, and you've, you've created a fully formed human being who could survive outside the womb, now the law must protect that human being unless you're going to be really physically harmed or dead from giving birth to that human being. Then, obviously, you can't sacrifice your life for another life. That's not fair to make you do. But aside from that... Uh, at that point, that human being should have rights, even though they're not actually out of the womb yet. And uh, that's why a lot of people have a hard time understanding that these laws exist. And then when they look it up and go, crap, these laws do exist. Well, how do we explain that? And then you get these answers like what Pete Buttigieg says. Well, no one's going to use it that way. You, it, this, this is only going to be done in extreme circumstances where it's justified. I say, okay, then, then write the law that way. Write the law to where... It can be done under X or Y circumstance only, not not where just people can walk in and say, yeah, I don't want this baby anymore. And, and believe me, do you, there's a lot of young women whose boyfriends leave them. You know, you know how these young relationships are. You know, you know how stable these are. They're very, they're very unstable, even without a baby. You know, people, uh, people who are young break up very easily and all the time. That's why I always say people shouldn't get married before they're 30. But you know, two people who are in their early 20s, maybe younger than that, and they plan to spend their life together with his baby, and they, they have certain plans, and then the whole thing falls apart, and, and late in the pregnancy, the dude leaves. And I'm not defending that. I think uh, if the dude doesn't want to be with her anymore, he should take responsibility. He should take the kid half the time. He should uh, still be an active father in the kid's life, and I don't defend guys like that. And In fact, someone, someone arguing with me about this said, what about all the men who skip out on women and, and leave them with a responsibility? And I said, they should be found and prosecuted. Uh, like I, I'm not saying leave, let the men off for this. If you, if you create a baby and just because you're not the one carrying it, that doesn't give you the ability to run off without consequence. It shouldn't. Guys who do that and, and saddle the woman with everything, they, they should face consequences for that. And I think there's not enough consequences and, and there's, uh, there should be an effort to step this up and make guys have to take responsibility and just because they're not carrying it, they shouldn't just be able to skip out and, and probably not face many consequences unless they're found later. And and then even when they are, they just have to pay some back child support and they're okay. Like, there, there should be some stiffer consequences for this. But what I'm saying here is that you know, this, this can never justify killing a fully formed human being. And that's 
a major tragedy of abortion law now, which is far worse than that Texas law. So even if you want to say that Texas law is terrible, these are worse. The consequence of these is actually murder. And that's why there's people who learned about this and then they're on the, the pro-choice side and they say, shit, well, how do we explain this? How, how, do, how do we still maintain our left-wing cred and uh, not admit that uh, this is horrendous and this should be changed? So what they do is they make excuses like what Buttigieg did in that little clip. And, uh, and it, you know, it sounds good. You have some good sound bites. Make, let the woman and her doctor decide. Don't have the government touching people's bodies. Let people control their own health. These are nice catchphrases, but they're all code for people. Women should be allowed to murder babies, actual babies. I'm not talking about fetuses, actual babies. Women should be allowed to murder them because it's technically still inside their body. That's, that's what that's saying. And you can try to dance around it. You can try to change what you say it means or use little catchphrases like Buttigieg does. doesn't matter. That's what it really means. So I think anybody who's actively protesting or complaining about the Texas law, that along with that complaint, if you want to complain about that, that's fine. And I can understand the arguments against the Texas law. It's a complicated situation. But... If you're going to complain about that, then I'd also like to see you complain about these other laws and say, that law sucks, plus here's some other laws that suck even worse. Let's get rid of those too. But you don't ever hear that. In fact, when you bring this up to people complaining about Texas law, they first deny these laws exist that allow the legalized murder, and then once you prove it to them they exist, then they make excuses. Oh, no woman would ever do that. Oh, no doctor would ever do that. Yeah. No doctor would ever do that. Uh Uh-huh. The doctor who scam my grandmother when she had dementia at age 85. I'm sure he's a super ethical guy who'd never do that. I'm sure there's no other doctors like him in the country. I mean, it's just... This really bothers me because I was just so shocked when I heard about these laws that permit this. And it was kind of like how I was shocked about the laws that permit civil forfeiture where they can just target cars on the road and steal their stuff. That also shocked me when I learned about that, too. Just when I hear about these shocking laws that allow for just super terrible, unjust things to happen to innocent people, I, I go, I can't believe these things exist now. And why aren't people talking about this? So that has been my response to people about the Texas thing. I go, I'm not going to even comment on this. So you, you can take your position on that. I, I, I can understand both sides of this Texas law argument. And and it's a very complicated situation. And there, there's no real straightforward answer to whether it's right or wrong, depending upon your view of the pro-choice, pro-life thing. And, and really, there's some decent arguments on both sides. Like, uh, um, you know, Trader Ruski explained some of the arguments on the left there. And, and then there's people on the right saying, look, you know, at what point do you say a human is a human? They've got a heartbeat. Why, why are you saying it's not a human yet? Just because it's not fully developed. So I, I, and, and it's kind of hard to argue against that, too. So, but then you also have to... You don't believe it's a religious issue? Well, I think there's, it's a religious issue in that there's people who are very religious tend to believe this more than people who aren't about it being a life already. But there are people who are atheists or people who are not atheists but aren't very religious who also just morally believe that, uh, that abortion at any time is wrong, at least as long as the uh, uh, the conception was consensual and it wasn't forced on the woman by uh, by a rapist so um like that's there's this is a very complicated issue that 
doesn't have a clear answer that has been debated for many decades. And that's why in, in 72, when it was made legal at the federal level because of Roe versus Wade, uh, and that's one other thing I wanted to say. Roe versus Wade, the reason the public generally got behind it, and when I say generally, I mean that uh, it was something that was accepted by the majority. There were those who were strongly pro-life, but it was accepted then and also accepted in the decades following it by the majority because it was said to be safe, legal, and rare. That's actually what they said in 72. Safe, legal, and rare. Safe meaning that uh, women won't have to seek out these back alley abortion clinics and sometimes die when they attempt to do this by these uh, butchers who aren't licensed and, and do it uh, under un- very unsanitary uh, and unsafe circumstances. Uh, legal, obviously, just you know, making that legal so where they can seek it at a real clinic. And rare, being an important point, that this isn't uh, something that's just done all the time and easily with, with no uh, concern, but that every effort will be made to have abortion be something that rarely occurs or is as rarely as possible. And somehow that evolved to these states allowing it at any time for any reason. And if you told people back in 72 it's going to evolve to this, there would have been massive outrage, even from Democrats at the time, saying, no, 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 no. If that's really the future, we don't support it. Like That, that really would have been the answer at the time. But nobody pictured that then. People thought they were permitting early abortion in uh, circumstances that uh, it would be very difficult for the mother to have a child at that point in her life. And uh, it, it was brought up like, you know, with the, the high school girl who has a great future ahead of her and then uh, stupidly has sex unprotected with her boyfriend and gets pregnant, uh, should she be able to have an abortion? Or even someone who's a little older in the high school. You know, maybe maybe get, uh, you know, or you know, there's many circumstances which were brought up where this would severely impact the woman's life, even if it wasn't going to impact her health. And uh, uh, the public generally accepted, okay, as long as it's not done a whole lot and it's done for at least somewhat of a good reason, then all right, even though this kind of seems uh, like something that we really don't want to see done. So that was kind of the bargain that was made with the public back then. And it evolved into something very different. And I hate to make this comparison again, but it's like, it's like the civil forfeiture. It started as a way to seize money from obvious drug dealers who were carrying $3 million in their car and obviously got this from drug dealing. And it evolved through legalized theft of people on the road to, to fund police departments in small cities and small counties. And, and the federal government gets their share too. I mean, the, sometimes these things that are started off as something reasonable or semi-reasonable, you have the danger of it evolving into something very bad and harmful. And I've seen this in many areas of law. And that's why people talk about the slippery slope. People talk about the evolution of what's legal. Why, if you say this is okay today, something much worse will be there tomorrow. You need a stepping stone to get there. So sometimes people don't want to bring in the stepping stone because they're afraid it's going to get them to a place they really don't want. That's why, by the way, there's a lot of resistance to gun control because of the belief that the more gun control that uh, you allow, even what seems reasonable on the surface, will eventually evolve into full gun control. And 
they need these stepping stones to get there. And that's uh, actually one of the best arguments against uh, further gun control. So that's that's the problem is there's always a lot of times these things are, are stepping stones to more restrictive laws or in other cases far less restrictive laws. So you always have to watch out what you support because you're not always aware that what you're supporting now is also going to evolve into something you don't want in the future. So that's it's just I just wanted everybody to be aware of these abortion anytime for any reason laws and look it up if you think I'm lying about it. Look it up. In fact, uh, the site I was reading from, though there's many others that explain the same thing, uh, worldpopulationreview.com, which is not a, a pop, it's not a partisan site, by the way. This is not some right-wing site or anything. Uh, I found it there under uh, state rankings and what states allow late-term abortion. It's kind of just like a statistics site, an informational site, kind of like an almanac in some ways, worldpopulationreview.com. But you can find other places if you don't trust this site. And I believe their information here is correct. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is, while abortion was kind of always in the background, especially during uh, presidential campaigns, notice how much it's been talked about in the last like five years compared to before. It really kind of fell into the background for quite some time. It was never gone, but notice it's really ramped up in the last five years or so. And what you're seeing in Texas is kind of a reaction to the crazy laws that exist permitting it late term at any time for any reason. So people on the right say, all right, well, if that's what you're going to do, then we're going to do what we really want and go the complete other direction. But for decades, both sides kind of left it alone. They, they both had their rhetoric and then it would kind of just die and there would never be a serious attempt on either side to really change very much. And then things started to change. So be aware of that. And uh, sometimes what you think you support is not really what you're supporting. And be don't fall for catchphrases. I don't like catchphrases. I don't like, uh, it must be decided between a woman and her doctor, government hands off. Well, on the surface, I would agree with that, but not when you really think about it. And there's right-wing catchphrases, too. I'm aware of that, too. And I, I, I cringe when I hear some of those. In fact, when I am listening to any kind of uh, right-wing podcast or, or watching a right-wing YouTube channel, and I, I start hearing just simplistic uh, slogans or catchphrases without uh, really anything behind them to justify them, even some of the anti-vax stuff I've heard recently, I, I turn that off, too, and I don't like it. I've even stopped listening to and watching some of these because I... Uh, was annoyed with uh, the way some of these things were being approached. I, I want everything... I think, I think a lot of that stuff started rough when we started sending those lasers down to start the fires in California. I, I thought you were going to talk about the lasers for poker stars. That's the only, <laughs> the only lasers I know about. <laughs> no, but, you know, the crackpots got loose. Well, you know what? You know, Speak and, and you better look around and see who's on your team. No, I, I look around. I, I, I do look around, and some of the things I, I don't like, and and, uh, and I've stated that, and I've stated I've stated it right out there on Twitter, and uh, um, you know, sometimes it, and it I'm gets... not happy with all the people on my team either. Okay, well, that, that that's so. good. Yeah, so so <laughs> I I, uh, I will say with California, and that this is coming, unfortunately, it's already happening somewhat in Northern California, but Southern California, 
the the day of reckoning is coming very soon and i mean the next two months probably there will probably be some pretty bad fires in southern california in the next two months if that doesn't happen then southern california is very lucky but they've basically got to make it through the next two months because that's after that the rains will come but we've had two very dry years in a row and that's very bad news for California. So you already have that big Caldor fire in Northern California, which actually caused Lake Tahoe to get evacuated. South Lake Tahoe evacuated, which strangely enough, I explained this one. How come South Lake Tahoe evacuated, but the casinos that are right like feet away from South Lake Tahoe, literally feet, you can walk between them. I did walk between them a lot. How come those are not being evacuated? How, but they think the fire is going to stop at the state line. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're a California fire. We're not going to continue. So how, how are the casinos not evacuated? But they weren't. But they did evacuate. Just, yeah, I guess they, the, the gens won't leave anyway. But the, the, Southern Cal, the, the California portion of Lake Tahoe, which is called South Lake Tahoe, was evacuated. And that fire did something surprising. They were pretty sure that the fire, which began a good deal west of Lake Tahoe was going to run into granite, they said. And that is, there are these uh, big uh, granite mountains there that basically they thought were going to block the fire from continuing to spread in that direction because there weren't enough trees and brush to keep burning because the granite doesn't have anything growing on it. So they thought there was just too much granite in the way and there, it can't burn the granite, so where's the fire going to go? So they were pretty sure the granite was going to be a wall stopping the fire. Nope the fire was able to jump the granite. So I guess it was windy enough to the fire was, it, it couldn't burn the granite, but it was able to just kind of skip over it and keep burning. So then it was headed straight for South Lake Tahoe along US 50. And they had to evacuate South Lake Tahoe. They did something interesting to try to save Heavenly Ski Resort, which I skied in the mid-80s, a lot. And I skied as recently as 2017. But Heavenly made snow earlier than they've ever made snow before. August 31st, they were making snow, which they would never do otherwise, because you typically only make snow if the snow is going to stick. Otherwise, you've wasted a ton of money because it's expensive to make snow. You've wasted a ton of money if it's not going to be below freezing and have the snow stick. But the point here was not to make snow to ski on. They made snow so it could moisturize the mountain. So I actually have a picture of Heavenly with snow all over it on August 31st. Now that snow melted quickly, but it was strange to see snow all over Heavenly on August 31st that was put there by the snowmaking machines with the expectation it would quickly melt and wet the ground and wet the trees and wet everything else and uh, prevent the fire from spreading there. So as far as I know, Heavenly Resort is still intact at the moment. So that's good that it didn't uh, burn down because that could be really expensive for them if it were to burn down the chairlifts and the gondola. And that's uh, that could be pretty bad. So that uh, as far as I know, Heavenly did not end up burning but the fire's still going, last I saw. And Southern California hasn't had much yet. But usually the Southern California fires happen in uh, September and October and early November. The 
very devastating fires in 2018, the Hill Fire and Woolsey Fire, the Woolsey being the much bigger one, they happened, I believe, on November 8th, 2018. And the weirdest thing that I've never seen explained is they both started within 20 minutes of one another. How does that happen? How do you have two major fires start 20 minutes from one another that were not arson and said not to be related? And strangely enough, they're like 20 minutes away from each other by car. So when that happened, I was sure that some firebug did this. That some dude set a fire, got in his car, drove 20 minutes, set a second fire. It would have fit perfectly, but they identified it was an electrical problem that started the Woolsey, and they did not figure out what started the Hill Fire that was 20 minutes earlier, but they were insisting it was unrelated. It just could have been an ultimate coincidence, but those were two very large fires in, in 2018, and... Uh, you can say that maybe Southern California will derive some benefit from those fires because there will be less fuel to burn because a lot of it burnt off in 18. However, there was a wet winter immediately following that fire. So what had happened is the fire actually created good growing conditions. And that's what fire is actually supposed to do. That fire, fire will happen naturally. If there's no humans around, fire will happen naturally from lightning. And then, of course, nobody's going to battle the fire because there's no one to do it. So there were, there were some massive fires before humans were around, and or, or even before humans had the ability to put them out. But these fires are meant in nature to allow growth of new vegetation. It creates soil conditions that are much better for growth. So you should have seen, if you, if you weren't in Southern California, what grew in that following winter, because the fires happened in November 2018, and starting January 2019, you know, a very short time after that, there was a pretty wet winter and spring, which really made things grow. In fact, I remember taking a hike with Benjamin in April of 2019, and it was like a jungle. And it was funny because I showed him on Google Maps, and it looked just like brown and dead on Google Maps, and we're walking in this trail that's a super narrow trail because just plants grew all around it and there's like 10 foot tall plants all around us it really was like walking in a jungle and that was a result of a combination of the fire and the uh, the regrowth that occurred from all the water they got from the rain so the problem here is that i think that a lot of what burnt off regrew that winter now the trees didn't so that'll help but all the other brush is back and came back very quickly. So we will see if Southern California gets pounded. I hope it doesn't. I mean, I really hope that we somehow dodge it. But there really has been very, very little rain in Southern California in 2020 and 2021. After about two months, there will start being rain again. And that will severely reduce the chance of fire. Like the big wildfires in Southern California tend not to happen in the winter or the spring just because there's too much moisture then. That's what I have to look forward to in the next two months. I will close by uh, mentioning that at the moment, I'm still not planning to go to the World Series, though I have not ruled it out yet. But that at the moment, I am of the mind I'm not going. Trader Risk, are you going to go? Oops, I doubt it. Um, you know, maybe if, I, I doubt I'll play. Yeah. If there's something in Vegas where we want to go because it's the time and people will be coming in from other parts, you know, maybe from out to hang out, but uh, I don't know if you plan the journey. Yeah, so, th- so I'm, I'm 
kind of feeling that way too. So that's why I haven't sold any pieces of myself, and I'm not going to unless it really looks like I'm going. I'm not going to put out the effort just to have to refund it all. And it's possible if I make like a last-minute decision to do it, I just wanted up selling pieces, and that's the way it goes. You know, I'd like to sell pieces to you guys, uh, both to control my variance a little and uh, also to have people just following along and rooting for me when they have a financial interest in it, even if not a big one, just a little additional sweat that you know you'll get some money if I cash, and you'll get some decent money if I cash big. But I, I'm definitely not going to go through the effort of selling that when it looks like the much greater chances that I will not go. I will still report on the World Series. It won't quite be the same as when I'm there. Me being physically there really allows me to report on it better. And a lot of this is from what I observe personally. A lot of this is because I get to talk to other people there and find out stories that aren't just being reported in the poker media. Like I found out a lot of things over time just from physically being there when things happen and happening to be with people who uh, tell me things. Sometimes intentionally because they know who I am and they want me to know things. And sometimes they just happen to talk and I listen. So without all that, I will have much less visibility into it. And my reporting on it won't be as good. I always try to do thorough and fair reporting of the World Series, even as I concentrate on playing myself. So this time I won't have the playing to concentrate on, but I also won't have the presence there, which I will miss. I already missed it in 2020. And I guess in a way I got a little used to it, but. I look forward to this every year, and this year it's looking like it probably won't happen. If there was no mask mandate and no Delta, 100% I would be there. But there is a mask mandate and there is Delta, and both of them are factors in why I don't want to go. So I definitely am uh, concerned with Delta, especially being one with a Pfizer vaccine. I'll tell you one other thing that kind of concerns me. I am planning to actually mix and match vaccines, so when I get this booster, whenever I do... I will get the Moderna. And like some members of my immediate family had a pretty bad reaction to Moderna. Nothing permanent, but a very, very bad, worse than my Pfizer one was, which kind of sucked. But they, the two members of my family had some very bad, like really, really horrendously bad headaches on the Moderna one. I did not get a headache from the Pfizer, except for an indirect one from being in bed so much. So... I mean, given that my side effects lasted as long as they did, if I'm going to be stuck with like like the worst headache of my life for three days, it'll be just super miserable. Plus a fever, plus maybe nausea. Like I, I'm so dreading now getting this booster shot, but yet I'm going to do the Moderna because that's the better one, apparently. Maybe because the dose is higher. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to resist taking any aspirin or any other pain relievers, no matter what's happening. Unless there's absolutely no way I can stand it, but I mean, you don't know. I'm going to try so hard not to take anything. I didn't take anything last time when I got pretty sick. So that's also crappy that you just are almost like back in the dark ages where you can't take anything for it. So I'm not looking forward to that. But I would recommend that if uh, you had Pfizer, I would recommend uh, doing the Moderna booster. And there's even another reason for it. It's just a different vaccine, so it could maybe even give you more protection, kind of like the two combined could give you more. But the Moderna one does seem to be lasting longer and doing better against the Delta. So I got to do the best one. At the time I took the Pfizer, it was considered equivalent. 
And in fact, the Pfizer was said to have uh, lesser side effects, though. I got plenty, but the Pfizer was said to have lesser side effects. Maybe I'll get lucky and I won't have bad side effects, but I kind of feel like I will. So I, I'm, I'm really regretting that. I know it's coming fairly soon. I can't get it yet, but I know it's coming fairly soon. I do want to kind of know what I'm going to be facing, though. I do want to see more people get this first so I can just be aware of what I can expect when I get this damn booster regarding the side effects. Okay. And drop, if you bring that into your space, then it is going to affect you. What? I, I, in other words, you f- mentally, you tell yourself you're not going to get sick. There's a lot of breathing stuff. I'll send you some stuff you can do. Okay. Let me give you a counterpoint, though. Anyway. I'm going to give you a counterpoint. The, the, the second Pfizer shot, I actually was very positive when I went to bed because I was 13 hours into it with only arm pain, and I was so happy, and I felt so good, and I said, yes, I'm one of the lucky ones who didn't get a bad side effect from it, and I went to sleep. I was unusually tired, but I, I attributed it to being five in the morning why I was so tired. So I was like, okay, it was five in the morning. I've been up for a while. Yeah, I'm tired. Makes sense. So... I, I get in bed, I wake up, I immediately know there's something wrong. Sure enough, I have a fever. So I didn't will myself into this. I, I, I was actually, I don't, I will agree I don't think positive sometimes. I'll agree I sometimes uh, fall prey to negative thinking. But not that time. That time I was negative coming into it, and then I got very positive when I thought it didn't happen. So boy, did I feel good. I was so happy. And that's why it was such a freaking letdown to wake up with what I woke up with. Then I was stuck I'm with sure. it for a while, and yeah, so. But- but Jeff, let me tell you, because this is the first I heard that it's even an option to do it. So, I mean, if you get the Moderna and you add Pfizer, would you then have to do a double shot? No, because the, the whole thing? no, they're similar enough to where you don't have to. And I was skeptical oh, wow. of this, too. You know, my parents suggested this to me. My mom and dad got Moderna, and they suggested that I get Moderna because I had had Pfizer before and they were saying the Moderna was doing better. And I said, I knew that, but I didn't think it was possible. But I looked into it. I said, I want to look into this. I'm not going to just trust what you say. Even though my parents are, even though they're old, they're, they're, they're very intelligent and they have not gone senile at all yet. They're, they're very sharp, which I hope will be my case when I'm that age. But it's not that I thought they don't know what they're talking about, but they're not experts in this. So before I were to do such a thing, I want to go see for myself. So I went to go read about this and yes, this is an option. You can mix them. So this booster, you can switch to the other one. So I'm going to switch to the other one. I, I, I don't know about the Johnson & Johnson, what the deal is there, but I know that the two mRNA ones, the Moderna and Pfizer, can be switched. And I think it may actually be a better idea. I have even read an article where it said that this might actually be the key to maximum protection is to get the other one uh, when uh, whatever you had the first two times go the third one have it be the other one so I, I'm going to do it also because just the Moderna seems to be doing better against Delta and seems to be lasting longer so I will yeah no that's a good idea and because you know because my mom did double Pfizer too so maybe because she can get the booster now if she has an autoimmune disease I mean do you think I should tell her to go with Moderna? Yeah. Or I guess I'll look into it. Yeah, you should look into it, of course, for your mom. But but yes, uh, in what I looked, it appears this is a very valid option. The only possible downside is there's not a whole lot of study about it, but 
it is believed to be safe, and it is believed by some to actually be more effective. So I'm going to do it, but I will uh, unfortunately be expecting some uh, very unpleasant days following it. So I'm, I'm not looking forward to that, especially because I know it's coming soon. It was kind of like when I had that colonoscopy coming up earlier this year, I was dreading that big time. I was kind of like counting down, and I knew the exact date of that. I was like counting down the days going, no, no, no. Like I, I was like so not wanting this. And uh, now that I've done it once, the next one in 2024, now it's not going to be as uh, anywhere near as something I dread because I've been through it once and know what to expect. And just the unknown of the whole thing and all that. It was just, I was really dreading it. I hate being put out. I still don't like the idea of it, but that was one of those things where I was kind of counting down. And as I got closer and closer to the date, I was just getting more and more anxious about it. But then once I did it and I was past it, I was very happy I did, especially when I found out that I could have had colon cancer if I let this go much longer. So that was another uh, reason I was very happy I did it. But this is kind of along the same lines. I'm really dreading getting that Moderna shot and all the side effects I'm going to get. I'm not afraid of it killing me or, or doing something terrible to me. I'm just afraid of like really bad days that are I'm going to really remember and hate. But on the other hand, I, I, I don't want to get COVID. And I don't want to, especially don't want to get COVID and have some kind of long-term impact and know that I could have had that booster and maybe prevented this. I would feel like a moron. So I will get it, but I just kind of want to know what to expect. So yeah, I, no, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeff, because I'm going to definitely look into that. Yeah, and especially for older people. I, I, you know, for, of course, for older people, it's more important to have uh, the more protection. And someone of your mom's age is uh, definitely uh, pretty vulnerable to some very bad outcomes of COVID. I'm glad she got uh, vaccinated uh, first two shots but yeah I, I, I was telling my parents to try to you know, get this as soon as possible and to be careful up until then because they're old and I worry about them I, I worry about them catching COVID much more than I worry about me getting it just a huge difference yeah, exactly. in, in those years and just like there's a huge difference between me getting it and Ben getting it in the other direction how, how old are your parents Jeff? are you they're, they're, did you say that? They're, they're mid to late 70s. Oh, wow. My dad, yeah, I guess I'm older than you. Yeah, my dad's little, 81 yeah. and my mom's uh, 80. Yeah, no, they'll be around that when I'm uh, your age. It's pre- pretty close, actually. Your your parents had you around the same age that my parents had me. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, okay, well, thank you, Trader Rooster, for coming on. Brandon is doing a lot of sleeping lately. Yeah, sleeping, I think, has been a little off. Well, it's always, he's always got a really weird sleeping schedule, and I do too, so I'm not even criticizing that, but uh, he he did wake up and and text me back when I told him he doesn't have to come on at 2. I, I just wanted to, he, you know, he wouldn't have otherwise expected the show's going to start around 1, which it did. So I know he likes to come on later when I'm done with some of the topics he doesn't have as much interest in. And so I said, well, if you come on at 2, we'll be early in the show, so you can come on much later, don't worry about 2. So he said, okay. And he said back to me, I'll probably be up by 5 a.m. If you're still on, I'll call in if you want. Have a good show. And I said, okay, good. So then I guess he I guess he didn't wake up. Oh, by the way, I, you know, I almost didn't do this show tonight or I guess this morning 
when I woke up, I was so tired and fatigued. I couldn't quite explain it, but I just felt super low energy. And I said, there's no way I can sit down and do a long show like this. I couldn't even do a short show like this. I just felt such a lack of energy. I didn't feel sick. I just felt super low energy. And uh, I took a caffeine pill, as I always do when I wake up, which I I do for my mental health. And uh, it didn't seem to help. And I, I drank a Pepsi, and it didn't seem to help. But then like an hour and a half in, it just vanished. It just went back to normal. So I'm like, okay, I can do radio. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't call it off. I almost tweeted it's going to be called off and I'll do it the next day. And then I didn't call it off. By the way, a little preview. I'm not going to say what yet, but I'm going to be a guest on another podcast that should be available early in the week. In fact, by the time you listen to this, I may already be on this podcast, and I will announce it on, on the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter and on the forum when I am on that podcast and, and where to find it. In fact, I'm going to replay it on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I've gotten the permission of the podcast owner there to replay my segment on here. But I'm going to have a debate with someone on a podcast that is fairly new, but by a... Uh, Fairly known personality, not a, not a big star or anything, so don't get excited. I'm not going on Adam Carolla's podcast or anything, so don't get too excited. But, but this is someone who's you know kind of fairly known, and I'm going to be on their pretty new podcast debating with them, and it is not a political debate, nothing to do with politics. Wait, uh, wait uh, Rush Limbaugh's dead. Limbaugh's dead. Okay, not no. Him. All right. Not wrestling. <laughs> well, it's not him for a I few reasons. There's, there's a few ways he doesn't qualify. Number one, he's dead. Number two, he's very famous. And number three, it's very political on his show. So this is a an apolitical debate. Someone who is not that famous, but that uh, you guys would know. And someone who is alive, at least for the moment. So I will announce that when that comes out. And I, I have already agreed. It's something they're pre-recording. It's not a live show. I'm going to be recording it with them on Sunday. And it's not going to be super long. It's not like this show. In fact, they, they, they complimented me how I could just sit here and talk. And they, they were pretty surprised I can do this for so long. But somehow I can. That show is not like this. But uh, there will be some kind of decent length segment where we're debating a certain topic. And uh, I will let you guys know what it is on Twitter when it comes out, and it will be replayed on this show next week. So, Trader Risky, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. Um, what time did you start tonight, by the way? Is I started just short of 1 a.m., so it's it's uh, we're not going to make seven hours this week or anywhere close to that, but uh, I, I did it straight through, no breaks. Didn't stop to take a break. Oh, so you started after midnight, huh? Way after. 12.56, I think oh, I started, wow. yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's, uh, that's why I said to Brandon, don't bother with two. But yeah, uh, some people were disappointed I canceled the free roll, especially I think he's it technically ran. It just didn't have any price pool. And I just didn't want to run it at that time. Just the Dodgers played so late and they lost. And then I had to put Ben to bed. Fucking Dodgers. Yeah, that was, that was a win these two straight, but... Well, it, I mean, to have to lose on an error is pretty bad in that situation, but that's how baseball goes sometimes. Honestly, the the Dodgers got past the Braves last year because of uh, some stupid plays on the Braves' part. So 
had that not happened, they would not have made the World Series. Yeah, and that error might make them mad now, and this could be a big turning point. Maybe, yeah. If, if they win both the next two, then they're in good shape. They just can't get swept here. That'll be very bad. If they at least win one of three, then they go out only one game behind and they can catch that. We don't want to leave being three behind. That will be a problem. But I will tell you guys, if there was no COVID, I probably would have been in San Francisco for this weekend watching that game. I probably would have gone. Okay. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hope you enjoyed this week's story about my battles with the dining commons. Hope you guys find it entertaining. I tell these stories to entertain. I wasn't like dying for you to hear that story, but I had to dig through my memory. Because I have people saying, come on, we want to hear more stories. I think I have another one for next week. Also from a long time ago, but not quite as long. At least be from this century. But when I don't have stories to talk about involving other people, i got to talk about myself. But I'll try to tell you guys a story each week. But I can't promise you I'll tell you a story each week. My people seem to like these. I want to do what the public wants. If you have not been vaccinated, you should do it, especially if you're over 40. Just take a look at the people dying of this thing. Most of them are unvaccinated. Numbers do not lie. Trust the numbers, not the media. That's what I always say. And We'll be back probably a week from today. So I hope you are going to have a good Labor Day weekend, or if you already have gotten through Labor Day, I hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. Look at me, though. I brought this show to you as Labor Day weekend began. I threw away my Labor Day weekend, at least part of it, to bring you this show. Appreciate that. I'll be back next week. Shalom. Shalom.